Greetings, and good afternoon, everyone. This is Cheryl, and I'm so pleased to be here to welcome you to Tara and Rama's Saturday Afternoon Program, The True Planetary and Galactic History Herstory, and True History Herstory of Nasara. Blessed be on this Saturday after Thanksgiving. <laughs> I hope everyone has had a wonderful Thanksgiving weekend and continues to receive abundant blessings of every kind. Thank you for joining us. We're going to go into our meditation as we set the tone for today's program. Please take a nice deep breath, setting aside the rest of the world. As you take time to go into your sacred heart portal, going into your sacred heart, and once again, reaffirming your full emergence and integration of your soul, your higher self, your monad, your mighty I am presence, and all of the aspects of your multidimensional God presence, goddess presence, is you once again bring to mind and envision your mighty pillar of light. See it filled with the violet of the transmutational violet flame as well as the gold transmuting any lower frequencies into God's perfection and into the abundance and eternal peace and Christ's consciousness of the golden light. See, sense, and feel your own pillar, fully anchored to source and fully anchored to the heart of Mother Gaia. As we recommit ourselves in our work, in being the bridge between heaven and earth, the anchor for the new golden age, and the open door that no one can shut. It is at the I am presence level that we are one with the I am presence of all humanity. And so we call everyone in, in unity consciousness, to join us for this ascension work. Please affirm with me, I am my I am presence. As my I am presence, I am one with the I am presence of all humanity. I am one with every man, woman, and child. I am one with all of my family members and loved ones. I am one with all that is. Feel the expansion that takes place. Feel your heart opening and your pillar expanding. And Feel it merging with the pillars of every man, woman, and child as we bring forth the energies of heaven on earth. So we invite in for one and all, all soul extensions, planetary and galactic, to receive the benefits of all that we receive. All of our ancestors, all of our genetic lineage, our ancestral lineage, 
all the generations past, all the generations forward. We welcome all of our spiritual lineage, our soul family, and soul pods. We call in for one and all, all of our guides and teachers, our healing teams, our beloved guardian angel, our beloved twin flame, our ascension council, our mission council. We welcome the assistance of all the kingdoms, the plant kingdom, the tree kingdom, the mineral kingdom, the animal kingdom, the diva kingdom, the elemental kingdom, the fairy kingdom, all of the kingdoms of nature, the whales, the dolphins, the unicorns, and all magical kingdoms. We welcome all of the realms of the angels, from the angels and archangels through to the cherubim and seraphim and all angelic healing teams. We welcome, at this time, all of the ascended masters, the brotherhood of light, the sisterhood of the rays and rose, the order of Melchizedek, the radiant ones, all enlightened masters, all divine mother emissaries, divine father emissaries, all of the planetary and cosmic hierarchy of light, and all ascended master healing teams. As we call forth for the perfection of all life and all levels of beingness. We call forth as well our precious friends from the Galactic Federation of Light, especially those that we work most closely with, from Arcturus, from Pleiades, from Sirius, from Andromeda, from Chiron, from Venus, and all ascended master or all of the healing teams from the Galactic Federation and all cosmic galactic universal healers that can be of service. We welcome the assistance of the entire company of heaven, asking our Mother, Father, God to overlight all that we do and magnify, magnify, magnify it 10 billion times, 10 billion fold in alignment with divine will and divine law. We call forth everyone and everything in our circle of support to receive sacred blessings here, and that includes everything and everyone on this planet. We call forth Gaia to receive all that we receive. As we call in all of the rays, all of the flames, all of the universal laws and ascension waves, to anchor into every cell, chakra, meridian, layer of our auric field multidimensionally on a conscious, subconscious, superconscious level as well in divine order. And we ask that with every energy and frequency, every prayer and invocation, every blessing, every grace, every dispensation, every activation that it be received on a conscious subconscious, superconscious level, within every cell, chakra, meridian, layer of our auric field, with the greatest of ease and grace, and be easily and effortlessly digested and assimilated, grounded and anchored, integrated, and embodied the maximum that each one of us can receive individually and collectively for both our planetary and cosmic ascension. 
So we ask that Gaia receive all that we receive through her chakras, the meridians, and layers of her auric field, multidimensionally, through every line line and song line, through the grid system, the love grids, the light grids, the unity grids, all the multidimensional grid system, and through every portal and vortex and monument and sacred site, every place of power, every stargate, every city of light. As we continue up this amazing spiral of evolution, as Gaia takes her rightful place as Freedom Star, and we give thanks, we give thanks, we give thanks for being here at this time. And so it is. And so... We call forth the highest purification we can of anything less than love. As we focus upon this love-based planet, restoring her to her full glory of divine love. And as we focus upon the violet flame and the gold, we ask for the complete transmutation of anything less than love. Mighty I Am Presence, great host of Ascended Masters, mighty legions of light, great angelic host, great cosmic beings, and great cosmic light. Blast, blast, blast forever all entities and their cause and effect, individual and collectively and mass of doubt, fear, grief, hate, jealousy, criticism, anger, irritation, resentment, and discord, every ego emotion, every ego thought, anything less than love. We ask to transmute all discord of every kind within the thought and feeling worlds of all humankind forever. Annihilate all such qualities from the memory of every human being on earth forever and replace them now by the ascended master's victory and mastery of love and light eternally sustained. Take into oblivion forever all that does not serve the light and save blessed beloved humanity in spite of itself and its creation by the power of the unfed flame of divine love and the cosmic light. Annihilate and transmute now every rate of vibration from the bodies of humanity that manifests as a destructive quality and fill its place with the pure electronic substance of light from the Ascended Master's octave of life and keep it forever sustained. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We call forth the highest frequencies of divine love and with it the flame of transfiguring divine love. The transfiguring divine love has been described as A beautiful rose pink flame 
with an aquamarine aura and an blazing opalescent sun of transfiguration. So as we call forth this flame of transfiguring divine love, we see it in through and around us. We see it in through and around every man, woman, and child, receiving it both individually and collectively for the highest and best of each individual and all concerned. We pray and call forward for divine intervention, establishing divine love on this planet that we have never seen before. As we say, in the name of the all-pervading presence, we call forth all benevolent fields of consciousness from the realms of light to launch into immediate action. Great Spirit, empty the vaults of heaven in support of this mighty endeavor to restore love and goodness is the primary governing principles on this planet. Thank you for empowering us to assist in this important task. Please assist us, Holy Spirit, in inaugurating the era of the right use of power as well as divine love in accordance with the divine plan. Let the power of love guide every thought, action, word, and feeling of all people on earth. Almighty Creator, we invoke the full commanding action of the universal lightning bolt of divine will to blaze through our group body and all of humanity and every single nation across the earth. Help us to realign with our true source of power the living spark of your loving presence beating in our hearts. Thy will be done. We command the light of wisdom to saturate the whole of humanity with an increased focus upon the United States. With great equanimity, assist us to acknowledge our responsibility for individual and collective contributions to the illusion of separation and world conflict. May we truly learn from our conflicted past and move forward to build a new present in the spirit of harmony and pure love. Dear angels of mercy and compassion, belay is the light of forgiveness in through and around every electron of precious life energy in the United States and in every nation of the world. Facilitate true healing and forgiveness between all perpetrators and victims of violence. Bring peace, understanding, and comfort to both parties. May right human relations be realized in the United States and in every nation across the planet. We call forth the mightiest streams of universal cosmic light to effect a relentless and thorough psychological cleansing of the subconscious minds of every man, woman, and child upon the planet. Through the law of grace, purge and redeem all humanity 
from the programs of violent conflict and separation in perfect accordance with the greater will. Holy Ones, we invoke your assistance in opening the doors to even greater national cooperation and greater international cooperation as well. Keep pouring the light of universal will into every world leader, every government body, every military faction, every NGO, every societal agency, global think tank, and peacemaker. To support the greatest humanitarian outpouring of goodwill the world has ever seen. Let love prevail in the United States. Let love prevail in every nation. Let all people love. In the name of unity consciousness, we command the light of illumined understanding and unconditional love to penetrate the hearts and minds of all individuals, all groups, and all leaders in this nation and in every nation and all assisting in the peaceful rehabilitation of any and all war-torn nations across the planet. May these selfless efforts be sustained through a constant stream of divine intervention until harmony is irrevocably restored everywhere. Divine Presence, please provide the necessary ongoing care and support for all of the refugees and displaced people across the planet. Surge the might of love through all of these brave souls. Inspire new and innovative solutions that aim to permanently resolve all of the humanitarian crises on this planet. In the name of all that is sacred, we command the light of truth to flame in exquisite brilliance throughout every form of medium, permanently dispel all glamorization of war and violence in movies, video games, social media, newspapers, books, TV shows, news programs, and any other channels of media currently used on the earth. Expose all those who have used the media to enslave and manipulate the minds of the masses with endless demonstrations of war and violence. Let the truth be revealed. We call forth and invoke the new Earth Societal Templates for Education and Technology to be anchored further into the unity grid now. Great presence of all life, please assist us in sparking an even greater holistic revolution in all current educational systems to focus on bringing about the highest potential in every human soul. Simultaneously bring forth the most beneficial advancements in technology that will support our true our true smooth transition into living in absolute harmony with the earth and with each other. 
Mother, Father, God, please continue to saturate the land, atmosphere, water, oil, and all expressions of life in, through, and around this planet with the light of divine love. Prepare our lands and all of our beautiful people for the imminent return of the law of one. Thank you for helping us to celebrate our cultural differences and to humbly acknowledge the truth of our inherent unity as one family of humanity. We seal this activity in cosmic love, cosmic peace, and cosmic power. So be it, and so it is. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We focus on the energy of transfiguring divine love as we proceed. And we affirm seeing that beautiful rose pink light, the rose pink flame with the aquamarine aura, and beautiful blazing opalescent sun coming through us, coming through the planet, and coming through every person upon her. I am aware of my presence in the world. And I know I am one with all of life. I gently remove my attention from the outer world as I focus on staying in the divinity of my heart. I breathe in deeply and on the holy breath I ascend in consciousness into the heart of my mother, father, God. Instantly, I am enveloped in the embrace of my mother God's unfathomable and comprehensive transfiguring divine love. I hear the melodious tones, and I absorb the celestial fragrance of my mother's divine love. Suddenly, I feel myself soaring into higher frequencies of love than I have ever known. I pierce into the core of purity within the flame of transfiguring divine love, and the splendor of this sacred fire permeates my being. I am experiencing a love and reverence for life beyond anything I ever dreamed possible. Divine wisdom is awakening within my heart, and in a flash of enlightenment I know and fully understand how I am to convey this reverence for all life to the mass consciousness of humanity. This realization is seared into my conscious mind and will now be tangibly available to me wherever, whenever I need to recall this sacred knowledge in my service to humanity and all life. In deep humility and gratitude, I accept the the opportunities that are being presented to me within the heart of God, Goddess, and I volunteer from this moment forward to truly be an instrument of God, Goddess, for this transfiguring divine love. Through my I am presence, I consecrate my life to be the open door through which the full spectrum of the flame of transfiguring divine love will now flow to bless all life on earth. 
For a sublime moment, I assimilate this experience as I breathe in and breathe out slowly and rhythmically. Take a nice deep breath. With each in-breath, I ascend higher and higher into the multifaceted celestial frequencies of my Mother God's transfiguring divine love. And with every out-breath, I breathe the sacred fire forth to consecrate all life evolving on earth. As each human being evolving on earth is consecrated with the full potential of the flame of transfiguring divine love. Their I am presence activates specific genetic coatings within their RNA DNA structures. These coatings contain the immaculate concept of each person's divine plan. This activity of light empowers every beloved son and daughter of God goddess to fulfill his or her divine purpose and reason for being. Through this activation, the mind and emotions of every person are purified and realigned with the harmony of their true being. This purification paves the way for the conscious mind and the superconscious mind within each individual to merge and become one. In this state of at one mint, each person's I am presence come to the, comes to the forefront and takes dominion of his or her life. As this occurs, the life, body, mind, and soul of each person are quickened and lifted into a state of enlightenment that clears the way for the fulfillment of the divine plan and the manifestation of the new earth. And so it is, and we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We express our gratitude as we say, O oh, beloved, I am presence. Expand, expand, and expand within me the feelings of loving gratitude. Allow this precious gift from God, Goddess, to be my perpetual state of consciousness. Let the feeling of loving gratitude be the basis of my being. I am grateful for the opportunity to anchor the patterns of perfection for the new earth. I am grateful for my gift of life and for my ability to add to the light of the world. I am grateful that I am an open door that no one can shut. I am grateful for the gift of God's infinite abundance and eternal peace. I am grateful that I am willing and able to be an instrument of God, Goddess. I am grateful for this sweet earth and all her life. I am grateful. I am grateful. I am eternally grateful. And so it is. We call forth the golden flame of eternal peace and infinite abundance. 
We see it in through and around us. And we feel that golden flame of eternal peace and abundance in every cell and fiber of our being. We see it happening for every man, woman, and child at the same time. And we give thanks in advance for all that we receive as we affirm. I am reclaiming the infinite flow of God's abundance. And the new earth is becoming a tangible reality in my life. I now accept God's abundance as my divine birthright. Just breathe and do that now. Feel and experience yourself accepting God's abundance as your divine birthright. And we affirm, it is now time for me to manifest my financial freedom and the God got a supply of all good things. This will provide the necessary sustenance and support I need to fulfill my divine plan. As I assimilate this truth, the divine intelligence blazing in my heart exposes the fact that all of the beliefs I ever had that were based in poverty, lack, and limitation were merely illusions. The supply of all good things financial freedom, opulence, and abundance are God's gift to me. And to all of the sons and daughters of God Goddess, prosperity consciousness floods into my mind and heart, and I see new innovative ways to create prosperity in my life. Through my I Am Presence, I accept and expect the infinite flow of God's abundance in my life now and forever. I know the ebb and flow, the in-breath and out-breath of my life force is a universal law. So in return for God's gift of abundance, I willingly and joyously agree to share my abundance with those who are striving to co-create the new earth. This is my gift of love that I am giving back to God, Goddess, in appreciation for my gift of life. As I give, so shall I receive. I'm at peace with the concept of sharing my money and my abundance with others knowing full well that God's abundance is infinite. The fear of scarcity from my human ego no longer manipulates me. My I am presence is in control. And I know that by continually sharing my money and my gifts of abundance with those who are working to fulfill the divine plan, I open the door for a perpetual flow of abundance into my own life. This is a universal law of life. It is the law of the circle.
So be it, and so it is. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. As we ask to be a catalyst for abundance for all. Again, vision and vision that golden flame of eternal peace and abundance in through and around you, in through and around the planet and everyone and everything. The golden flame of eternal peace and God's infinite abundance is now blazing through every particle of life as a base of physical, etheric, mental, and emotional strata of Earth. This activity is forming a powerful catalyst for God's abundance, which is empowering, awakening humanity to joyfully accept our financial freedom. With the assistance of the entire company of heaven, I now seal and permanently sustain this activity of light. As I breathe in deeply, I expand and expand the divinity within my own heart and the divinity within the heart flames of every man, woman, and child. Together we create a mighty chalice of light that cradles this sweet earth and all of her life. And now as one breath, one voice, one heartbeat, one energy, vibration, and consciousness A pure divine love, I affirm. I speak for all of us as I say, I am open and receptive to God's abundance. And I joyously receive and freely give my wealth. I am therefore eternally blessed with financial freedom, opulence, abundance, and the God, Goddess supply of all good things. Through my newfound prosperity consciousness, all of the financial sustenance I need to fulfill my divine plan is now flowing into my life daily and hourly. I am the divine image of God, Goddess, manifesting infinite abundance in my being and world. And for the children of God, Goddess, everyone, everywhere, in God's supreme name forever. Wherever I am, my very presence in the universe is a constant outpouring and release of God's life and light, God's transfiguring divine love, God's eternal peace and abundance, God's truth and freedom to all I contact every day in every way. I so decree it and accept it done through the power of God, Goddess, I am. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. Take a nice deep breath. Again, continue to hold the image of the transfiguring divine love as well as the golden light of infinite abundance and eternal peace. We invoke the Christ consciousness aspect of the golden light, as well as the yellow golden light of eternal wisdom, 
enlightenment and illumination. See it, sense it, feel it coming all through the earth. Creating a beautiful pink and golden light of Christ consciousness for one and all. Oh, Mother, Father, God, I invoke your divine light and the light of the entire company of heaven. Powers of light, powers of light come forth now magnify this the maximum that we can receive individually and collectively in divine order for each being. In deep humility and profound gratitude, I consecrate every facet of my being to be the open door that no one can shut. In divine truth, I accept my reality is a beloved child of God, Goddess. I am a cup, a holy grail, through which the light of God, Goddess, is now flowing to lift all life on earth into the blissful embrace of the new earth. I am my mighty I am presence, and I am with the divine heart, mind of God, Goddess. I am one with the divine I am presence, of all humanity. I am one with the elemental kingdom and Mother Earth. I am one with the angelic kingdom. I am one with all of the beings of light throughout infinity. Now, through the unspeakable power of my Mother God's love, All life is lifted into the immaculate concept of the divine plan for the new earth. Within this concept of infinite physical perfection, every person remembers that they are a beloved son or daughter of God Goddess. Every person comprehends the divine truth that all life is interconnected, interrelated and interdependent. A renewed sense of oneness and reverence for all life stirs in each heart flame. And the love of our Mother God floods the earth through humanity's heart chakras. As the love of God Goddess flows through each person's heart flame, they are lifted up and their lives are transformed. From this new level of consciousness, humanity taps into the patterns of perfection for the new earth and viable solutions to the maladies existing on earth flow into the minds of lightworkers everywhere. The lightworkers join forces to create the perfection of the new earth. All traces of pain and suffering are transmuted into light. Every concept of lack and limitations ceases to exist, and the abundance of God Goddess floods the earth. People everywhere perceive and acknowledge the divinity blazing in every heart flame. Humanity now knows and accepts 
that all life is divine. This realization inspires every person to feel and express love and mutual respect for every part of life. As the collective thoughts and feelings of humanity continually empower the perfection of the new earth, the physical plane is transformed and transfigured. The body of Mother Earth is restored to a verdant paradise of splendor and light. The life of every living being is filled with love, joy, happiness, prosperity, and fulfillment. Enlightenment, eternal peace, harmony, balance, abundance, spiritual wisdom, and every other divine quality of our Mother, Father, God is the order of the new day on planet Earth. Mother Earth dons her seamless garment of light and ascends the spiral of evolution into the full expression of her fifth-dimensional solar diamond crystalline reality. The heavens rejoice, and our Mother Father God responds. Welcome home, beloved children. Well done. And so it is. Please seal this by saying, I am that I am. I am that I am. I am that I am. And so it is. And so, my friends, I ask you to hold that image of the new earth in your daily life. Hold it in the perfection of the divine blueprint of life, both individually and collectively for all. We give thanks for this opportunity for service. And I give thanks to you for your service here today in the creation of heaven on earth. We ask for all of this work to grow exponentially in divine order, individually and collectively for all. We want to take this time not only to thank each of you, but to thank Taran Rama and to thank Rainbird. Before we pass the talking stick, I want to remind you to join us every Sunday and Monday evening for the Ascension Meditation and Activation Calls, where we do divine service each of these nights through different meditations, prayers and evocations, visualizations, in order to fully manifest heaven on earth and be that that bridge, that anchor for all that we so desire for ourselves and for all humanity. The Ascension Meditation and Activation Calls, our teleconference calls, and we call in, we start the program about 8.45 p.m. Eastern Time, 5.45 p.m. Pacific Time. 
We have about 25 minutes of greetings, and then Tara and Rama come in and give us a brief update. At 9.30 Eastern, 6.30 Pacific Time, we begin our work in earnest of bringing heaven to earth, and we invite you to join us every Sunday and Monday. If you've never been on before, please say hello. If you can get on early enough, greet us and let us know where you're calling from. And please let us know that you want to be a part of our regular family for all of the divine intervention work that we do. Let me give you the phone number and then I'll tell you how to stay connected with the group. The phone number is area code 425-436-6260. Again, it's area code 425-436-6260. Our access code is 946-7441-POUND. Again, nine four six seven four four one pound. We'd love to have you join us and be a regular part of our calls. And if you want information on updates, I also have additional numbers. I'd be happy to share with you the extra numbers besides this main number as well as the international numbers and the ways to get on the, through the computer. Just contact me and just put on your title, your email, add to list. Contact me at Cheryl Croce, C-H-E-R-Y-L-C-R-O-C-I, at AWOL.com. Again, that's Cheryl Croce at AOL.com. We'll get you all the extra information and keep you updated with all of the wonderful information that we share and with replays for each of the calls. So I thank you, thank you, thank you. You are certainly amongst the things and people that I am most grateful for at this time of Thanksgiving. We'll be starting our seven sacred weeks for that started on Thanksgiving. We'll be starting that tomorrow evening. Beautiful, beautiful beings that we specifically work with. And I'll be happy to share that as well. So please join us every Sunday and Monday. Have an infinitely blessed week. As we enter, we're just in the midst of this holy, holy season. Remember, each day is a holy day. And let us do our best to be our infinitely blessed Christed being and share that with all humanity. So I thank you, thank you, thank you for your service. Once again, we thank Tar and Rama for their service and my dear sister Rainbird. Rainbird, this illumined talking stick is so bright with the violet and the gold. 
the different shades and frequencies of gold, of illumination and enlightenment, of wisdom, peace, and prosperity of Christ consciousness. So filled with the pink, the rose pink, the aquamarine, and the opalescent colors, and every frequency we could possibly desire because it holds all of God's gifts. It holds all of God's frequencies and qualities, and I pass it with great love to you, my dear. Thank you, and have a beautiful, beautiful week, everyone. Well, thank you, Cheryl. I'll take that talking stick, beautiful, illuminated talking stick. (laughs) And we are so grateful for your life as well and for your service. So much gratitude for you being here on the planet and guiding us in these meditations each week and on Sundays and Mondays. Uh, Such a gift. So I'm here to do the housekeeping as we are a listener-supported radio program. It's just us chickens that make it happen. (laughs) And this is Rent Week, so we're digging deep and making it happen for Tara and Rama. And we're also keeping up with our radio services. $300 is what we need each week. That's what we need this week. So here's how we make a contribution to BBS Radio to our account there. First, go into your heart space, see what is yours to give, and then go to bbsradio.com and click on Radio Station 2 or scroll down and you'll see the menu for Radio Station 2. You're looking for that menu. You're wanting to find the icons for the different programs. So look for on Thursday, Friday, and or Saturday and at the 6 o'clock hour, meter Pacific time. Um, at 6 o'clock on Thursday, a panel at the, uh, no, a night at the round table with the panel is, and you'll see the icon there, beautiful icon. Click on that and that'll take you to our account. With CBS and using your bank card, you can make a donation in any amount. And so the icon for Friday is at the six o'clock hour Pacific. The, the hard news program with Tara and Rama on Friday nights. And uh, as you click on that icon, that'll take you to our account. And that's the same for this program: um, the true history, history, and the Theran galactic origins with Tara and Rama. At the 1.30 hour. So as you click on those icons, that takes you to our account. That's where you make that donation. So thank you for taking that action. We're so grateful to gather this way each week. And we're grateful for all that BBS Radio provides, including all those good archives. (laughs) And we're also grateful for all of you for attending and participating. So thank you. And we're also assisting Tara and Rollin with their needs. And this week being rent week, that means that rent money is due. It's due to be paid on Tuesday. Wouldn't it be nice to have that on Monday to know we were there for Tuesday? So it's short It's short notice, and yet we can just take that action and make it happen. The rent is $1,150, and there's another $1,000 in expenses, $310.55 for three bills. 
and um, and then living expenses for Tara and Rama, and then another $500 for the car that needs wheel bearings, and that needs to happen as soon as possible. Um, so we're needing all of that, and uh, so let's let's see what we can do, what we can come work together and come up with as we can just contribute a little, that's okay too. And as we can contribute more generously, that's that's wonderful. So let's call it all in and make it happen. Here's how I make a contribution to Tara and Rama. You want to access Rama's PayPal account. So go to the website, rainbowroundtable.net. And there on the home page, you'll see that little grid up there at the top for the menu. Click on that and you'll see the menu of everything that's on that site. And near the bottom of that list, you'll see the donate link. And you click on that and that'll link you to Rama's PayPal account. And so there you can make that contribution. Thank you for taking the action. Thank you for your generosity. If you have your own PayPal account, you can access the plans option. And here's how you do that. Go into your own PayPal account and put in Rama's email there for gifting. And that email at PayPal for Rama is Koran, K-O-R-A-N, 999949 at hotmail.com. And there, as you enter the note that you're gifting, Rama, uh, a window will drop down with the word change. Click on that, and that leads you to the friends option. That's how that works. Either way, it's perfect. We are so grateful for for you taking that action and assisting in this way for Tara and Rama, and, uh, and I know that you will receive tenfold in return for making these contributions <laughs> this way. So lots of gratitude for Tara and Rama and all that they do. I know they work tirelessly, and, and uh, yeah, all the work that they do, uh, keeping us together and keeping us, those contacts happening and keeping that that information flowing and that divine energy in our hearts and and peace uh, that we need to make contagious <laughs> and all those good things that we do in our lives. So thank you, Tara and Rama, for all that you do. As you're sending something to them, let Rama know that email address for Rama is... Um, Yeah, excuse me, I'm getting a call coming in. I have to just ignore it. <laughs> the email address is Koran, K-O-R-A-N, 999 at net. Let them know what you sent and when you sent it. And then as you need it, the mailing address is Ram D. Berkowitz, R-A-M-D Berkowitz, B-E-R-K-O-W-I-T-Z. Post Office Box 280-280, and that is in Santa Cruz, New Mexico. And the zip code in Santa Cruz, New Mexico is 87567. So there you have it, all the information that you need. I'm going to give you the Freemark site as well if you want to participate with uh, Freemark. This is the site you want to go to to take a look at it and look around. If you like it, you can join the site from there. You can create your own account. 
uh, lots of programs for abundance are happening there and just amazing products for keeping our health in good shape in these times. Uh, so take a look around and participate and know that those products are amazing. Some are for the body and some for the environment. Um, so a lot going on there. Uh, this is the address, https colon forward slash forward slash shop, no, www.shopfreemart.com forward slash T-A-R-R-A-M. And that's the username for that site. It's a site number, account number 7000, so you know it's magic. And that's the one you want to be on when you go to that site, so... It's the Rainbow 2013 Rainbow Roundtable site. And uh, there you go. Thank you. Thank you for participating with that. Thank you for all the ways you participate, all the ways that you show up in your lives. We are so grateful that you're in our lives here. And so 13 thank yous, honey in the heart, long life, no evil. And here comes this talking stick, Tar and Rama. It's very, it's an illuminated talking stick with all those rays. All those different rays of gold and opalescent and per- and white and all the colors, all the magical colors of the rainbow, all the colors you can think of and then some. <laughs> and it's got a lot of activity with all the elementals and the little people and lots of fairies and feathers. So greetings, Tara and Rama. Here comes this talking stick, and there's plenty of hobbits with it. Good deal. I'll take that talking stick. Hobbits salute. I hope the hobbits like our push shots. I'm sure they do. Oh. So, everybody. There's there's the man. I'm going to pass the talking stick to you, Rama. Greetings, everyone. Thank you for being here. Um, I talked with Leonora today, and she showed me a holographic videotape of the whales and dolphins and how they came here 10 million years before the humans showed up on the planet. And they were part of the orchestration of these light bodies, Admon Cadmon. <clears throat> she showed me that through their sound frequencies, they can manipulate and change matter and space-time. And they are human souls in cetacean bodies. They help to orchestrate this seeding of life on this planet eons and eons ago from they came from the Pleiades and Sirius and they're part of the angelic ascended master folks who are helping us ascend and she is just saying send more love to the orcs I'm not sure what else to call them. Are always orcs always naughty? They're sort of mutated folks 
that in the Lord of the Rings, they were a blend of elves and humans, and it's an analogy on crossbreeding, DNA, splicing and dicing like the Anunnaki did. Well, what did they do in the movie? Um, they were bred for war as soldiers. Oh, the ones that were fighting. Yeah, it's, you know, we're watching, what we're watching right now is the, you know, Well, the lunatic, humans are bred for war right now. <clears throat> these two fake parties, I mean, I don't know where to go with the D's or the R's and... You know, I remember a character, actually Wavy Gravy, ran for president, and he had a bumper sticker that said, nobody for president. Who did? Wavy Gravy from the uh. Hog Park from Woodstock. <laughs> and I, I don't know where to go with the hard news, because it, it is just insane. And... They are playing with stories upon stories that go, I mean, I asked Leonora about this and she said, we are playing out a real-time adventure called The Avengers, and these guys are playing mm. with this drama, Borg nanotechnology that is killing folks, and um, this word that just popped up, Omnicron, and actually take that word, Omnicron, and go put it into the search engines and also add Star Wars. And you will find an uh, animated series called Star Wars Rebels. And there was this... Um, Oh, I can't remember the kid's name, but he uh, became a Jedi, and uh, this is right before um, Princess Leia and Luke came into the story, and Lord Vader, and this kid was trained by a lady named Ashoka. And they mention this word, Omnicron, and it's a special kind of crystal. And in actually, um, the Rise of Skywalker, they talk about this, the Omnicron crystal. And Kylo Ren got a hold of it and just, Go watch The Rise of Skywalker again. It's, I mean, they are playing with stuff that is so, I'm not sure what to describe it as. This is why Leonardo described these folks as orcs. And Blaze of Violet Fire. So... So are you relating that the orcs are in this present hologram? Well, who are, are they now? These folks that are screaming for a civil war that they lost the election. 
No more war. No more war. It's already been declared. No more war. And that's right. And, you know, in the evangelical interpretations of the biblical text, they're talking about revelations. And Mother said revelations is canceled. That's right. No more war. There are minor solar flares going on today. And aurora borealises are happening in Norway and other parts of the Arctic Circle. And the solar flares are lifting everyone up. And blades of violet fire. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I'm thinking out loud that <clears throat> before we go into the astrology, our... I, I want to play the uh, first 15 minutes of Max Kaiser. It's kind of impertin- pertinent information. Uh, so let's do that. So what I will do is... Oh, excuse me. Okay, let's just do this. Hold on. Negative. I just watched a ton of medical dramas on Sling TV. Good news? Her kidneys... Oh, please. Momentito. Where? Let me just go there again. Something happened there. Yes. There we go. Hi, I'm Max Kaiser. This is the Kaiser Report. We are in El Sante, El Salvador, a huge surfing community that has become known as Bitcoin Beach. Uh, the president of El Salvador has made Bitcoin legal tender. This is ground zero for a global monetary revolution. And the more we stay, the more we like, Stacey. Exactly. We have been here for a, over a week now, and we're still reporting to you from El Salvador, where hyper-Bitcoinization has happened. The head of state here, President Nayib Bukele, is totally hyper-Bitcoinized, and he's been retweeting us, any Bitcoiner in the country, and thus getting us thousands of followers from El Salvador. It's been extraordinary. We are right now at a kind of surfing hostel, so you might see surfers walk by, you might hear dogs barking, uh, that's all just part of the scenery. Oh, yeah, fantastic uh, atmosphere. And uh, put Bitcoin into the mix, and you've got uh, a lot of hope, a lot of uh, surfing, and a lot of sats being spent back and forth, rejuvenating, juvenating, empowering the local economy. And as you point out, the president, Bukele, has taken to this like a duck to water or like a surfer to a wave where uh, it's all about Bitcoin 24-7. I think he's gone Bitcoin mad, which is fantastic, because he is now at the center of this global revolution. Yes, and I do want you to understand, Max mentioned that we spend in SAT. We have spent many, many Bitcoin here in El Zante, in San Salvador. El Zante, which is where Bitcoin beaches, is, of course, way more hyper-Bitcoinized than in San Salvador. Uh, there's wide use of Bitcoin here in this region. Everybody accepts it it, along the beach here. Um, We also did raise 
like two and a half thousand dollars, close to two and a half thousand dollars for the Daughters of the Sea. Max interviewed her when we first arrived here. So that was really exciting. But in the meantime, so while we've been here, we're, we're witnessing the future right now here in El Salvador. Over in the legacy fiat system run on the U.S. dollar rails, well, things are starting to fall apart. And a little bit too late for them to realize that the game is over. And this extraordinary event happened while we were here on stage at La Bitcom in San Salvador. What we saw is that, you know, uh, here was the positivity and relentless optimism. Over in the United States at the Bloomberg conference of the fiat legacy system, we saw this headline. Hillary Clinton at Bloomberg's new economy forum issues a warning on cryptocurrency. Quote, what looks like a very interesting and exotic effort has the potential for undermining currencies, for undermining the role of the dollars as reserve currencies, for destabilizing nations. So, uh, it's Bitcoin, which is destabilizing nations. It's Bitcoin, which is destabilizing the dollar, which has been weaponized and sanctioned at all sorts of nations around the world from even accessing that rails of that system. It's Bitcoin that did that, not the U.S. dollar, you know, authorities. Yeah, I think Hillary Clinton is right. Bitcoin is essentially undermining the U.S. dollar. And the U.S. dollar is world reserve currency. The days are numbered. Uh, there are those, even in the Bitcoin community, that hold out hope that somehow the U.S. dollar will remain on the world stage. But as Hillary Clinton herself points out, Bitcoin is essentially undermining or destroying the U.S. dollar because the U.S. dollar can't hold its purchasing power because it's fiat money. And no fiat money over the past 300 years has ever escaped trading to zero. And the U.S. dollar is going to do exactly the same thing. Gold was great for a while, but now gold is being replaced by Bitcoin. And uh, what this means to the U.S. dollar and those who are part of the U.S. dollar global empire of debt, well, I mean, if they don't buy Bitcoin, they're going to find themselves, I think, uh, in a very dire circumstances. And I would love to say that I feel bad for them. But, uh, you know, some some have to perish so that others can survive, and if you're holding dollars, uh, it's uh, hasta luego. Uh, hasta la vista, indeed. But, you know, the thing is that she kind of goes on in a way which suggests, like, these uh, the command and controllers want to continue their command and control over the economy, the global monetary system, and banking system that has, as we know, have been destabilized at least since 2008, 2009, when Kaiser Report started, amidst the uh, financial collapse. Remember, Bitcoin was not yet then born, but how did that happen if Bitcoin weren't born? How did all of that global financial crisis happen, all the, the fraudulent debts, the collapse of the banking system, all that quantitative easing needed since then? Well, that was what they, what Bitcoin responded to, and this is how they're responding to Bitcoin, which is essentially the CBDC, right? She says, there's a whole new layer of activity that could be extremely destabilizing or in the wrong hands or in alliances with the wrong people could be direct threats to many of our nation states and certainly to the global currency markets, she said. Look, the number one threat for nation states today 
and for currencies, sovereign currencies around the world today, is inflation. That is to say, the collapse of purchasing power brought on by themselves. Because printing money and using that money to, let's say, start a war or continue a war or award voters by votes. Remember in 2016 and 2020, it was all about buying votes by printing money. Well, that money stays in the system, and now we have the predictable inflation, and it's causing genuine problem. Look, trying to fix the money system by printing more money is like trying to nail Jello to the wall. It just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. So a continuation of that fiat system where the decay, the corruption, the entropy is setting in. This is all Kaiser Report has been covering for all these years. Uh, we see The Economist magazine was recently, while we've been here, tweeting that uh, like uh, economists were shocked about this inflation. They had no idea. This is totally unexpected. Paul Krugman also had said that. Like, oh, my God, I had no idea this was possible. Of course, we've been telling you, we've been warning you here. So everybody in our audience has already inflation protected because they saw what was coming. Now, here's another story of that decaying corruption and entropy of our system, which is remarkable. Bruno Maches, the, uh, Portuguese, he's a former diplomat from Portugal and writes extensively now uh, and on Twitter all the time. He pointed out something really interesting that's going on with the Biden administration and versus China. Uh, read this description, he says, and feel like the twilight zone. The president's son, Hunter Biden, was part owner of a venture involved in the $3.8 billion purchase by a Chinese conglomerate of one of the world's largest cobalt deposits. The metal is a key ingredient in batteries for electric vehicles. Cut to his next tweet about this. Quote, the Biden administration warned this year that China might use its growing dominance of cobalt to disrupt America's retooling of its auto industry to make electric vehicles. So the president's son is the one involved in this deal that the president, he is warning about this very deal that is destabilizing, again, the United States. All right, so this is corruption, and you have an oligarchy. And you have all these protests on the street all over America and all over the world. And it doesn't really matter what these protests are about. They take different forms and different names. But the reaction by the oligarchs and the kleptocrats, whether it's Joe Biden or his son or Hillary Clinton or the Clinton mob, is to start to look at the people as dissidents. So where do we have dissidents? We have dissidents in Cuba. We have dissidents in Central America. We have dissidents in various other countries. Now we have dissidents in America. Anyone who's on the street protesting is now considered by the kleptocrats, the oligarchs, the corrupt, the Bidens, the Hunter Bidens, as enemies of their wealth. And, of course, to get out of it, they print more money. And the escape hatch, of course, is Bitcoin. They will lose. And, again, I would like to say that I would, I regretfully don't feel sorry for Hillary and her group of kleptocrats. And when they are gone from the stage, I will not be shedding a tear. So I just want to say that the King of Swords said that Bitcoin is a bridge from ending the old money system and heading into the Nasara uh, National Economic Security and Reformation Act system, which is global. 
And the reason it is is because the currency from the old system regulates the currencies of every other currency in the world. And what Nasara is going to do is bring a unified field of economics and it will be aligned with higher consciousness. And we will all have everything we need, want, and desire to do our mission. It won't be about making money at all anymore. At least not in the system that we've been living in, which is a system of slavery where we became aware that the United Nations has put hundreds of trillions of dollars in their pockets and spent 1.7% of that 300 trillion plus as a token for some sort of quote-unquote humanitarian endeavor somewhere. So this is why we're listening to Stacy and Max at the moment. Shedding a tear. So again, here's two headlines we covered. Hillary Clinton warning that it was Bitcoin which caused the destabilization of the U.S. dollar currency grid. And then here is Joe Biden warning that Hunter Biden's deal is destabilizing the U.S. electric vehicle market, which, um, you know, there's trillions of dollars now going into these electric vehicles, coincidentally, that is benefiting Hunter Biden about this. So we have, uh, you know, these are the late stage um you know, end of empire, sort of Roman empire falling apart when they also lost their minds and um, it was obvious, you know, of the the basically political insanity that, that they were pointing at others of when it was them point, pointing in the mirror. Well, America has become the land of the peasant, the neo-peasant, the cyber-peasant in the metaverse. And now we've got a peasant uprising. And my money is on the peasants, you know, because we've got Bitcoin and they've only got money that they print by the trillion that's losing purchasing power every single day. We've seen this story before. Bitcoin rocks. And I do want to also point out to people that, you know, I, I feel like it's a lot of propaganda against a country like El Salvador in that um, it's, it's, it's beautiful here. And the people are so warm. They're so amazing. There's beauty all around you. It's quite hot, as you can see. After a few minutes out, even in the shade, it's like extremely warm. Um, the surf is very strong. The surf is very powerful. It is a surfer paradise for a long time. It's been a destination for surfers for decades. Um, but now everybody's here for the Bitcoin uh, renaissance, renaissance 2.0, and this is our experience here. Hopefully in the second half, we're hoping to interview the president, Bukele. Hopefully we're going to be there with the president in the second half. <laughs> We're going to let the second half go. Ram, let's do the astrology. We did it. I'll just say one thing is that El Salvador 
being that Bitcoin is the currency for the whole country, is the first Nasara country, really, because that Bitcoin is related to the way the Nasara economy will will run. So, um, so tell us, Rama, what is this astrology? Oh, that we're going to play. Um, this is Jupiter transits back into Aquarius. How will this affect you, Joni Patri? All right. Ayurvedic astrology, just to make that clear. Here we go. YouTube channel. Well, today I want to talk about the transit of Jupiter going back into Aquarius. For the final and last time, it's touched in and out of the sign, and between April till November of 2021, it backtracked into Capricorn. But now it's moving forward, and it's going to enter Aquarius, where it has been before it went back into Capricorn, but now we got to look forward to where Jupiter is going to be shooting through this sign rapidly because between November 20th and April 13th, Jupiter is going to transit through the entire sign of Aquarius. I mean, Jupiter stays in a sign for approximately one year, but sometimes when it's going retrograde back and forth, it kind of goes back for a while and then forward, but overall, it transits in a sign, put it all together for about one year. And sometimes it doesn't go back and forth out of sign, but this time it did. But let's talk about what this means, Jupiter being in Aquarius. I know I've already done a video on this, but I want to talk about this last time because Jupiter is going to be going at an unusual rate of speed. And when planets go faster, that's what they do. They bring faster results and faster things happen. So this is the cycles that we're looking at in astrology and how the planets move are relative to the results that we will experience. So you're going to see some things on the fast track here. What is Jupiter in Aquarius? Now, Aquarius in, in the way that I see it is the sign of humanity and people with strong Aquarian planets, they care about the world and it's improving the world, making it a better place for everyone. And of course, this goes into ecology, what's going on with the planet. And as you can see, we've had all sorts of big changes where we're diverting energy from coal and fossil fuel to electric. We're making the world a cleaner place. And that's exactly what Jupiter and Aquarius is all about. So you're going to see some fast movement towards cleaning up the planet and making it more 
ecologically better for everything that tries to live on this planet. So looking at, you know, nature and all the destructive things that all of the pollution that we have caused has really hurt other organisms and creatures in this world. It's going to change. Commercial. <laughs> I've never felt so close to the possibility of disclosure. The Nephilim, the giants. You to change. You're going to see some major movements and global warming and all of that because, well, whatever it means, the global warming, if it is caused from, uh, I think it's caused from more people being on the planet personally because they're going to use up more resources, which does have an effect. But don't forget, the planets have an effect. And Jupiter being in Aquarius just means great improvement. Now, as it enters into Aquarius, and even before, it was in the nakshatra Danishta. So Danishta, it flanks across Capricorn and Aquarius, but it will be in the nakshatra Danishta till January 1st or 2nd, where it's going to shift into Shadabishak. But Danishta symbol is a drum. And it deals with rhythm and movement and being at the right place at the right time. It's something about timing. And you can use this to your greatest advantage because we all know that Jupiter is its most difficult placement to be in is in Capricorn. So moving it ahead into Aquarius is a vast improvement. The one thing that I see with Jupiter being in Capricorn, though, is it's in the same sign as Saturn. And this is actually a good thing. And so what we're looking at is the cyclic process of Jupiter with Saturn as well. Because I've often told people in my books, especially my book on how to make money using astrology. uh, And by the way, you can go get that off, off my website. This book really talks about cycles. And one of the most important cycles to determine what's going on in the financial world is Jupiter and Saturn and how they aspect each other. So Jupiter being in Capricorn, it's debilitated, it's weakened. But the fact that Saturn is there with it is a plus because Saturn strengthens it. Even though Jupiter and Saturn, well, they're not necessarily enemies. They're actually neutral to each other. But when you put them together... It is actually a point of manifestation. And I often said there will not be a tanking of the stock market because Jupiter and Saturn together are good. And everyone's been talking about, oh, my God, when's the stock market going to crash? Not with Jupiter and Saturn together in the same sign. They empower the economy because Jupiter is a planet that is said both Jupiter and Saturn are said to be social planets. So they deal with the social temperament going on in the world. And they deal with the financial markets, especially how they relate to each other in aspects. So coming together in the sign of Capricorn, which they haven't been together in the sign of Capricorn since 1961, 
60, 61, 62, and uh, somewhere around there, I think it was actually more like 60, 1960. At that time, the economy was doing great. And so I predicted Jupiter and Saturn coming together, the economy would be doing great. And the stock market is doing great. Yes, the economy, I agree with you, is not doing great because of inflation. The inflation is horrendous. But you know, many people that didn't have money have money now. Why? Because the government is giving, you know, these opportunities to give them money to make up for the lost wages from the virus. But what's going to happen down the road? That's what everyone wants to know. So Jupiter is going to change into Aquarius, which means it's going to be second from Saturn, which is actually not terrible. It's when Jupiter goes into the difficult positions from Saturn, which would be either six placements or eight placements away, that we have a crisis, major crises in the stock market and the economy. Now, that's not coming as soon as people are predicting. It isn't, not yet. So you're going to see the up and down waves that we've been seeing for over a year for a bit longer. So, but while Jupiter is in Aquarius, it really does bring people together too. Because remember, Aquarius is groups, organizations, and the betterment of the world. People are coming together as groups and in friendship to improve and make things better. And while Jupiter is in Danishta, there's a beat that keeps going that, that keeps the world still ticking and moving on. Things are happening. Things are getting better, especially with Jupiter in Aquarius. But when we get Jupiter in the Nakshatra Shatabishak, which is January 1st, I think that's going to change the whole temperament. This Nakshatra, it's intense. It's so intense. Well, Danishta is ruled by Mars, which isn't an easy nakshatra either. But I do like Jupiter being in Aquarius. But being in Danishta, that's a tough nakshatra because it's ruled by Mars. So even, even though the environment, things are coming together, there's great change in productivity in that arena, you're going to find that people are more warlike. And yes, I said December would be a month with major explosive, angry, and even an attack of some sort. Well, that could be definitely predicted because Jupiter is in Danishta, which is ruled by Mars. Then by January 1st, after the big explosion that I think could happen on New Year's Eve and day when Mars crosses that eclipse point, then Jupiter goes into Shatabishak. Shatabishak is ruled by Rahu and it deals with, it deals with some deep dark stuff. And actually it is the sign of the hundred healers. So it deals with healing in a deep sense of the word. So between January All Americans over 65 are getting a large benefit this month, but only if they claim it. If you were born before night. February 1st to March 2nd, 
Jupiter will be in Shadabishak. And you're going to see that the world is going to have to come together with some major plans to rid this virus. I know we've had the vaccines. The vaccines aren't working because half the people aren't getting them. So this needs to be looked at in a different perspective. And I believe that while Jupiter transits through this nakshatra, there's going to be some major changes with how we treat this virus to cure it and to get over it. Because by March, Rahu and Ketu change signs. And that's the big determinant of massive changes to come that will be a whole different world. So I think we're moving away from this virus once we have the nodal axis change from Taurus Scorpio. And they're going to change around mid-March to Aries and Libra. And that's going to be a healing of this virus. Now, don't think on the day that they change it's going to happen. But that's when the energy starts to begin to move in a different direction. That means we're going to have answers and we'll be able to move on from all of the lockdowns and the fear from this virus. Because the Shadabishak nakshatra deals with the hundred healers. It also deals with the sky watcher. And that means people are going to be looking for answers in the realm of astrology And they're going to be more interested in the heavens and space and, of course, space travel, because that is something that's becoming the new entertainment. People with megabucks can now travel into space. What an experience. So but I wouldn't be so apt to do that right away. There's something in the charts that I'm seeing that there could be a catastrophe with this at first. But. But we're gonna, but I'm gonna be talking about that more as I get into 2022 predictions. So, by March 2nd, till Jupiter will change April 13th. So March 2nd to April 13th, Jupiter will go into another nakshatra called Purva Bhadrapada. And that nakshatra is definitely very interesting. It's very strong. It is ruled by Jupiter. So this can open the door to many opportunities. But its symbol is a man with two faces. What does that mean? Well, that can mean someone that's two-faced. Or it can mean somebody that has two completely different personas uh, in their life, particularly maybe one at work and one at home. Completely different, like two personalities. But I think that there's going to be some very sneaky individuals that are coming in trying to get their foot in the door to run governments, and they may not be who they appear to be. So be on the lookout for that. That's what I see with that. Now, coming into Aquarius is uh, is going to be opening the door to everything that deals with air, communications, communications. This is an air sign and relationships, bettering relationships with countries around the world, but people coming together and finally being able to come together without masks on and, you know, really, really open the door to the way life used to be to a certain extent with our coming together with groups and friends and organizations, although 
is pretty well getting back to normal. But on top of that, Aquarius being the air sign means there's going to be some major uh, changes in how we travel. And now we have the electric cars and self-driving cars. All of this is going to move really fast as Jupiter moves fast through this sign. So there's going to be progress, progression, quick actions. Now, another thing I wanted to fill you in with just really quickly is how this is going to affect you according to your ascendant or your moon sign. Now, I already did a video on Jupiter going into Aquarius for all the signs, but with it moving faster, I want you just, I want to just give you the highlight of what you're going to experience in terms of moving forward. Of course, if you have Aquarius moon or ascendant, it's going to be all about expansion, all about your life expanding and coming together. And it's like a new awakening. Now, if you have a Pisces moon or ascendant, Things are going to come out from the past that you're going to have to look at. But if there's a healing, I guarantee you, you'll be traveling uh, to foreign places. If you have Aries moon or ascendant, then you're going to be meeting new friends, new groups, being part of organizations. And you'll be doing well financially as well. If you have a Taurus moon or ascendant, then your career opportunities are going to come to life. You're going to be presented with opportunities, expansion, anything to do with promotions and expansion with your business. This is the time. If you're a Gemini moon or ascendant, you're going to be traveling and you're going to be learning and teaching all sorts of new things. If you're a Cancer rising or ascendant, or moon, then this is the time that you're going to go into some deep psychological studies about yourself. And this is a good time to heal. If you're a Leo rising, or if your moon is in Leo, this is a time of relationships. If you're in a relationship, they'll improve, get better and heal. If you're not, you'll meet someone. If you have a Virgo moon or ascendant, then you're going to be doing your typical thing of getting more involved into health and healing and work. You'll be very busy. And if your rising or moon are in Libra, then this is a time you might want to expand your family, maybe have another child. And if that's not in the picture for you, it's a great time for creativity. And if your moon arisings in Scorpio, then this means that you may move, you may get a new house, or you're going to expand your house or renovate. If your moon arising is in Sagittarius, you're going to be traveling, exploring, maybe by car, short distance, but you may go back to school. There's something important that you want to learn, and you'll become closer to your siblings. And if you have a Capricorn moon or rising, then this is the time that you can make some good money quick and easy because the second house of finances and money is going to be expanded. So that covers all the signs in Jupiter in Aquarius. So remember, if you want to study Vedic astrology with me, 
My course is beginning in January. It's January 10th, the new start date for semester one with the University of Vedic Astrology. And don't forget, check out my beautiful new spiritual jewelry that I'm selling on my website. So go to galacticcenter.org and don't forget to sign up for my free newsletter. And also go to my university website if you've always wanted to learn Vedic astrology. This is the answer and this is the time. Starting January 10th, go to universityofvedicastrology.com. Thank you. Okay. So, Rama, what do you want to do next? Um, Greg Braden. All right, Greg Braden. Tell this us. This is nine minutes. This is uh, Greg Braden. The scientists called it an isolated miracle. I call it the power of human emotions. This is about transformation, transfiguration. Okay. <clears throat> when you call in the force, it changes your body, space, time. Listen. traditional techniques and said there's something there that shouldn't be there in your body and I had to think about that and I said hmm I travel the world and I show people this possibility from theory and now I'm having an experience what would this mean to me and I realized it was an opportunity for me to practice and trust within myself what I've been showing so many other people so that from that moment forward I could look at any human in the eye and I could say to them, I know you have this power and I can say this to you with confidence because I have healed myself doing exactly what I'm sharing with you right now. And that's what happened. I used the techniques that I learned in the monasteries in Tibet and I learned from the healers in China. However, I still went through the medical procedure because there's the part of the mind that questions. So I underwent the anesthetic, the doctors began to explore, and I woke up in the recovery room and the doctor said, what are you doing here? There's nothing there. There was never anything there. There was no scar tissue. There was no evidence. He said, why are you here? Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I began in my uh, waking up state to tell him about the power of human emotion to heal our bodies. And that's something that doctors don't like to hear. <laughs> However, I have shown this video not only to public groups such as the ones in Milan and um, in Germany and France and England. I've shown them to private organizations, the United States Air Force medical facilities. I've shown them to uh, medical conventions and medical doctors. Uh, and, and they will look at this as a isolated miracle. They say, yes, this has probably happened. It's a miracle. 
We'll come back and explore it later, but first we're going to find the cure for cancer because in their mind, there's a disconnect. In, in the mind of the modern medical practitioner, there is no relationship between heart waves, belief waves, electromagnetic fields in the heart in the healing of the body. In their mind, there is the model that you must either use chemicals or drugs or physically remove or alter the body in some way to affect the healing. Uh, and, uh, and I think this is changing. It's changing now. But whether it changes in the world or not, what I know is that I can go into any audience with any person on the face of this earth and I can look them right into the eye and I can tell them I know this is true and I know it because of my personal experience. Commercial. It's okay, Robert. The Arturian people, Pleiadian people, and the Assyrian people came to this world to... <laughs> when we say the practice for many people in the West, again, it sounds like something that we do sometimes. And the key to all of the traditions is that it becomes a way of life rather than something that we do sometimes. Our conditioning in the West is that our spiritual practice is something that we do at the end of the day when the children are fed and the bills are paid and the dishes are done and the clothes are clean and the lunches are prepared for the next day and then we go into a room and close the door and turn on the music and light the incense and burn a candle and by then it's 2 o'clock in the morning and we're too tired to do anything we take a deep breath and say a mantra and go to bed. <laughs> the point is, and that's an exaggeration, but for many people the point is that their spiritual practice is compressed into a few moments after everything else is finished in our culture ours being the West. However, you go into the Native American cultures in North America, South America, uh, again into the monasteries in Egypt and Tibet, their entire lives are the spiritual practice. And then every once in a while, they will stop that spiritual practice for a moment to, to make change for 20 euros. Uh, it's just the opposite of the way we, we think about life. So, so again, it's about becoming the practice and allowing it to be a way of life rather than viewing it as something that we do uh, in, in a moment in time. And this is, we, we do programs all over the world and people come after the program one days, two days, three days, and they say, great program, where is the next program? What should I study next? And I have to say to them, there is no more. Go home and experience and, and live what it is that you've learned here. But for some people, the the diversion, they, it's easier to go from workshop to workshop and study to study and teacher to teacher uh, rather than embrace and live what they've learned already in, in their lives. Everyone learns differently. And some people uh, need the support and the structure of a group or a teacher to mentor them through. And other people uh, need only a little, a little push, 
and a reminder of how it works and they have a discipline to live this on their own and that's what makes us unique we're all different we all learn differently uh we all learn from different language and that's why there's so many teachers that often teach the same thing and people come up to me uh, all the time and say this sounds very similar to what my buddhist teacher said or what a course in miracles says or what someone else has said and i i say well yes that's good because i expect if something is true you will hear it many different times in many different ways however while my language may work for some people other people they may learn better from another language and i've learned are we do workshops for children uh in second grade so they're 8 and 9 years old and we go into the school and the school invites us and when we do that i use very different language very visual programs no technical words a lot of direct experience and we pose it all as a mystery that has not yet been solved and these young people love to know that there's something left that they can still solve uh i speak to high school seniors we use a different language very different language we've gone into nursing homes where people have a very short attention span uh and the technical words will not work so we find another language People ask uh the question uh frequently within the divine matrix uh, is there a master plan uh do i believe that there is a master plan um and there are a number of different ways of of looking at this from the perspective of the ancient texts we are approaching a time in history a convergence time in history when our world and our bodies are about to change and all the rules that have worked up until this moment in time will change. We will still be here and there will still be a world, but the rules will become different. So from that perspective, the uh, the owner's manual, if you will, of how we work in this world that has been here for 5000 years, uh that divine plan may be coming to an end. We'll begin another plan. Okay, how about we do cry on now? Yeah. Okay, everybody. This is 33 minutes. What what is the topic he's working with, Ron? Kryon explains what happens when your pleading when your pleading akash starts to download. Oh my. This is what I, you know, like what Greg Braden just talked about when you talk to the force, it will talk to you and it will change your DNA. I speak from experience. And the first landing party mission to Earth were, were the Pleiadians. They landed on the backside in the Kalalau Valley of Kauai. Yes. And then they went to uh Haleakala from there on Maui. All right, let's do this. That was a long long time ago. 
Not so long ago, though, now. Mm. Let's go. Hi, everybody. Thanks for watching this. I wanted to tell you this is a little time-sensitive. Greetings, dear ones. I'm Cryon of Magnetic Service. My partner steps aside term that I have used for a long time. It would seem repetitious to some to explain yet again what this is about, but there are those who need to hear it, perhaps for the first time. Channeling is not a takeover of the human being. It's a melt. The meld is something that is not that unusual, not really. It involves what you already have activated to its fullest level. It involves what you already have activated to its fullest level. Now I'm going to get there yet again in a moment and bring this full circle. As it dissolves, my nitric oxide levels improve. So starting off my day depleted in nitric oxide. Channeling is not odd and unusual. It's just odd and unusual to you. Because a society that has its DNA only working at a fraction of its full potential, will not be able to see beyond itself. You don't know what you don't know, and what I mean by that is you have not seen yet what the potential is of you. Oh, really. Some of you in this room are just touching the surface of an expansion that is amazing. It goes beyond the 3D of you. It starts to become a bit multidimensional, and that is unusual to you. But I want to tell you that being in 3D is what you get when your DNA is not working at full potential. As the evolution of humanity starts to occur, you're going to see more and more unusual thinking. It started years ago with the children. That was a precursor, a, a warm-up for what's going to happen. The children are going to continue to be the leading edge of those who are different. There is still another wave of children with a whole different name starting to arrive on this planet. It will have such a different concept of the way things ought to work. They're going to bring a more harmonious solution to difficult, if not impossible, problems. Things that you never thought of, they'll have. 
But meanwhile, the old souls of this planet, using the wisdom of the past and their akash, are going to start changing both themselves and the planet. We have mentioned this. This could be an extension of the channeling of yesterday, but I don't want to call it part two because it stands on its own. It stands on its own. Dear ones, you are magnificent. And in the human body that you have now, some of you are just starting to see more. Some of you feel that perhaps your awareness is starting to shift because things are starting to become more complete for you. There's a few ahas for you. And you're wondering, why now? And what is this? You're simply starting to awaken in a grander way than you did before. And why would that be? Because you can't give it an allowance in this new energy for something very special. Awareness levels are going up. That carries with it many things, including fear. Fear that you're a bit unusual. Fear that you might be losing it. <laughs> because when you step into the multidimensional pond, it's very different. Very different. But it's happening, even in this room. It's not a new energy for you, dear ones. It is an energy that you're revisiting and remembering. You've been here before. I'm going to talk about that in a minute as well. Let's revisit something. Let's look at the history that you've just walked through. My partner has mentioned some of these dates in a timeline that is revolutionary. Revolutionary. The revolution is an energy. The revelation is that you are magnificent. 1987. The harmonic convergence. It was a precursor of what was to come. Truly, those who gathered around and celebrated that time didn't really know what was coming. It was almost like the beginning of the celebration of the awareness of the precession of the equinoxes was at hand. If you look at the timing of the precession of the equinoxes, we have said this before, we'll say it again, the astronomy of it, it's a 36-year window, 18 years up to the end of 2012 and 18 years out. And in that 36-year window, there is a grander potential of major shift than beyond it. And that is why there is some impatience when I say it's time to move. You've got a few years left. You're in the last 18. You've used four of them. There's time left. And you're starting to take advantage of it. Many of you are starting to awaken to a slightly different reality. The one I told you about last night is the reality that you deserve 
to be joyful. To love yourself enough to balance. And in that balance, you help the ones around you. If you're not in balance, you really can't do much. That requires the wisdom of an old soul. 1987, just the beginning. You really didn't know what was coming. You weren't into that 18-year run-up. Not yet. You got close to it. Crying comes in in 1989. My partner awoke with my presence and didn't understand it. Didn't acknowledge it. Came along very, very slowly. It was four years before we really understood it. 1993 was the year of the first crying book. However, January 1992 is with the end of the Cold War. That is when the Soviet Union ceased to exist. The disarming started of Armageddon itself. Take a look at the timing of this. 89 to 92, then to 93, it was happening quickly. The first crying book happened almost immediately after the Soviet Union fell over. And that is when I told my partner to release the information. There would be no Armageddon and there wasn't. And there wasn't. And there won't be. My partner went to Israel and he channeled me many times. But the one that really got to him when we see Pleiadian ships, we see the sphere of light because it's the Merkava moving when they took him to the valley of Armageddon where it was all supposed to start and end an ominous place the guide took my partner aside and he said this is not a place I want to be long the guide belonged there he was a citizen of Israel he lived in the land and he said this is a place It is dark. I hope we don't have to be here very long. The Israelis know. What a name. The Valley of the Armageddon. And I gave the channeling there and I said, stand up tall and celebrate the fact that what was going to happen here never will. That's what you did. Then the run-up started in the 18 years going to the 2012 date of December 21. That's when the energy started to shift dramatically. There were many things because of the ripple of time and the potentials that had to fit into a scenario way before 
any of this took place. And now you understand the significance of those who would be doing things on the planet that would make great differences. Like putting together the former enemies all over Europe into one coalition of trade. Something that began as a trade organization and then became an economic wonder. The former enemies for hundreds of years sharing the same currency, dropping their borders. I'll say this again to you. Do you think the EU is a failure? You're looking at a 50-year miracle. And it has to be now morphed into something that is better than it was. And you're seeing the, the extrapolations of the issues there that don't work into something that may. And the answer to some countries is to leave it alone, maybe to drop out of it. Others to say we can't have it yet. Others to say we want it, but this isn't a failure. This is a recalibration of some something amazing. You never did this, ever did this. Imagine putting together the strength of the enemies that were at each other hundreds of years. And suddenly they simply drop their borders and you just walk between them. That had to happen, dear ones. Even before 1992. And it did. Fifteen years ago or so, the information of the indigo children happened. All within the parameters here of that 18-year window into the middle The indigo children are simply children of new consciousness. They think differently. They act differently. They are the first wave of the evolution of consciousness. You're going to see more of this. Last night I told you that the old soul's task at this moment was multifold. There's three things I told you. Go listen to them. In order to cancel what we would call the ripple of doom. That feeling that it's still going to fail. You'd be 16 years out of the date that it was supposed to fail. And everyone's still saying it's going to fail. That you will destroy yourselves. That you can't help it. That's what humans do. Dear ones, that was the case. For over 50,000 years, that was the case. You've done it over and over. That was the case until now. Do you realize the barrier that you just crossed? Now, I want to tell you something that's going on. This is not a long channeling. Because what I'm about to tell you is a profound thing. Let's start at the beginning. With the evolution of the human being. One of the things that's going to start to occur is that you will have an akash that starts to meld or join with your consciousness. It's part of growing up. A DNA that starts to become more efficient is one that's going to start working better. And working better means that it's going to start connecting as it always should have. There's a reason why you carry your past life information around. It's been discussed and discussed.
The reason is, old soul, this shift. If you would make it past this, and you did, you would start receiving that which you've learned from your Akash. In other words, the wisdom of the ancients that you are and that you carry, shaman, will start to manifest itself. And it's not going to do it with you walking around, writing books, working on stage, and being shamans and gurus. It's going to start in everyday life with masters walking the earth, taking care of their children, going to work, walking to the store, treating people differently, showing light that nobody has seen before. That's what's going to happen. Yeah. Finding joy in their lives when all around there and all around them is not joyful. That's mastery. That's what's going to start to occur, and it's going to start to be able to be done because of the field. And we've told you this before. You have got something happening around you that wants you to succeed with putting things together. It's the new physics. It's the new magnetics. It's called the force. Listen. I can't say it enough. This is a full three months of food without needing any refrigeration or special storage. You're looking at our long-awaited three-month... We are beginning the keys to the kingdom. Right they here. They will come and help you. You want to know where this is coming from? It's coming from you. It's coming from the Pleiadians. It's coming from the from the nodes and the nulls that were set here. It's coming from the crystalline grid. A scenario, a confluence of many things that are starting to come together right now for you. Many things. It's been a tough time for many, especially the last few years, especially in the Department of Health and Joy and all of these things. Why don't we just proclaim the end of that now? The end of that. It's gone. These are old energies that are now not going to affect you in the same way. All the things around you may stay the same, dear one. But your countenance is going to get above them. And that's what the old soul does. That's what the mastery is all about. Claiming the love of God inside of you as the torch that is the light of the world, you. Now what happens when the Akash starts to meld with consciousness? The first thing is obvious. There will be remembrance of the past. We have gone through this. There are many channels. My partner's even writing a book. But there's something missing. What comes after that? What comes next? How far does your Akash go? Now you would say, well, probably to the very first lifetime on this planet, you'd be right. We have talked about something briefly that is extremely esoteric and not understood. It shouldn't be. It is something to do with what I will call 
the accounting of souls on the planet. It's called the cave of creation. The metaphor is that each of you has your own crystalline, you might say, piece of God in there. We told you before that all the souls that ever would be on the planet were already there, ready to be awakened and born. Now, that's difficult. That sounds like predestination. It is not. It is potential. We also told you that each time you come and go, you visit this esoteric place, metaphorically. And the lifetime you had and everything you did is etched into the crystalline that is you. Hard to describe this because everything we're telling you is in metaphors. It is not linear. And then we tell you, you come back and you pick up that lifetime and all the others. The crystal is a metaphor for remembering and it's put into your DNA. That's part of the Pleiadian system that they put here. It's so that you can remember and store the past life information and here you come into the planet with with DNA that doesn't work well and it just sits there and it just sits there and it just gathers there. Some of you feel some of it but you're not really sure what it is. And now that's about to change. Now that's old information. What could be new? Now I'll tell you what's new. You see, that whole system is being recalibrated because you made it past the shift. It's part of what the crystalline grid is doing because the cave of creation lies within its field. I don't expect you to understand that, but I will tell you this. We have not said this before. Your Akashic record is now growing and it's going to start to include where you came from before you got to earth now where do you think you came from dear ones I would like to introduce you to your past when one planet seeds another the well of souls come from the planet that seeded you you were Pleiadian. It's why you're so comfortable with four layers of Pleiadian DNA. You did this before. The souls in this room are so old and there have been so many planets that you've done this before. Now what happens when your Akash starts to awaken to a greater reality? A, real, a reality that is simply beyond earth now we're getting ahead of ourselves but we're really not what does the Akash feel like when you start to sense it it's not linear you're not going to get names and faces you're going to get feelings intuitions dreams if the Akash starts to get large for instance if it includes your life on another planet before you got here what did I tell you about the Pleiadian civilization? Briefly, I told you about the seven sisters, those nine planets that you see seven of. 
they have a civilization which is very, very old. Yours is very, very new. They've had a million years under their belt since they passed their marker, which was not a wobble, but it had to do with the stars. It always does. You were them. What do you think you learned before you got here? That is going to start to be felt, sensed, intuited. You won't recognize it. You won't know why. But here's how it manifests itself. You'll start to look at things and remember that you can control them. You wonder why you can't now. You start to expect things that are beyond anything a human being can currently do. And you'll wonder why you can't do it now. You'll see a failing body and you won't accept it. Because of what you could do before. And that starts to influence the 4D part of DNA you have now. It starts to then talk to that which is this planet instead of the last planet. It's going to enhance healing. You're going to feel it. You're going to know it. What happens when a human being looks at themselves and sees one thing and knows another? Today I'm going to show you how to make the survival food that saved America during the Great Depression. It's long-lasting. When you're told this or that, and you know better, because you know that in another reality, in another planet, you are able to do something, and that your whole body is saying, you should do it now, and there will be those who do it now. Because you carry in wisdom, knowledge, at a time when your DNA was working at 85%. 85%. When you could wish yourself somewhere else. When you become multidimensional anytime you wanted to. Where you could live for centuries if you wanted to. Where you could disappear into the cosmos and be part of it if you wanted to. And some of you are going to feel that. In other words, the mastery that you think is beyond anything and only reserved for a few, you're going to realize is still there and inside. Everything that ever was is inside your DNA. It's simply a matter of going and getting it. The idea that you have to work for something to be implanted into you is backwards. You may have to work at something to release what you have. It's already there. Everything is already there. Why don't you go get it? What happens with the human being is very interesting. Your brain, your heart, your pineal are all working together along with the field that wants harmony. And it starts to open boxes in your mind, in your consciousness, that allow you to do things you didn't think you could do. 
Now there will be those even old souls that say, well, that sounds great, but not me. And you know what? It won't be you. You just told your body you're not interested. The more you deny it, the more your body will cooperate with the denial. Do you understand this? If you're not on board, your body will say, you're not on board. In other words, your consciousness becomes king. Whatever you visualize and verbalize for you becomes you. That's how important this is. This is this message that I'm giving. What do you want to do? What do you really want to do? How would you like to live longer without the pain? Without the suffering? And instead have energy and joy? Is that what you're telling your body? Or do you look in the mirror and say, woe is me? And your body says, woe is you. Because <laughs> it will cooperate with whatever you give it. These are special times. There are times filled with more black and white than you've ever seen before. Have you noticed that your emotional ups and downs are getting larger? Have you noticed there's really no more fence sitting anymore? Nobody can keep secrets in the government anymore. <laughs> You're having things exposed right in front of your face. You can see the white hats and the black hats very clearly. That is going to increase. And with that comes exactly what I'm telling you. Your body is listening. What part are you going to play, dear Dear Pleiadian, what part are you going to play in the ascension of this planet? Start now. What are you telling yourself? What are you telling your body? What are you telling others? And I want you to watch something that you wouldn't expect. The more you verbalize the magnificence that you are or what you are, not what you want to be or not what you wish to be, the more you become it. The more healthy you complain, you, you complain about that you're not, you won't be. The healthier you say you are, you will be. Mm -hmm. This is because the body is simply sitting ready to obey the commands that you're giving it. Let me tell you something. You are in charge of everything inside you. Everything. Do you know what spontaneous remission is? Mm -hmm. It's the body listening. And doing what it's told. Mm. Are you ready for that? You can control it all. You always have been able to. But now the Akash is starting to awaken and remember a time when all you had to do was think about it and it happened. That is a very high consciousness with incredible power. That is what is starting to occur. The Akash is actually starting to recalibrate to include past planetary experience. And this is going to cause some frustration in some of you because you'll look at things and you'll say, why can't I change them? Because you remember you used to change them. That helps you to cognize what is possible, what is doable, instead of looking at things and saying, I can't, I can't, I won't. Instead, it'll say, you used to. Let's do it again. Mm -hmm. Let's do it again. Mm -hmm. 
you sit on the cusp of major shift. Don't watch your news because it will tell you differently. The news is still stuck in the rut yeah. of doom, just like the films you see. Mm-hmm. I told you last night, be prepared for some new script writers, some new films to talk about the magnificence of the society called humanity. Mm. Writing stories around the shift, really, in ways you've never seen. You see, it's coming from new consciousnesses that were not part of the doom cycle and that have disengaged themselves from it completely. This is the new human. Get ready for this. It's going to happen slowly in various ways. But get ready for dreams. Mm -hmm. Dreams that you can't explain where you can fly. Mm -hmm. Dreams you can't explain where anything that you can visualize can happen. That you then have an example and that others will look at you and say, how did you do that? And you would say, I just activated what I already have. And you do too. A catalyst for light on this planet. That's what you are. Brian, you always give such uplifting messages. When are we going to see it? How about now? (laughs) You're looking at God and saying, when are we going to get it? How about now? I'm looking at you and saying, when are we going to get it? We're going to get it when you cognize it and produce it. That's when we're going to get it. All of us. I'm part of the us. I'm crying in love with humanity. Watching a shift I've seen before. You did too. And that's in your gosh, dear ones. The last shift you went through, oh, a long time ago in another place. It should ring with you. It's here again. It's here again. It's here again. We can do it. We can do it. We can do it. The world is poised on some beautiful changes. When you get rid of the old cycles. Dark will eventually lose. You'll see a different kind of thinking. It's not going to be a Pollyanna earth. It's going to be a wise earth. There will be disagreements because there'll be different levels of wisdom. (laughs) But it doesn't include killing each other. No. That's where you're headed. If you will pick up the gauntlet and create it. That's the message. It's a big one. That's what's going on. There'll be more. And so it is. Hmm. You're welcome. Go ahead, honey. This is where I can say that what he's speaking about is as we think it, therefore it is. Mm -hmm. And something is shifting here on this planet. Like he said, we can fly, we can walk on water, we can heal, we can raise the dead. It's right here 
Go watch Captain Marvel again. That's all I got to say. Well, we got something to listen to that leads right into what you're talking about, Rama. This is called Exploring Extrasensory Consciousness. The power of human consciousness is still not fully understood. Caroline Corey is the award-winning filmmaker of Superhuman, The Invisible Made Visible. Her Her documented studies of psycho- Kinesis, precognition, and telepathy are helping to expand public understanding of skills which are not yet developed in many of us. Corey describes the interconnection of our consciousness with the fabric of the entire universe, which allows us to move and act in ways previously not understood. As individuals, we may be able to use our minds to directly control matter and gain new perceptions. Continuing her research into consciousness, Corey also mentions her work as an upcoming document on an upcoming document investigating the UFO phenomena. So this is George Nury with Caroline Corey. Here we go. This is 40 minutes, everybody. And I just wanted to say that as we go out into Father Sky, Mother Earth, take what Cryon is saying and play with your energies in the office of the Christ. Yes. Because what you think, it's right here in your face. I started having experiences. I would look at someone and I would see their uh, consciousness. and But I could also see beings. I could see angels and things like that. And at that age? Yes. Remarkable. There is a measurable connection between mind and matter. I wanted to understand the mechanics of it. What did my brain have to do to get there, to receive information that nobody told me about beforehand. Is there a force that's doing it? You are the force. What do you need to do in your consciousness to make something happen? So the idea is for everyone to be conscious, to be consciously creating so that you're not allowing the consciousness of another to impose or or supersede or interfere with what you're trying to create. That's remarkable. What a tool, if you can master. And welcome to another edition of Beyond Belief. Caroline Corey with us, an award-winning filmmaker, best-selling author, founder of Omnium Media, which is a film and digital media production company that jumps in and tackles various thought-provoking topics. Caroline, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me, George. How are you? I'm awesome. What have you been up to these days? Well, uh, just uh, working on Superhuman, getting it out there. It's a great film, I hear. It is 
Amazing. It's available on Gaia now too, right? It's on Gaia, so everybody should watch it. Um, and I'm also in pre-production on my next movie. So you don't stop. I don't stop. I know. I mean, How did you get involved in this field that we're going to talk about? Well, when I was younger, I was five years old. I started having experiences. I would look at someone and I would see their uh, consciousness. I would see what was going on for them. Really? Yes. What would happen to them the next day? Um, sometimes I would see what's on the other side of a wall, things like that. So was it genetic? Um, passed down from your mother or your father? I don't know. I think maybe I, th- I think I had a grandmother that had something like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but I could also see beings. I could see angels and things like that. And, At that age? Yes. Remarkable. And so, but I didn't think it was anything special. I thought, Oh, all kids do that. So I didn't really talk about it. Um, but it kind of stayed with me. I kept thinking, how is that possible? Is everybody doing this? And how does it you really work? You thought it work? was natural, didn't you? Yeah. And how does it really work? Like, I wanted to understand the mechanics of it. What did my brain have to do to get there, to receive information that nobody told me about beforehand? And so because of this, I started to get into the field of consciousness, uh-huh. consciousness okay. science. Um, how does the brain work? Um, does it trigger these experiences or is it something else? What is the connection between consciousness, our mind, our intention and our physical brain? So 20 years later, you know, uh, yes, <laughs> working, uh, teaching, lecturing, writing books, working with hundreds of people, I realized this is this is real. This there is actual science behind no, it. No question about it, it's real. No question. Uh, and what happens is that you get validation. So for example, if something if you see something um that was going to happen the next day and it does happen, I mean that is validation. If you see something that the person is struggling with and then they go to the doctor and, and, you know, it's, it's diagnosed that way. That is validation. So if you keep having validation after validation, at one point you go, okay, I'm not crazy. There is something that are, we can tap into mm-hmm. to receive information. Uh, the mechanics of it, we're still trying to figure out, but it is a definite phenomenon that's very real. And I think everybody is doing that without even knowing. Caroline, let's get into mind over matter. Yes. In your opinion, what is mind over matter? Well, basically, it's the ability of focusing your mind on something physical, matter, and get it to change according to what your intention is. Sure. So, for example, um, if my heart rate is going crazy right now, or I have a headache or something like that. Is it possible for your mind just through intention to focus on your head or your stomach, whatever it is, make that change and make that change. Um, So I, like I said, it's not just experiential. We started working with scientists in laboratory measuring exactly that interaction for example, we worked with water. We would put a glass of water 
and focus on it and see if we could change the pH. Could it go up? Could it go down? Okay, Doctor, like Dr. Emoto's experiments. Emoto, but um, William Tiller. Yeah. He did uh, a phenomenal experiment with the pH of water. And so just for people to know, when we set up a, a scientific experiment, we take what we call a baseline. So we take measurements over and over and over for a long period of time. And then exactly at a certain point, you focus on the water and you see if you can get the pH to go up or down. And exactly at that time, you see the measurement jump up, you know, 100%, 400%. And then when you stop looking at it, it goes back to the baseline. So that time correlation, when we repeat it again, becomes a scientific validation. So we've done that over and over. And sure enough, there is a measurable connection between mind and matter. It's a powerful tool, isn't it, Caroline? It's very powerful. The ability to do that change things exactly and people don't realize i mean already just with water we are made of water so if we can do this uh, in a glass of water why couldn't we do it on our body that's why a full moon plays havoc on our brains right exactly everything is interconnected so there's i mean to me of course i've come to the conclusion that consciousness is fundamental meaning it is part of all of life it's part of the fabric of life itself. So whether it be a physical object, a biological system, your body, or your mind, it's just another part of that fabric of consciousness itself. Train us a little bit in Mind Over <laughs> Matter. You, we've got uh, your series, Superhuman, which is now on Gaia. Yes. And you explain how you can train people with some exercises. I asked PK practitioner and meditation teacher Sean McNamara to facilitate a session with my friend Rachel, who had never practiced PK before and was eager to try. Sean, I'm so excited about this. I mentioned Rachel to you. I can't tell you how excited I am. I cannot wait to learn. Yeah. It sounds like... You have a lot of confidence already. Like some part of you already believes that it's possible. Is that true? Oh, I do. I have been studying and so passionate about the power of thought and intention. I mean, ever since I was 14, you know, through a really difficult time in my life, I saw a movie that changed my life and I had this like very life-changing experience. I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to perform. I want to act. I want to inspire people just like that film did for me through focusing on that, intending it, writing it down, having vision boards, like seeing it, watching it every day, seeing myself do it every day. I ended up playing the lead in the sequel to that same film six years later, something that everybody told me was impossible. Where you place your awareness is where energy goes. Mm. That's basically all we're doing here with this psychokinesis experiment. We're going to produce movement by using our mind in a certain way. And it's really like baking a cake. You put all the right ingredients together, and you put them in the oven, and you give it enough time. And when enough time has passed, you pull out this beautiful, delicious cake. And no calories involved. <laughs> <laughs> it is a meditation process in itself. And the way other types of meditation have those life lessons wrapped in, you see it right in front of your eyes. If you're too tense, it stops moving. When you relax, it starts moving again. If you don't give it enough time, it doesn't work. If you let go, it works. So this is just 
another way of showing showing those basic life principles that we all know about. And so at this point, we can lift up your container, and you'll want to do this very slowly because when you do it too quickly, it knocks off the tin foil from the needle. And then you'll want to just put your hands on the glass on either side of the object. Eventually, it'll start responding to your breathing pattern and to the level of relaxation in your mind. So yeah, when it starts, it means that the shift has occurred within you. And mine just started responding too. So I think we're sharing a field now. <laughs> this is so cool to watch. Yeah, I mean, it was totally still. It's moving. As maybe silly to some as this may sound, sending love to the material, saying like, you know, I love you. Like, let's work together on this. Let's be one. You know, let's move together. Look what it's doing as you're talking about love. Your heart's opening as you're、yeah. talking about it, and it feels it. And I can also feel whenever I start to feel those ego thoughts or wanting to get it right or afraid of failure, then there's this disconnect.、Um, and I think that's so powerful to understand that, that that's the whole thing of ego. It's like the want to get it right is can block you, but when you just allow and and be filled with love and energy, like amazing miraculous things can happen. What an amazing experiment, Carol. Yes. How does that work? Well, mind over matter. <laughs> Simple no, as that. Yeah, but honestly, it's really、uh, people don't realize that everything is interconnected. That's the idea.、Right. As we were doing these experiments, it was very, very important to shift your perception, your perspective,、mm-hmm. that、uh, I am separate from this physical object and I want to make it move. It doesn't work this way. You can try as hard as you want; it doesn't、it、work this、happen. way. Yeah, but the minute—that's why we talked about how she she started talking to it as if it was part of her, and talking about love. It was amazing. The minute she started to think and feel that this object was kind of an extension of her, and she was just projecting love, the thing responded instantaneously. Is there a force that's doing it? You are the force. That's the idea. And so, so of course, like an people, invisible hand is in there moving it around. Or yeah.、What? So, so for, you can do it in many different ways. You can imagine, for example, we we helped Rachel because she had never done it before. So we would tell her, just imagine that where you think your hand is ending and this piece of paper is there. Imagine that your hand is extending. Into, into the paper, the paper, and then so as you are moving or as you are thinking that you are moving, the paper can start to rotate. Tell us about Mr. McNamara, who was there conducting the experiment. Yeah, so so in the movie, I wanted to bring different people who did this. I didn't want to like be the only one,、right. you know, to show that many people can are do can do this、yeah. and are doing this. And so so I asked Sean; he's been doing telekinesis for a while. And I said, "Why don't you come and you know facilitate that that session、um, so that people can see it on camera?" And you know, we're filming here. It's it's not so easy. You have electromagnetic, you have you know camera equipment, audio cables, people looking at you, wanting you to succeed. Are you going to succeed? At, you know, this is all energy and information that's kind of interfering with what you're trying to do. So. You really have to know how to focus and 
shifts that perception to that point of really believing that that object is not separate from you. How would you use mind over matter in your day-to-day life? Obviously, you don't want to use it just to make little aluminum foil spin around. How would you apply it? Yeah, exactly. It's not about the piece of paper. But as you are doing this work, you begin to understand so much about you, about what do you need to do in your consciousness to make something happen? That's the idea. So, of course, here is just a small segment of the film. And we saw that, you know, the, the piece of paper was right there. But then uh, at one point, uh, we did the exact same experiment in a Faraday cage, meaning completely isolated. Isolated. Nothing can get to it. Nothing can get to it. And at a distance. So now we were able to prove and demonstrate that your consciousness is non-local. Even at a distance, I was in Los Angeles and the scientist was in Oregon. And we were able to do the exact same. Yeah, exactly. So, So when you see these experiments, you start to kind of feel more empowered that, wait, if I did that to the piece of paper, not just sitting in front of me, but a thousand miles away, It means my mind can do something. So let me see today. How am I feeling? What is it that I want to create? We talked about not feeling well physically, for example. Mm -hmm. Why not just use your mind? We are so programmed when something is not feeling quite right. We are programmed to think, "Uh uh-oh, what's wrong? Am I getting sick? What should I do? You know, what do I need to take? We're conditioning ourselves. Exactly. So the way we can use this in our daily life is to begin to introduce it in our daily life through every little thing that we do. Uh, we're not feeling well physically. We want to create something. For example, I had a fun experience coming here with Tom, your Tom. My producer Tom. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it may sound... You Why know, did you do this, time? Yeah. <laughs> it may sound like totally out there to a lot of people, but honestly, if you start doing this thing, you will realize that there is a correlation. So, it was a snowstorm, nonstop two days. Yep. We, we didn't constr- think we'd get here. Exactly. And also, I have to get out of here, you know, when we're done. So, so we focus. I mean, you know, I said, that's it. I need to get in there. You need to come here. <laughs> we need to get this done and, and do the work on schedule. And sure enough, it went from 100% to 60% to 40%. It's not even snowing. It's sunny out now. It's nice out. I know. And getting warmer. I know. And so, so people would say, wait, okay, it's a coincidence. Okay. But next time you're in a parking lot, you're carrying all these groceries and it's pouring rain and you've got to walk to your car. Okay. And you don't and have an umbrella. You don't right? have an umbrella and you're like, um, can I make this, the rain stop for just a minute just so I can get in the car? You know, and it works. I've tried that and it and does work. It does work. Strange. So that's so when you take an isolated example, people would say, okay, it's a coincidence, you know, dismiss it. But when you do it over and over and over, you start to feel that you're not separate. You're not separate from the planet, from the weather, from others. And so you use your consciousness to, to, to your benefit, to make you feel good, to create what you want. That's how we can use it. Let's look at a clip from your film, Superhuman, on Mind Over Matter. 
the idea is then to try to influence this piece of paper that's totally isolated and get it to rotate. To rotate without any effect from any known physical forces. You explained to me that it's actually quite difficult to do it with a vacuum. Um, so there's. So actually, that- it's impossible. So not just difficult, which is why I've added a, a little twist, which actually allows me to accomplish this in a vacuum. Something very similar to this is inside the uh, the container, and so what I'm doing is I'm adding random mechanical fluctuations or perturbations to the target by. Controlling the amplitude of the signal that gets to the speaker, we can control the amplitude and, and how much motion is actually induced in the target, but typically it's probably less than a millimeter. It doesn't cause any large-scale order rotation, but rather just this very small oscillation of the target. The standard protocol for doing a proper experimental design is you obtain a baseline period, just establishing that there is no motion there is no environmental effect. So what you're saying when we are creating the baseline over several hours, uh, this very small uh, linear oscillation is taken into account. Right. And uh, will be visible. And will be visible. So we know that by the time you're influencing the target, we see a big difference and we see the rotation that is coming from the consciousness or the intent as opposed to from the little speaker. I'm going to let you try it yourself. I'm going to leave you some space. What happened? You can see here's the baseline and it shows that the target is is randomly moving back and forth, um, maybe like a degree or so peak to peak. And then at this point here, you see a, 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 a larger rotation. It's not something that I am willing with my mind and saying, you know, move or, you know, do this like a command, but rather... It's it's much more of a feeling of connectedness. That's truly fascinating, isn't it? You, it makes you wonder, what else can you do with mind over matter physically? Like you said, make it stop raining for a little bit so you can rush to your car. There are all kinds of applications, aren't there? Exactly. And I think uh, the idea is some people say, well, wait, uh, are you interfering, you know, with the collective or are you doing something that you're not supposed to be doing? Maybe the earth wants well, to rain, maybe, you know, uh, or, for example, focusing on a hurricane or something, an earthquake or something that, you know, is about to have, of course, we feel earthquakes, but <laughs> that hasn't been proven yet how that's possible. But the point being, when you project your consciousness and you want something to change, are you interfering with the bigger, larger order of things? Does negativity influence mind over matter and make it not work? Make it not work. 
Yes. However, I truly believe that positive thinking is the dominant force. I agree. Because I agree. Because you're working with the universal forces of the universe. The universe is programmed to want to thrive, to evolve, to create, not to self-destruct. And so that is a positive uh, evolutionary pattern that you're working with when you have positive thoughts. And so if somebody's trying to stop you, it's kind of, you know, based on uh, separation, on control and that's the reason why I don't think it would work. I'm going to give you an example and you tell me what you think happened here. Okay. I'll cite my producer Tom again. He and I were at an event in Laughlin, Nevada and when it was over Tom said, hey, what do you want to do? Where do you want to go for dinner? Let's go to this little casino. Let's have a few drinks. Let's have some fun. <laughs> okay, we're done. We're done for the night. Sure, let's do it. So we go and we decide to sit at a blackjack table, okay? This is a different kind of blackjack table. It's got a wheel that if you get a blackjack and you put a dollar in this little circle, you get to spin the wheel and you get whatever it clicks to, up to $1,000, some of it nothing, but it's on this wheel. So we're playing and there's three of us there. There's me and Tom and some guy we don't know. And the guy we don't know is sitting between us. And I get a blackjack and I had a dollar in this little circle. So I'm allowed to have them spin this wheel and we will get, I will get whatever it clicks to. So Tom said, let's concentrate on the thousand dollars. So the guy spins it. Click, 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 click. It's coming up to a hundred dollars, passes that up. Five dollars, passes that up. It's coming up to the thousand and it's getting slower and slower and slower. And Tom says, George, concentrate, concentrate. So I am. And he is the guy in the middle goes, nah, this doesn't work. It stopped one click before the thousand. I got like $2. Oh my God. <laughs> I contend that this guy's negativity screwed that up. What do you say? I understand it may look that way, but I think what screwed it up is the fact that it threw you off. He threw me off. Yes. Yes. So you were sending positive, 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 Tom was positive. Sending positive. But the second, the second he said that you kind of dropped that focus. Well, but wasn't he also sending negativity? For sure. For sure. So but who's I, to say the negativity didn't pull it down? Mm, I don't know. I want to think it's it's really just the positive thinking that you that you kind of lost right there. One of many uh, Gaia documentaries is called Down the Quantum Rabbit Hole, and Dr. Joe Dispenza talks about mind over matter and how it can heal the body. I like the placebo effect because it has to do with a person's acceptance. It's really what it's about. For example, they took these group of people that had uh, Parkinson's disease. And in Parkinson's disease, there's a problem in the brain with making dopamine. There's a little nuclei called the substantia nigra that stops making dopamine. And of course, when there's no dopamine, the body starts to respond differently. We have musculoskeletal problems. We have tremors and what's called intention tremors. Or we have, you know, foot shuffling or we have pill rolling. And these are... Uh, 
muscular actions that supersede our voluntary control. We can't control those. So they took a group of people that had Parkinson's disease and they said to them, now listen, we have this injection. It's going to make you better. Well, 50% of the people that got the injection all of a sudden lost all their motor dysfunction. In other words, they weren't pill rolling, they weren't shuffling their feet anymore, they didn't have intention tremors when they were grabbing uh, for objects. So the doctor said, well, you know, that's a great example of a placebo, you know, it's all in your mind. But when they checked the dopamine levels that were produced in the brain, the interesting thing that happened was that the brain started making dopamine because they accepted that they were well. In other words, their thought that they were well allowed them to begin to be well. And if you're being well in the quantum field, the observer has to supply the chemistry to match who you're being. You've used this, haven't you? That's exactly right. So what happens is that it's your consciousness, it is your intention that directs what you want to see happen. But then your brain responds to that command and triggers whatever physiological change it needs to make that change happen. So it's that is the interaction between consciousness and the physical brain. But it makes it happen, doesn't it? Exactly, exactly. It's tremendous abilities. How have you used it in healing? All the time, all the time. Like I said, this morning, I had a bit of a, you know, little canker sore thing starting. I was like, oh, this is a sign usually of acidic um, environment in the stomach. So instead of going, oh, I got to go to the pharmacy or why or how come, it doesn't matter. Try not to go there. So I just quickly focused on actually bringing some light around it, but more importantly, changing uh, the environment, uh, the acidic environment in my digestive system. Within seconds, it was completely it gone. It happens that fast. Yeah, I, and, and you know how painful that is. Oh, yeah. So, so you know, <laughs> I'm not going there. And so, you know, that that's how I use it all the time, all the time. When I'm also with people, when we're filming or it doesn't matter, with friends, uh, they start having a headache. Um, so, so I try to encourage them right there, you know, just focus on the headache being gone. And I help them just uh, flow the energy better. And the headache is gone within seconds. Is the focus like meditation? Yes. Is it one of the same? But it's also condensed like what uh, Dr. Spencer was saying. It has to do with belief. You know, when you do it over and over, you you really get the validation and you start to believe. This time when I'm going to say it, it is going to happen. So you get better at it. You just have to kind of keep going there and train yourself, program yourself that it is possible. Do it a few times, then that's it. You, you it, it becomes an automatic thing. Is there any limit to what you can do with mind over matter? I don't think so. I mean, but another thing I want to say, I want to talk about that could be very relatable to people. Uh, people say, okay, well, can you use it for like chemtrails or, you know, or things that are being 5G, that we're being bombarded with things that are very, very powerful, not just a stomach ache or something like that. Well, we've tried it. I tried it because I really feel that when the chemtrail, those chemicals come, come through or, yeah. So 
So this one time I was with a friend and we started to see those, <laughs> those things, uh, you know how they are. They're they, up there. Yeah. And then I, I mean, it's so, so clear. It looks like sky. paper. Yes. Yes. So I said, you know, I don't know what this is, but every time it really messes me up. So let's see if we can use all of this work that we've been doing together sure. and get it to stop. So. I don't really know how it's being done. I don't know if, if the pilot, is he like pressing on some sort of button or something? Mm -hmm. Does he even know it's happening? Oh, yeah, the pilot knows. Yeah. So, but I, in other words, I don't know what I want to interfere with, what I want to. All I know is that I don't want to be affected negatively right. by this thing. So, focusing on this intention, we are both looking at this thing. And thinking, whatever's being dumped on me, I don't want to absorb it. I don't want to absorb it. And so, so, so we literally see that thing. You know, I mean, it's very, very clear in the sky. Absolutely. And it literally stops right in the middle. Because usually it kind of like... It dissipates. Slowly, yeah, usually it kind of like gradually gets smaller and smaller, uh -huh. smaller and then it dissipates. It was like a... <laughs> and you cut I, it off right there. Yeah, and then I said, "Did we just do that?" And and then we did it again, and we did it another time, and it does work. So you start to wonder. It's not just about those little things, you know. Your stomach, which is not that little, but still, like it's not just your physical body, but even things that we think we have no control over, the vaccines, maybe the five G, maybe. You know, why not? The power of the mind, isn't it? Absolutely. There's a documentary, of course, that we just mentioned down the rabbit hole on Gaia. But this time, Professor William Tiller talked about intention and how you can use it. We took two simple black boxes like this. Uh, inside is a very simple electric circuit with a few diodes, um, oscillator, EEPROM, some resistors and capacitors. Basically, that's it. We wrap one in aluminum foil. We put it in an electrically grounded Faraday cage. The other we set on a tabletop around which four very well-qualified meditators, highly inner self-managed individuals sit. And they go into a deep meditative state. They cleanse the environment. They make it essentially a sacred space using their mind cleansing procedures and their intentions. And then one of the four speaks the specific intention for this device. The intention is to influence a particular target experiment. Um, might be the to increase the pH of purified water by one full pH unit, or to decrease the pH by one full pH unit. We've used these devices on all those experiments and have been robustly successful. In the meditative process, then after one speaks the particular intention. It's held various ways by the four for maybe 15 minutes and then so be it. It's let it go. And then a subsidiary intention is stated to seal that imprint into the device. We take one of these devices with this aluminum foil. We put it in a soft package. We put it in a FedEx packet. We ship it 2,000 miles away to the laboratory we were using up in uh, Minnesota. And as soon as it arrives there, it goes into its own electrically grounded Faraday cage. The next day we do the same with the control. The experiment is running and basically then one just takes the device out, 
sets it beside the experiment within six inches to a foot and turns it off for a period of time. That's it. Now, we learned over some period of time that there was another factor. We found that the use of these, we call them intention imprinted electrical devices, the continued use of this somehow conditions the space to some higher level of symmetry. And we start getting new phenomena. That is, the devices work. That is, the pH, which is normal, starts rising one full pH unit, if that was the imprint, or starts dropping. Living system, you go plus or minus a half a pH unit in either direction, you're dead on both ends. So these are very big effects. Uh, so, for example, in terms of, of healing, one of the things that we ultimately expect to do is to be able to broadcast this so that we create an environment where people are 500 or 1,000 miles away or 10,000 miles away, wherein they can use their intention to enhance their health. A professor who obviously believes in intention. Absolutely. It works. I mean, these scientists are doing it correctly, obviously, you know, rigorous scientific. And I like the fact they're getting involved in this, too. Exactly, exactly. It's no longer this woo thing out there, you know, it's it's measurable. It's repeatable. Uh, So now this becomes a serious science. They, They don't understand how it happens. They just know what's happening. Exactly. And I think that's what we're still trying to figure out. Uh, why it happens, because the the problem with uh, other types or mainstream science doing experiment is that every single time, you know, you have two plus two, you're always going to get four, no matter what you do. That's mainstream science. But in this type of science, one day you're going to be able to raise the pH one full decimal. The next day, maybe two decimals. And then the third day, maybe half a decimal. So... Even though you are producing a measurable result, because the result is not always exactly the same, I think current science or mainstream science would say, let's dismiss it, it doesn't mean anything. But wait, <laughs> it shouldn't have had any effect at all, you see. And so, so I think that's what we're trying to figure out. Why is it that we do have a measurable effect, that that effect, I want to call, I want to say it's it's subjective. It's subjective. Do you think we can change the mindset of a person through intention? Of course. Just we by do that concentrating on them and stuff like that? You concentrate. I concentrate on, you know, the boyfriend. He gets up and does the laundry. Or <laughs> he, he didn't want to, but you made him do it. Yeah, right? yeah, of course, we're joking around. No, but but seriously, I mean, you do... We are influenced by people all the time. I mean, uh, if someone has a strong uh, energy and wants to dominate the the space that you're in, uh, hopefully it's for the better, right. you know, then you do feel that energy. So the idea is for everyone to be conscious, to be consciously creating so that you're not allowing the consciousness of another to impose or, or supersede or interfere with what you're trying to create. It's remarkable. What a tool. If you can master it and use it the right way, you can do all kinds of things with this. Exactly. I mean, when I'm teaching a class and I feel chaos, you know, and, and people are 
you know, they come from different places. Sure. They just arrived. Uh, the energy is very chaotic. People are frustrated. Things are kind of, all, and I want people to focus. So I start to project the energy of calm, of focus, of connection, connection with source, you know, bring that sort of energy and without even doing anything, people start to just kind of be at ease and relax. And, and it works. Exactly, exactly. What's your next project, Caroline? It's actually, we're still in pre-production. It's on UFOs. Really? Yes, but it's the science behind it. And your theory is they do exist. A hundred percent. I've seen them. Now, having said that, um, there's also, I believe, human technology out there. So it's a little bit of a mixed bag. And I think that's what's so confusing. Well, they're saying now that, you know, there's something flying around our destroyers, our USS Navy destroyers. But today I saw a theory that said they could be Russian or Chinese supersonic drones. Mm. Who knows? Yeah, exactly. I think some of them are drones and some of them are our technology, but there's certain things we've seen. I've seen them above my house. For people who want to watch the series Superhumans, they can go to Gaia.com. Absolutely. Sign up and watch it. Yes, absolutely. Superhuman, the invisible made visible. You're happy with that the documentary series? I'm very happy because up until now, you know, many, as you can see, many people have been talking about mind over matter. Our mind creates, our consciousness creates. But I feel this film is the first time where we get to see on camera these experiments being done. Absolutely. And uh, also showing how a science, uh, scientific experiment is being set up right there on camera. So I think this is very powerful. I think... It hasn't been done before. And that's the reason why I'm very, very optimistic. Plus, as you know, we bring uh, other example of children and people Absolutely. reading blindfolded, seeing behind their back. I mean, all this scientifically demonstrated. I think it's never been done before. Caroline, thanks for being on Beyond Belief. Thanks so much for having me. This was awesome. I've always been a believer in mind over matter. But after watching some of these clips and some of these examples... Now I'm totally convinced we can change the outcome with just our thoughts. I'm George Nori. Thanks for watching Beyond Belief. Okay. What do you want to do next, Rama? Mm, this, um, Matthias. that what you want to do? Okay. Okay, tell everybody what we're going to do next. Um, this is uh, Matthias Stefano talking about the Confederation and divine evolution and how the different beings came from the different constellations to help us manifest what we got here. This brings in the story of the whales and the dolphins I talked about earlier how all these beings are part of the confederation okay let's do this this is 26 minutes everybody
Amin. chosen to become gods. I am your host and guide, Matias Estefano. In this episode, we will explore why the Confederation decided to make humans into gods and how this decision rippled through the galaxy. The main concept of the whole universe is to be aware of the self, and that self is what we call now God. So, in the first dimension that God was created by itself, by the idea of a creator generating all the vibrations in the universe, so every timeline, every spots of the space in every dimension, the main structure that he created, that it created to shape this idea of finding itself was this first geometrical path towards the time and space that was designed in the sixth dimension. Through the sixth dimension, the patterns start to breathe and to flow into the fifth and the fourth dimension by time and the idea of the purpose of reaching the concept of God. The fifth dimension would help us to understand the main idea of the whole process. We needed to evolve, to prove ourselves that we were able to become gods ourselves. And that means that this idea of the tree the tree creating itself and expressing itself in so many different beings, but in the last process of its creation, it would create thousands of seeds that has the same potential that the whole tree. So whenever they are seeded, they could become their new gods, the new universes. And this concept, it was the process in which the universe expressed itself outside and create the seeds so it could return to itself, finding that every part of itself was just a fertilization, a tiny part of it. So every one of those seeds was the connection to get into the consciousness of the awareness of the self, so the beings in the tree could realize that they are God and that they can become new gods. So all the process of evolution in the unconscious way of matter was to improve itself as much as possible to reach the forces of the sun, of the light in the galaxies, to reach the main source of energy through the light. And in the consciousness way was to seek that light inside, within. So the unconscious path would look the answers and feed the emotions through the outer world, the outer material creation, while the conscience would reach the main idea of God in the self within. The main structures that move around the universe are the stars and the galaxies that holds this pattern of creation, that holds this pattern of the divine, reflecting the different aspects of the self towards the matter. 
these portals are called the constellations that from the sixth dimension breathe the energy like a heartbeat from the core of the universe and the aware of the self in the in, in, of God towards every part um, of the separation, the distortion of realities. So this breathing would contact the main idea of the divine with the aspects in the matter of the divine. This means that around the whole universe, we would have these patterns in the stars that would model our structure of who we are and that will settle the path towards this recognizement. And we needed to go through all this path to understand that every reality that we were living was just an aspect of God, of the goddess. When a planet starts to be aware of itself, going from the unconscious process to the conscious process, all the portals through the constellations to the core of the universe are being opened and start to breathe the information. And that means that every being in the constellations can feel how these worlds start to be breathing and eating this energy in between dimensions so they could reach more awareness of themselves. This is the moment, the pattern, when all the conscious beings of the Confederation who are living in these different planets around the constellations can reach, can seek for those planets that are being connected to this network to become part of the aware God. So this create the idea, the path that every being in those constellations has to go to those planets and seed the seeds of this information. They became the fruits, the flowers of this big tree of life in the universe. And they took the seeds from within to seed it in these worlds. So these worlds could be again like this planets that become new trees so they could breathe and they could create a new reality. In order to do that, we needed to seek for the conscious society or the conscious beings in this planet to improve their DNA so they could download that information in the planet, they could understand that information and to be ready to become the words of, of God in material shape. That was the plan of building societies around every constellation that represent gods on matter. And that was the goal that in our planet was called making humans into gods. Making humans into gods, as we did in different other planets in different constellations, was to bring the information from every constellation and to shape the path towards the self, to shape the path to awake the potential that we had in our DNA and also seed this potential from other trees so we could have all the information from other plants that had already worked in this process. The way you can tell when is the moment when a planet is becoming aware is by the position of these portals around the planet. From the perspective of the planet, you can see every portal around you and you can see the connection between them 
creating the spectrum of the path. The spectrum of the path would be the 12 beings that are creating the path for the biggest species in the reality, which is the species of earth, the water, air and fire. These species create these paths towards the enlightenment, towards the awareness of, of a being in which we have to go through all of them to understand every perspective of, of a self, of the, of a planet. So that allows us to, to receive the information from different dimensions. It's like to understand the whole world, you have to go and meet every country and understand every culture so you can understand how the, the world thinks. So to, to know how God thinks and to become this God, you need to go through the process of understanding how to become this God in the different aspects of the constellations. That's what we call astrology. That's what we call the main portals of the galaxy. From our perspective, we are seeing these patterns in these four groups of three constellations. This process would show us the 2,500 years, mostly, that each one of those times were needed to see the, the main codes of the DNA from the other constellations to this planet. So that was the molding of the eras when humans and other beings like Nemnir, like Aesir, like Alithir came to this planet so they could seed their own seeds in the earth. And that's why they needed the energy of these structures of the portals in the galaxy so they could see that. The timelines of these constellations would show us the moments when the Confederation found the doors to build realities in our world. And that is why it's so important for us to understand the ages, the times when this was created and how the DNA was transformed through these portals. For us, the most important time of Earth was the one that helped to organize everything and to put order into the idea of who we were in these constellations and the confederation. It was the moment when humanity was able to understand their purpose. It was the moment when the people of Earth could work hard in order to put order in every one of those portals, to seek those portals and to make a balance in between all of them. This time was the period of Virgo. And Virgo was the period of time when the constellation helped the energy of the planet to create the idea of what we call now Atlantis. When Atlantis started, it was not because just other species decided to create a conscious society in our planet, but what happened was that this planet was receiving information from God through the portal of Virgo, allowing the humans to be organized against the chaos that we had before. Because of this chaos that we have with ISIL people, we started to organize a society that allows us to create a process for humanity to evolve into other conscious species and to open the portal for other species to reach God. That moment of history was when other beings in the constellations decide that 
the earth was ready to receive the information of other seeds. And that was the moment when other beings from other constellations taught humans how was the path to transform itself into God. They did it in different ways. The Pleiadian people in the fifth dimension brought the holographic structures so we could have in our energetical patterns all the information of what we have to do, how we can transform ourselves, and all the information surrounding our electromagnetical field was able there to be downloaded when we were ready to do that. Arturians, in the other hand, they prepare the vibration of our blood and our cells. So that would help us to reach the amount of vibration to match with the vibration of other civilizations. The civilizations living in between the fifth and the fourth dimension would have a higher vibration level so they cannot reach our own pattern. So in order to awake the pattern of our DNA and the codes of the seeds that they have given to us through the history, they needed us to be in the same level of vibration. So by rising the level of vibration of our blood and our cells, they uh, help to decode the information of our DNA so we could reach the same information from these other levels. That created the biggest leap of evolution in consciousness in the planet because Arturian people helped every human to rise its information and to start listening and downloading all the information from the fifth and the fourth dimension. This created a civilization allowed to, to reach other portals, to reach the fourth dimension and to be able to talk with the fifth dimension. This Atlantean civilization was prepared also by serious people with the architecture. The architecture taught by them was how to open the portals around the planet, how to spread around the planet, and how to understand the process of alchemy in between the stars. So downloading the codes of the stars, we would be able to open the data of these portals of God on earth. And to do so, we needed to know how to build the temples in this planet here in the material way. So the third dimension could download all this information from other levels. What we did in the Atlantean times was to not only arise the vibration of our cells, our DNA, to reach the information of the, of the fifth dimension, but also through the series people to download it in the shape, in the material shape, to create our societies. So for the Arturian people, the importance of becoming God was to be able to awake the potential of every emotion and every pattern in our DNA that would that would help us to download information of the whole galaxy. For the serious people, the goal was not the humans. For for the serious people was the planet. And that is why they needed to create societies that worked like ants, like bees, so they could work all together to build the structures that help download the information from other levels of consciousness to the world. The planet was the goal. 
And for the Pleiadian people, it was the self, because they knew that the, the only way they could have to reach the transformation of realities was through the physical structures that they created in the third dimension. So that is why they taught us how to build the structure within, through the chakras, through the opening of the portals of each one of the chakras, we would reach the path towards the self, towards the universe. So both physical civilizations plus those who were ethereal civilizations, they help us to understand that we needed to go through three steps in every time so we could learn about ourselves in different levels. This was taught to be the correct path to illumination and the correct path towards being God. The process they created was that we needed to download the information by finding the perfect amount of vibration and energy in each one of the chakras that would rise the energetical pattern of the DNA, awakening the codes of every race and every species that help us to be who we are. And then we can build outside the structures to help the planet to be aware of itself. And we have these stories that taught us how to do that. We needed to see the doors in the sky to build the doors of, from the sky on earth and within ourselves. When we reach every timeline in every space, every history would teach us the process that will take us to reach the goal to become gods. And that is not something you can do in just one civilization. You need to go through the process of 24,000 years approximately to help you understand how a human being can become God. This process was being taught through the temples. The Atlantean people taught about these 12 processes through the 12 aspects of geometry, light, energy, and sound. And we all needed to go through these three parts of our life that we call the youth, the adult, and the oldest. So these three processes would, would be needed to improve the earth, the water, the fire, and the air within ourselves, so we could open the portals through the first species created in the universe by God. Even though there were a lot of beings in the galaxy that, that didn't want us to become one of the species testing how to become gods, because we as humans have so many energy and so many emotions in ourselves that we can hold in our own life every spectrum of these 12 phases. We can experience the 12 of them in just one life. And that is such an amount of energy that for different species was something that made them decide to not be part of the confederation if humans would be taught how to become gods and go through the portals of time and space. One of them said to the confederation that humans have so much energy that they would kill anyone in the galaxy if they would reach a seat in the confederation parliament. So they wouldn't accept that humans would evolve 
as fast as they were programmed to do. Syrian people said, we have timelines. The timelines are the moments when the Earth goes through each one of the constellations. So we need to teach humans that they have only... Just a moment, it's... Hmm... Hmm. I might have to back up a little bit. There. In just one life. And that is such an amount of energy that for different species was something that made them decide to not be part of the confederation if humans would be taught how to become gods and go through the portals of time and space. One of them said to the confederation that humans have so much energy that they would kill anyone in the galaxy if they would reach a seat in the confederation parliament. So they wouldn't accept that humans would evolve as fast as they were programmed to do. Syrian people said, we have timelines. The timelines are the moments when the Earth goes through each one of the constellations. So we need to teach humans that they have only 2,400 years approximately to prove themselves in just one of those aspects of God. So if you don't do that, you need to wait for another 24,000 years to prove that you do it properly. So preparation to be God is like a clock. You need to understand that there are some times that you cannot do stuff. You cannot see the sun at 3 a.m. So what they were saying is if you need to see the sun, you have to wait until it, it the sunrise. So for the galaxy, this process would take a lot of time. And they were trying to preparate uh, ourselves uh, uh, as humans to be aware of these times. So we were trying to make humans to improve so fast that these other civilizations would say we are not going to support this project unless they are really prepared to show how they are, uh, they are able to be a part of God. So other beings saw that we had so much energy that they were harvesting the energy so they could evolve. So for many beings in the fourth dimension, they try to make this planet to be in quarantine, separated from all the other beings so they could eat the energy and grow faster in their own dimensions and worlds. We were not only being prepared to be gods on earth, goddesses on earth, but we were also the product to feed other worlds and other dimensions. In every process of the constellations in our world, we need to improve ourselves in each one of the aspects of God. So if we don't reach it, if we don't, don't do it properly in every one of those constellations, all this energy is stuck in our bodies and doesn't evolve. They just go and turn around and go back to ourselves. So because of this system, we have created so much energy 
that is not evolving, but is just moving around, that it became like the main source of energy for the fourth dimension. So what they did was to put a quarantine of time, not space, time. The quarantine of time represents uh, 40 periods of time in which humans have to prepare themselves in different aspects. So they are not allowed to go outside to the confederation or to the portals unless they are ready in, in each one of those emotions. The process of what we call quarantine come from the concepts in Latin of 40 days. 40 days would be the right amount of time in which you can make a proper process to understand yourself and to understand your own evolution. So we have 10 days to make a process in the body. Then we have 10 days to make the process in the soul and 10 days to make the process in the spirit, the mind. When we accomplish the 30 days, we need to go through the being. And the being would be a day to unify physical, emotional, and mental aspects of our beings in just one spot. So we are balancing and aligning this process of what we call the human being. That brings us 40 days, 40 days to make a process to create a new reality in our physical bodies, emotional bodies, mental bodies, and the energetical body, body which is the being in the electromagnetical force field. For other species, this quarantine would mean that we need to, to wait for thousands of years, the meaning of one day for them. So every civilization, every culture can go through every one of those chakras. And that is why if we go back in our history and also in the future of our history, we will see that every civilization, that every race, every species, we're trying to reach the, the, the goal to balance each one of the chakras. Being each country or each culture or each empire civilization, meaning one of those chakras that has to be balanced through time and space. We are now entering in the time of Aquarius. And the time of Aquarius is the one that is connected with the self and God by itself. So we have ahead 2,500 years in which our civilization has to prove that we are able to be the beings connecting the divine from within. And that's our goal in the next civilization. And that's for what all our past times were preparing us. The time is ending for us. The process of the quarantine is ending. And we have to prove to the Confederation if in the next 2,500 years we are ready to be part of them and we can arise the vibration of our DNA awaking every potential that they have gave us from the very beginning in other ages and that we are ready to become the consciousness and the neurons of the brain that we call planet Earth. Thank you for joining me on this journey. I am your host and guide, Matias Estefano. In the next episode, we will explore the design of human's evolution and explain the quantum leap to Homo sapiens sapiens. 
Hmm. Okay, everybody. Talk about a sacred journey that we're heading into now. Completion of change time. Change time to a higher level of conscious awareness of who we are. So, with that in mind, we're going to take a little break right now. And as we come back and return, we'll take a look at those stars with our brother Richard and Tanya and Kay Pacha, etc. See you soon. Um, peace and love, everybody, in this season that we're moving through now. Namaste. Namaste. Pass the talking stick to you, Richard. All right, then. Hello and good evening, and can you hear me all right? Yes, sir. Richard, you sound good. All right, then. All right. Uh, well, the moon's in uh, Sagittarius, uh, Virgo. For 13, 13 Virgo opposite, coming up on opposition to Neptune overnight. Moon opposite Neptune, Earth in between. Uh, we got Mars, uh, very close opposition to Uranus. Alright, that's our chaos effect, worldwide chaos effect. Um, with the Moon in Virgo, we got an Earth trine with, uh, Venus in Capricorn. It's now up to 19 degrees of Capricorn. Venus went across my moon this week, so I was feeling pretty good uh, coming up on, uh, unless it goes retrograde, it's going to conjunct Pluto, and it's technically not quite conjuncting Pluto, but pretty damn close. Uh, Earth trying with Uranus over there in Taurus. We also have Mars square Jupiter. And uh, Jupiter is currently at 26 Aquarius. And uh, let's see. Let's see. It's, uh, uh, Uranus is retrograde and Neptune is retrograde and Chiron is next retrograde. So there's only three retrogrades right now. So... Uh, and, of course, the sun is in seven sags. So, uh, Mercury right next, right, right next and behind it a little bit. At uh, six sags. Sun at seven sags. So, that's our current layout. I looked a few minutes ago. I looked for the new moon, which is coming up. In just about a week, it's going to be around 3 a.m. next Saturday morning. So overnight Friday, midnight on the West Coast Friday is going to be be the new moon. 3 a.m. on the East Coast will be the the new moon. So new moon next weekend. Yippee, yippee, yay. (coughs) Over to you, Rama. Rama, you got Kaipacha set up? Yep, we're ready. 
Alright. Here we go. 25 minutes. Alright. I'm not sure where he is. It looks pretty where he is. here with the weekly paleo report for uh, November 24th, 2021, and I just found this little trail here. I'm on the road cruising today. This is going to be a fast report, and I don't know what is around here, but it looks very beautiful. (laughs) What's going on, man? The moon is going into Leo today. In fact, it just went into Leo. I hope you feel the change. I mean, sun and Sag... Coming out of frickin' Scorpio waters for a month into some fiery sand. Now the moon coming into Leo. We got that beautiful sun-moon trine. Mercury is right there. Sun conjunct Mercury all week. Um, it is exact on Sunday, but, you know, they are just like, boom. It's called combust. Okay. <laughs> Mercury and the sun. Right, you know, in alignment there. Um, it means that you can uh, think too much and burn out. <laughs> so be careful, right? Uh, and then that moon, you know, comes along. Of course, it opposes Saturn over there in Aquarius. And it goes and it opposes Jupiter. That kind of stuff happening. Uh, it squares. Does a nice T-square on uh, Thursday, tomorrow, uh, uh, with Mars. Uh, and, and Uranus, pretty much. Um, they are breaking apart that opposition. Was that not intense this last week? What an intense time period. <laughs> and I got calls from people all over the world. I know it was intense for everybody. Yeah. What a powerful lunar eclipse that was. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be talking about that. And, um, in, in the meantime, let's keep going here because the moon, everything keeps going, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Just doesn't, oh god, there's a speak of the moon. I don't know if you can see her up there. Uh, probably not, but if you look real close, there she is. Okay, where was I? Okay, well, uh, let's see. Um, the moon goes into Virgo on Friday. And, of course, uh, she will oppose uh, Neptune over there in Pisces and uh, scoot on through Virgo into Libra by Monday. So we have uh, a weekend. It's a working weekend. <laughs> Moon. No, it's not a working weekend. It's, it's actually the, the Thanksgiving weekend over there in, in the United States. But there are some beautiful aspects going on. We do have the moon squaring the sun on Saturday. So that's the third quarter square. And, of course, it's right there squaring Mercury, too. And then by uh, by Monday, Mars has moved into a beautiful trine with Neptune. And Mercury is in a trine with Chiron. And the Sun and Mercury are sextile Saturn. I, I mean, it's... Uh, 
it's really, really something, you know. And uh, and Venus, sextile Neptune, and the Sun, trying Chiron. We've got trines and sextiles happening. The universe is giving us a break. It's it's really, really a, a beautiful time. I will find a nice place around here somewhere to uh, look at the camera and talk to you more and more about it. Okay, what are we talking about here? I mean, sun combust mercury, it's like I'm... There is this kind of certain pressure. We are in We are in an initiation, you know. This is an initiation. We're going through the threshold from the age of Pisces into the age of Aquarius. It's a generation that is under a lot of stress. Mm-hmm. We incarnated at this time to bring in a new age, to make a big change. Uh, we, you know, we are initiating... You know, a new consciousness, a new paradigm. It's and and it's it's not just like oh yeah, you know, uh, let's go on vacation and and enjoy a new uh, reality. Uh, it has to do with you know deep deep uh, forces of inertia, of resistance, of the ruts that you know humanity has created for itself over thousands of years, and it's. The hair dryer in the bathtub, Aquarius. It's the uh, you know, uh, it, it, it's, it's the alarm clock going off, and it's disturbing. And <laughs> we can get disturbed. And you know, the mantra today talks about you know uh, fear. We can we can go into fear, and and it's you know the unknown, and dealing with loss. You know, uh, and part of grief and part of loss is dealing with, you know, fears of, well, what else am I going to lose? Or what else is going away? What else can I not count on or not trust or not believe? Or, you know, it's like, when is this going to, when is this over? <laughs> I got lots of people asking me, man. Every, it's like every chart reading. It's like, well, when is this over? <laughs> Man, oh man, what we want to understand especially is during this time of eclipses, and we have that lunar eclipse, moon, emotional nature, feeling, insecurities, inner child work, you know, you know, you know, opposite, you know, powerful sun, Mars in Scorpio, taking, taking, taking. It's like getting stripped, getting peeled like a banana, you know, getting your skin, you know, pulled off of you like a snake. I mean, it's been, ah, ouch. <laughs> what can I think of? You know, I mean, uh, you know, the, the peel comes off the banana pretty easy, but... <laughs> There are some other things, you know, where it's the peeling doesn't come off, you know, a grapefruit. <laughs> I peeled a grapefruit this morning, you know. That's more like. <laughs> I mean, you can laugh about it, but you can cry about it, too. It's it's very um, it's, it's 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 been hard. Mm-hmm. And, and it's and in so many ways, this time period, mm-hmm. the two weeks in between that full moon eclipse and the upcoming solar eclipse. This is this time period of preparation, of purification, 
of getting down into our essential car, our essential truth, our essential self, finding our essential power, getting boiling things down to our essential truth and our identity shifting. It's like the masks coming off. Okay, you know, the past, you know, getting, you know, lifted, released, or torn away. We can have feelings of lost betrayal, abandonment, you know, and that, you know, it's just like things going away that we thought we needed consciously, our ego thought we needed, but on an unconscious soul level, Our soul knows what we need and what we don't need and what we need stays with us and what we don't need goes away. And it's very nice. That's what astrology is all about. Looking at your unconscious soul blueprint to see the transits, to see where all of this is, is hitting you personally. Then it's, it's like you can see it coming and you can say, Oh, I can see that some things need to go away here. You know, Pluto is coming around. You know, I'm having this, you know, I'm having this Mars transit through my eighth house or something. Uh, it, you, you, you see these things. So you get your conscious ego in alignment with the unconscious soul. And then you don't have as much trauma. You don't have as much shock. You don't, you, you are not as surprised. You are not blown away. Okay. You know, there's, 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 so it's, yeah, it's a, it's a less traumatic experience. So I don't, I mean, I don't know how people do it without astrology. <laughs> it's like, man, oh man, surprise. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Here today, gone tomorrow. I mean, wow. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's really intense. Coming back to the point, coming back to what's going on now. What is beautiful now is that Mars and Venus are traveling at just about the same speed as Venus is slowing down. Going, going into her shadow, she's going to go retrograde in Capricorn, and Mars moving through Scorpio, so they're kind of going in a sextile. Very beautiful. It was exact a little while ago, but they're they're traveling together like this, and and that sextile has to do, you know, with uh, 360 divided by six. Six is two times three, so there is this. Yes, the two has to do with, you know, kind of opposition, but the three is a trine and, and easy. It's, it's an opportunity if it is seized. It's like opportunity that requires that some action and some movement. You have to seize the day to seize that opportunity. This is a sextile kind of energy with Mars and Venus happening. And I want to read to you the Sabian symbol for the sun coming together with Mercury. This is this sun-Mercury conjunction is very super powerful, and it speaks to what is really happening right now because there is a lot going on underground. There is a lot of covert activity. There is a lot of energy and a lot of you know money and a lot of power being shifted and changed. You know, that is really um, 
invisible to the you know to the mainstream media to our eyes to our you know, so the, you know this kind of initiation happening now is that we dip down it's almost like this death resurrection it is you know it's you know this time period this guy going back and forth behind me i i can see him in my freaking <laughs> okay so I like to be out in the middle of nowhere, but uh, I find myself in different places, you know, and there are people. We have to share the planet, man. <laughs> okay. Within the depths of the earth, new elements are being formed. The alchemical fire, which both purifies and transforms the very substance of our inner life. Deep, really deep, unconscious, below the surface, not invisible sight. Uh, we are going through, you know, this is, this is a, a very powerful deep change in the lower chakras. It's, it's the underworld in shamanic astrology and shamanism. And this, this underworld is outside of time and space. And when you start feeling some of these energies and some of these feelings and emotions and desires and fears, it, it, you can't, you can't, you know, you can't control them with your thoughts and your mind. They're, they're too deep. They're too powerful. Yeah. They're beyond thought. Forces are at work in the deepest layers of the psyche which in their own way respond to the outer stimulation produced by a strong involvement in group ambitions and emotions, and even more by the powerful tensions and releases of love. An alchemical process goes on, usually unnoticed by the conscious ego, until it becomes obvious that a kind of mutation has taken place and a new level of awareness and of response to life has been reached. Mm. Yeah. So this is this, these under, you know, these alchemical inner changes of who we are, of what we are, of where we're going, of our destiny, of our relationships, of our most intimate you know, self needs and desires is going through change and transformation beneath the level of our awareness. And then one day, and these are the days, the, the eclipses are known for shock and surprise as kind of new energies and new elements, call it from deep space or call it from deeply within our unconscious, you know, impact. You know, in the esoteric world, they say, you know, it's like it's eclipses are a time, you know, that really breaks through. It's where, you know, the, the, the astral shield of the earth is, is down and these forces, you know, can enter. And some say that the souls that are going to incarnate for the next six months rush in during the eclipses <laughs> and hang out <laughs> waiting for the right body and the right DNA and the right skin color and the right everything, you know, to, you know, incarnate into physical life forms on our planet. 
but so it's a very you know it's like the the veils are thin the veils are thin knowing that we can we can be aware that we're picking up on some energies some feelings some collective unconscious stuff and some you know otherworldly stuff that's not our own personal and 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 we need to separate out what is collective what is the group what is you know out there and and purify and purge and come home to our core to our truth and this also includes letting go of our past history and letting go of our future ambitions and desires and goals and coming right into unconditional self love as i am right here and now with all of my faults or guilt or shame or wrongdoings you know sin means error yeah with all my errors with all my sins i you know we are evolving growing learning beings and like the mantra for today says you know in the end <laughs> yeah we could say that there are ends there's the end of life okay you know there's the end of a uh, nation the end of a of, of a country the you know the the end of a cycle so there are a lot of ends in the end love will win in the end yeah so what we want to do is just really enjoy the process and know know that it is a process and it's a process within a process within a process within a process it's a cycle within a cycle within a cycle within a cycle and th- and these cycles are moving and changing and we don't need to like freak out or get afraid that you know this is never going to change or this is always going to be or i've lost that forever or the, i'm it, it, it's everything now is moving shifting changing and the more that we can just believe and have faith and trust this is what sagittarius is all about mm-hmm. yeah the jupiter sagittarian archer is you know aiming towards the bullseye aiming towards and expanding that consciousness aiming towards a higher sphere or a higher frequency a higher clear expression of self so the mantra is again i feel fear hurt and misunderstanding when losing family and friends but i believe trust and share that love will win yeah in the end yeah i i i spent this week on amazon sending out these 100 books to people man. <laughs> and uh, there were way more orders than 
you know, than a hundred. So, um, I did send out a hundred and if you didn't get it, if you emailed me and you didn't get it, I'm very sorry. You were, you were a little late, but, and I've been, and I, and I've been posting a lot of stuff up there on Facebook and Instagram and Telegram and stuff like that. I get all these comments. I get comments on the Pele report, you know, and it was pretty funny because this week actually somebody called me a Trumpster. Oh. <laughs> He's gone off to Trump and and the conspiracy theories and this and that and the other thing and I was just like, oh man, I, I just want to say, uh, you know, when it comes to uh, politics and and I, I I've been talking about politics a little bit. I want to just clarify that um, it's beyond politics and and what we're going to see in 2022 is. Yes, it will come out, you know, through politics, but it's about power and it's about money and it's about BlackRock and Vanguard and, you know, people that are above and outside and beyond and untouchable when it comes to politics. Yeah. These politicians are in the pocket of the people who are really running the show on this planet. So, I, you know, it's not about red and blue and it's not about, you know, Biden or Trump or it's not about, you know, da 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 It reminds me of this movie that I saw back. It was Nicolas Cage. Mm-hmm. I think he was, uh, it was called The Warlord or something. Mm-hmm. And, and he sold guns. He sold guns, right? And he sold, and his whole thing was like, let's start wars so that I can make more money selling guns. And he would sell guns to both sides. <laughs> you know? I mean, so you know, let's not, let's try not to get into these places of, of pigeonholing and, and understand that part of the dynamics of the warlords, okay, is to polarize the masses. Yeah. It's divide and conquer. It's like, you know, let's point fingers and blame, you know, the unjabbed uh, or the jabbed or the this or the red or the blue or the racist or the... It's, it's, it's all about, you know, aha, get them on opposite sides. They'll destroy each other. And then we can what? Build back better. <laughs> Come on, man. Oh, no. What, what, we, what we need to do is like, can we get over... You know, uh, this polarization trip to like really see what's underneath. This is part, this, you can even look at this, you know, the sun, Mercury, it's conjunct the south node of the moon, right? You know, I mean, uh, the, the sun is, uh, conjunct the south node of the moon. Mercury is conjunct the south node on Thursday. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, and the south node of the moon, you know, this is, this is, uh, in, in Vedic astrology, it's K2. It's evil. It's, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's dark energy. Mm-hmm. And, and we've got the sun lighting up and Mercury lighting up. This is a time of really seeing through a lot of the illusions or a lot of the BS, a lot of the dishonesty, a lot of the, you know, fake stuff that's going on out there. And, um, yeah. So we want to, we want to understand. And when these moon's nodes next year move into Taurus and Scorpio, uh, things are really going to get uh, deeper, and and and, and you, we're going to see things go to a whole nother level. So we want to just kind of be aware of that. And to, 
this week and in this purging and this letting go and, you know, feeling, you know, like, ay, 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 you know, as we prepare for this solar eclipse, do it willingly. You know, uh, I'm doing the Kundalini Yoga. I'm doing some events here in Northern California. I'm thinking of maybe starting a Telegram channel for Northern California. But, you know, we're doing some yoga, some breath work, some movement, preparing for this eclipse. And, you know, and the solstice coming up. And this is just like really a time where we can take advantage of this energy and really clear out our space. So it can be beautiful when it is embraced instead of feared. Yeah, knowing that there's a new beginning, there's a new horizon, there's a new day. So, I feel fear, hurt, and misunderstanding when losing family and friends. But I believe, trust, and share that love will win in the end. Namaste. Aloha, so much love.
Pluto, Saturn, Jupiter. So from 25 Capricorn to 26 Aquarius, you got Pluto with Saturn conjunct. All right, so that should bring a beautiful transformation. All right, Saturn's going to bring a little beauty in here. And um, but Saturn says, slow down, hold on. You know, so there's the big, the big breaker, the big delayer. Saturn is in between, right? And then the you know, and then the Jupiter, you know, just says, no, Jupiter's take the brakes off. Saturn says, put the brakes on. So what are you going to do? Put the brakes on or take the brakes off? So that's that's the Aquarius thing. See, see? So we got this uh, one, two steps forward, one, two steps back. Going to want to go on for a while here. So look at your look at your own chart and see what's going on in Capricorn, Aquarius. And to a lesser extent, Pisces up there, that good old Neptune with its idealism. So uh, let's go listen to Tanya now, okay? Okay. I was just going to say my moon is in Sag, too, in this present uh, circle around the sun. Yeah, well, <laughs> See that 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 brings that brings unification. Yeah. So you know, sun sun sitting on sun and Mercury sitting on your moon. It's a uh, a temporary a temporary wholeness between your masculine and feminine sides, or your electrical and magnetic sides. So uh, that's a good time. You know, it's like moon, the Venus just went across my, my moon in the middle of Capricorn. So, you know, that, that brought good feelings to me all week there, you know. It's, and it's still operative for another day or two. But then again, I've been, you know, I've been, I've been living with Pluto conjunct my moon for years and years now, you know. Anyway. Okay. Okay. Here we go. All right. 24 minutes from now. Here, buddy. Everybody. Hello there. It's Tanya Gabrielle, Wells Astrologist. Welcome to Star Codes. This is the podcast where we look at a very important astrology numerology event coming up. And in this case, it's the Sagittarius total solar eclipse, new moon eclipse happening on December 4th. And there's so many components to this eclipse that we're going to look at such interesting storylines. So it happens on the 4th of December at 7.43 a.m. Greenwich Mean Time, London. And that would be at 2.43 a.m. New York Eastern Time and 11.43 p.m. December 3rd Pacific Time, L.A. Now, it happens at 12 degrees, and 12 is an important number. Mm-hmm. 
because it defines a lot of our human experience. 12 hours in the day and night, 12 months, 12 signs. We have 12 inches in a foot. We have a dozen, right? So it is a big number. And then when 12 merges together, when, when the unit of 12, it then emerges as a unit, a, a, a unity, and that is the 13. So we have the 12 apostles in Jesus, for example. And so 13 and 12 are two numbers we always want to pay attention to. 13 is actually the number that governs the lunar cycles and the Venus cycles. So very amazing combination that we have here. So now Sagittarius, the symbol is the archer with the arrow and the arrow is pointing to truth and wisdom. So the bullseye is, you know, the, the nuggets of wisdom, the nuggets of truth. And so Sagittarius governs higher beliefs, higher learning, and it symbolizes an unquenching thirst for wisdom and knowledge. So you expand your horizons under the influence of this sign. And you want to know the meaning of life. And that often comes through the never-ending search for wisdom, but also the eternal quest for truth and justice. So there's an enthusiasm, a quest per se, that is very exciting. It's adventurous. There is a sense of exploration and joy in the nature of the exploration. And Jupiter, the planet that rules Sagittarius, enhances everything through fortunate flow, through happiness, through humor, through positive outcomes, a positive outlook, through gratitude. And Sagittarius and Jupiter really help us to trust, to feel free, and to laugh at life. And laughing at life is one of the keys to really moving through any experience and coming out on the other side intact, meaning not in any way uh, damaged or really weighted down in some way because the laughter itself is such a release and it lightens the energy. So this sign is super important right now as we are navigating so much change and you could say a lot of heavy topics, right? So now what what is really important here with this eclipse, it's the final one in the Sagittarius-Gemini axis, which we've been going through for the last year and a half or so. So it's very important. It's an ending of a cycle in that Sagittarius-Gemini axis. And what's so amazing is Jupiter, the ruler of Sagittarius, will be conjunct to Neptune next year, in Pisces, Neptune's sign. And Neptune and, and Jupiter really love each other because Jupiter is the original ruler of Pisces. And that conjunction, which is really powerful, is happening in April 2022. So you could say this eclipse with Jupiter, which Jupiter rules, is really the beginning of the excitement that we're going to feel when these two planets come together in April of next year. So... It creates a forward momentum, and that forward momentum is enhanced because nearly every planet is now in direct motion, including Neptune, and the only planets that are not, that are still retrograde, are Uranus and Chiron, and Uranus will change direction in January. 
Now, coming up in later December, Venus is stationing retrograde, and that is a big deal, and we'll be looking at that in a future podcast coming very shortly. But the fact that almost all the planets are moving direct with this new moon of new beginnings makes this a celebration of sorts, especially because the one planet or the, the, the important planet that's still retrograde is creating such a close connection to the eclipse itself. And that's Uranus. Uranus is creating a 150 degree quincunx or in conjunct to the sun and moon in Sagittarius. Uranus is at 11 degrees, 39 minutes in Taurus and the eclipse is at 12 degrees, 22 minutes in Sagittarius. So that brings a lot of change. Sagittarius is the fountain of wisdom. And these days, the fountain of wisdom is a very good thing to seek. (laughs) When we look at everything we are navigating, having some wisdom about how to do that is, of course, very much appreciated. And so I'm happy to say that Mercury the planet that translates everything in our mind and intellectually is conjunct, merged with this new moon. Mercury will be at 15 degrees in Sagittarius, 15 being the spiritual alchemist, a very joyful number of love. And that merging actually focuses on us not only being practical, but being compassionate at the same time. So we use our intuition because of the Uranus, Quincunx, uh, Uranus is a very intuitive planet, and then Mercury translates and brings a great clarity so that we can have these kinds of positive insights and a lot of positive communication as well, because Mercury governs how we interact with others. So this conjunction with the eclipse places a major focus on how we think through what's going on, right? Externally and especially internally. And especially with a focus on our beliefs because we're talking Sagittarius. And so if you hold on to believing that thought stream in your head, that voice in your head, it will argue with you, um, defend itself, and certainly distract you from listening to your intuition. So the one of the big clues to this Eclipse is our letting go of thinking through things in our mind and instead allowing that fountain of wisdom from Sagittarius to inspire us so that we know the inner knowing I'm talking about, have that experience that just inspires us in the moment on what to say, where to go, what to do the decision we need to make, whatever the case may be. And so, like I said, the quincunx to Uranus helps as well. There's a sense of being liberated from something anytime Uranus shows up. And so we're stimulated to feel free. And so in this case, the freedom is very connected to why are we overthinking this? Why are we going backwards, thinking about the past, trying to figure out how to solve things based on previous experiences, which never works, right? We can't use the past to solve the present. And of course, if we move into the future, we're just regurgitating worries from the past. So really, the moment of being present is the key here. Now, we also have, aside from 
the big call to listen to your inner voice as opposed to the voice in your head, you know, that that uh, constant chatter in your head, we also have a trine to Chiron. And Chiron is the other planet that is still in retrograde. And this brings tremendous compassion, the ability to look within, the retrogrades help us to do that, and, and take a more creative view of the universe. Being naturally aware of your inner power to change anything in your life and really trusting that sense of purpose, which is very much strengthened under Chiron. So you're keenly aware that service to others rather than service to self is what nourishes you ultimately and brings ultimate healing. And then we also have a trying to Saturn from the sun and moon. So there are lots of contacts that this eclipse makes. And this trying to Saturn is absolutely wonderful because it means you are taking the wisdom you receive, the feelings, the intuitive insights seriously. That's what Saturn does. So you're sensing more deeply that your heart knows where to place your attention. You're taking full responsibility of your well-being, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically. You probably, the the self-control you have with Saturn helps you stay on track and not get distracted. So this is a really lovely, lovely aspect, especially because Saturn is part of the big Capricorn experience that we've had since early 2020 when that stellium happened in Saturn's sign of Capricorn. So to have this trine to Saturn as we wrap things up this year with this eclipse and move forward into 2020 is a sign that we have arrived and we're taking responsibility for all the changes, especially in our beliefs that have transpired already this year. Now, there are a couple other transits as well. Venus conjuncts Pluto, which I absolutely love. This is very passionate, very loving. You feel attractive. You feel magnetic. And you yearn for more passion. You yearn for more connection with others. And so share your love freely. This is really a very lovely moment of beauty and financial flow, abundance, and seeing the beauty in everything, seeing the beauty in everyone, no matter who it is. Venus also sextiles Neptune. Venus plays a very big role in this eclipse. The sextile to Neptune in Pisces is amazing because it's going to stick around, as is this Pluto conjunction, for a while. And the reason is because Venus is going to be stationing retrograde later this month. So this sextile to Neptune and this conjunction to Pluto from Venus is making life very romantic. (laughs) And it is really showing you how important your imagination is and to trust your imagination, and to to really be very tender, right? To have this sweet, lovely Venus energy ready to activate at any moment in time, and to, to just trust in the beauty of life and be sensitive to others' view of how beauty, what beauty means to them, right? It's, it's different for everyone. Now, there is... There are a couple of very powerful transits aside from these beautiful Venus ones. Mars is square to Jupiter and Saturn is square to Uranus. So let's start with Saturn square Uranus. That's been going on all year and it's coming back together for the final time on December 24th. So it's getting close again. And so there's a huge amount of spontaneity, creativity, 
harnessing your creative energy, focusing on freedom and responsibility, harmonizing the two, right? That you can't have one without the other. And there is a sense of real personal growth, a quest for independence. But the quest for independence is tempered by your desire to also be very responsible. So that's been going on all year and it's coming back into exactitude in December. Then we have Mars square to Jupiter. You know, Jupiter sometimes just is so enthusiastic and Mars, of course, is very, very passionate. And so this can activate a sense of crusading for something. You have a lot of energy for a certain part of your life, a certain topic, and you have a strong desire to make positive decisions, positive transactions, but you have to guard against impulsiveness. So be very clear about what those intentions are. You have the courage to stand up for yourself. And so it it really is important to not be aggressive, but firm, to use your energy wisely, like Jupiter which is a planet of wisdom. So don't burn the candle at both ends because the enthusiasm factor is really amplified with this square because squares activate. And so this this will give you a lot of courage. Mars, Jupiter coming together is is confidence building. It's 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 instills something where you can confront any situation that is not for your highest good and really attend to it in a positive way. So the only thing, again, to watch out for is to moderate, be moderate, so you don't run out of steam because you might go like full out and then deplete your energy resources. So those are the main aspects, and there were a lot, as you can see. And because Sagittarius is the sign of universal truths, holding the archer, you know, the archer with the bow, it seeks a bullseye. It seeks really the third eye of perception. And the third eye resides in your head, just like your mind. So it's the third eye of truth, but it connects to the light. It connects to wisdom. So it is the discernment between that, that running voice, which is the illusion voice, and the perception voice, which is the divine voice. So when the illusion voice is stilled, there is no more separation because you are connected to the divine through your intuitive perception. So at 12 degrees, it's showing, well, this is something we're learning. Life is a school and you are an eternal student of life. That's what 12 means. And you're always learning, always evolving. And you're moving from victimization, victimhood as well, because the shadow side of 12 is to be a victim. So learning, evolving, and how do we do that? Well, it's the choices we make because to choose is to be conscious. To choose is to be aware. So let's say there is a piece of music that has a lower vibration and you're turning on the radio or iTunes or whatever you do, and you turn to that particular music You have some kind of attraction to it. And so the question then is, do you like that vibration or do you want to choose a new vibration? Because when you're present and really listening, you can actually 
instantly make that decision. But when you're not present, you can't figure that out. So you've got to choose. Every moment is a choice. So you have to be conscious of what you're experiencing in the moment. How does it make you feel, right? Is this the vibration you want in your life? Now, most people are completely unconscious about making choices. And when they listen to something, when the, you know, that comes on and their mood is altered, it's actually trying to get their attention. But if you're not listening, you have no idea that what you just listened to, whether it's a conversation or a piece of music, literally altered your mood. It could be a news item. It could be anything, right? So you are constantly creating and attracting. And everything in your external world that you partake in is a reflection of where you are vibrationally. Everything in your external world is a reflection of where you are vibrationally. So this is why we chose to incarnate on Earth, the school of Earth. Because one of the biggest learning experiences we have is to recognize vibration. And if we didn't have a physical experience, we wouldn't be recognizing vibrations that easily because the internal recognizing ability is a lot less. It's not as in your face as the physical. So we are here to experience physical reality, to reflect everything back at us because our physical reality is reflecting every emotional state that we have, every mental state. It's being reflected back consistently. So through through everything that you go through, right? That's a reflection of your internal life. So what you want is to be present as much as you can and to always ask, do I like this vibration that I'm experiencing? Do I want to repeat it? Is it time to make another choice? about this vibration and remember there's no right or wrong about it because it's just a choice about a vibration and you're just basically saying I want to choose something that feels better that feels more positive and if this is something that you can shift in your belief systems, that there is no good or bad vibrational choice. It is all a learning experience. We are in school, 12 degrees Sagittarius. That is the ultimate school experience because Sagittarius governs higher education and 12 is the eternal student. So if this is one thing that you can shift in your belief that everything is simply about making a vibrational choice and we assign no value to that choice, because it's all source energy in the end. So there's no right, there is no wrong, it just is what it is. So we have to consciously feel out at all times, do I like where I'm at and what I'm experiencing? And that is the question, right? So this Sagittarius solar eclipse, new beginnings, final one in the series, happening in the final month, of 2021, 21 being the number of truth. The ancient Egyptian numerology 21 is the truth shall set you free. We're in the 21st century. This is a really pivotal time, a big time. So we want to really look at that ability we have now to be utterly present and making that vibrational choice without judgment. 
and allowing others to do the same. This is really crucial, really crucial. Now, I'm going to end by just mentioning that this eclipse actually takes place on the ascendant of the chart for the United States of America. So the ascendant is 12 degrees Sagittarius. That's the rising sign. And so this is a very big moment because it's leading into two and a half months from now in February, mid-February, to the Pluto return. After 246 years, Pluto is returning to the position in the natal birth chart of the U.S. that it was when the country was founded in 1776 on July 4th. Now, this eclipse in Sagittarius takes place on the 4th of December in England, of course. You know, that's the universal time. But it is the 4th, and the U.S. was born on a 4-day. So I'm mentioning this because there's so much going on in this chart in the next few months that will have a huge impact over the next few years. And so it is an awakening. It is an education. It is tuning to joy and expansion as opposed to wasting energy and being in judgment. We want to really open up and be in non-judgment first with ourselves because it all starts there, right? We are constantly criticizing ourselves, wanting to be think, you know, wanting to be perfect, saying, oh, that was wrong what I did or, and then we reflect that to others. And if we can move out of that and just understand that every vibrational choice is source energy, not to assign a value to it, then we have joined the beauty and joy of Sagittarius, the, the magnanimous ability to accept and to be grateful. So I wish you a wonderful eclipse. And if you want to know more about those 13 Venus cycles and Venus itself, I have a free masterclass for you that you can watch at venusmarscode.com. And it talks about the awakening and the rebalancing of the divine feminine and the sacred masculine and how they're coming together now within all of us. And how that number 13, which was, you know, put into the I have to be afraid <laughs> category of this number, how it is reemerging because it governs the lunar cycle and cycles in Venus, the divine feminine. So this is a really important time in human history to accept and acknowledge and not have fear of anything. So again, you can watch that free masterclass at venusmarscode.com. So enjoy that. Have a beautiful Sagittarius total solar eclipse, and I will see you in next week's Star Codes podcast. Bye-bye for now. Mandala of 13 Shad, which is, the, which is the new moon. What does it say about 13 Shad? A widow's past is brought to light. Keynote.
the karma of past actions as it affects opportunities presented by a new cycle. So that's kind of, uh, yeah, we got a new moon, we got a new cycle, and we got the past being brought to light. Maybe we'll have some more trials of government officials. What the what the widow's past is remains obscure. But the point is that even as a past cycle is closed, a phase of married life ends. The karma of whatever deeds or misdeeds this cycle witnessed will almost inevitably intrude into the new life period. That's the, the karma tends to stick to you, you know, to mm-hmm. get it really, really cleaned and cleared out. Also, once a cycle of activity is concluded, much that was unclear or unconsciously motivated in the events it witnessed can now more easily come to the clear consciousness of the mind. It is possible to joyously herald the dawn from high above the actual stresses of existence. But the new day may be found loaded and darkened by the unfinished business of many a yesterday. Yeah. This is a symbol of retribution. Yeah, yes. See, it says here in the, in the small print, mankind is the widow because our soon-to-be-concluded Piscean Age has buried most of the ideals it once revered and proclaimed. Mm -hmm. Yet the New Age will have to deal with many oppressive ghosts. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Ghosts, yeah, ghosts of ages past. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that, yeah, it's an it's an interesting, you know, because because you know we're we're coming up here on the, on the winter solstice. It's, you know, only only what only twenty five days away. Mm-hmm. So that's that's where we're at. Oh, I am glad this this year is getting done with. <laughs> even even as even as we just read, just because one cycle closes doesn't mean the issues of the current cycle won't continue into the next cycle. Because it, it, these cycles are smaller cycles of larger cycles. Right? You consider, you know, 50 years ago, 
Chiron was in Aries, you know, and what was, you know, the Vietnam War was still going on in 19, this month in 1971. Oh, yeah. 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 Makes me feel old. I was, I was, uh, I was, uh, went on to the fossil, uh, what? You went on to the fossil fuel dollar too that year. Oh, yeah. That was, yeah. that was a Nixon, that was a Nixon, yeah, that was a Nixon doing. Yeah. All of that's going to be completed now. That's all in the past, really. We're kind of cleaning up the, oh my God, the leftovers, yes. The le- yeah, the leftovers of this, this this last half century of the Piscean Age here. Yes. Hmm. And, and I know sometimes it's just so ugly. Yes, it is. It's, it's so ugly out there, yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, I think it's time to go. It is, Commander Richard. You have a wonderful week. Yes, I've got I've got a plan, and it's steady as she goes. Indeed, we're going to have a little bit of winter here, and we'll have some bear medicine, introspection time. Yes. Yeah, Capricorn bear medicine. Yeah. Yes. All right. Talk to you next week. Namaste, Richard. Namaste, Namaste, everybody. We're going to get on the conference call now, Rama. What's that number? Uh, 720-716-7301. And the PIN code is 353-863-POUND. Okay. We made it. See you on this conference call, and then at the top of the very next hour, we will be back here at BBS Radio Station 2, best radio in the galaxy. (laughs) Until then, let's have a little chat here uh, in this evening uh, with our sisters and brothers at the conference call. Namaste. See you there, everyone. Namaste. Namaste. Welcome back, everybody. We're going to play some of the new group of Celtic women later tonight. We're going to enjoy some music. Yet, how about Regina Meredith, Rama? Okay. Let's do that. Oh, it's a very special time, everyone. We uh, had a little conversation on our conference call that what we would do, everyone, is at 11.11 a.m. or p.m., that we would just take a conscious moment and pray Nasara. Don't put the word for in there because that makes it go into the future. Just pray Nasara right now like a gentle rain. Yes. We can do that. Maybe when we get to 11.11 tonight on our time zone, we'll just do that. Take a moment. How's that, Rama? Okay. Okay. Um, 
So, did you find it? Yeah. Yeah. Self-healing through Vedic astrology. Here we go. Wait just a second. Keeping a quiet mind in the eye of a hurricane is not easy. We've got quite a few of those things going on about now. Yet Simon Chukoisky, Chukoisky explains that every experience is an opportunity to learn to go deeper into self-knowledge. Through his experiences as a Vedic astrologer, Chukoisky relates that any struggle is an opportunity to see ourselves, overcome adversity, and grow spiritually and physiologically. According to Chukoisky, even psychological wounds can be blessings in disguise Mm -hmm. because they force us to fight for ourselves, heal ourselves, and evolve. All right, take it away, Commander Rama. This is 47 minutes, everybody. We enter the massive outsider period that isn't over until 2033. So we have 12 years left in this. People are questioning mainstream media. People are questioning mainstream government. People are questioning mainstream economics. Anyway, the questioning is part of it. The anxiety is part of it. Open up to the divine and say, Lord, how was this part of the plan? I'm feeling so abandoned right now. Please help me. That's actually healthy. And then let the answers Mm-hmm. Come. So we are all functionally outsiders right now. Yes. And how we handle this, the, the great thing about an outsider period is you have tremendous freedom. Mm-hmm. Embrace the, the positive and take responsibility and say, okay, Viveka. In Sanskrit, the word is Viveka. Nitya, Nitya, Vastu, Viveka. To, un- to know what the difference between what is ultimately real and what is not real. And that is the biggest challenge facing the planet right now. One of our Gaia favorites, Simon Chukoisky, is back with us today, and we're going to be riffing on a few current and relevant themes. With a renewed global interest in the alien issue these days, Simon and I will discuss, among other topics, aliens and spirituality from a Vedic perspective. Some of you watching this believe that a more advanced species is going to save humanity, while others believe it's up to us. So we're going to dive into that a little bit, but we're going off script right away. Let's do it. (laughs) We were planning on doing this, but it's just so fascinating We need to. So with the whole global COVID thing that has passed through now, by now, it's gosh, it's coming up on two years and we've watched waves go through. We've watched society divide itself, you know, the shaming, each side shaming the other side. Division, division, division. Yeah. So Simon, I want to talk to you about this because you've been talking to your private audience about it. Yeah. Well, my way into everything is through the astrological angle and what... What astrology gives us is an insight into how how am I going to handle this? So that's the way I approach things. And based on my experience with my chart and and looking at the chart of clients, there are markers in in your horoscope that make show sensitivity to especially to allopathic medicine. Uh, and those when those same markers are absent, it means that you would do well with allopathic medicine because some people love antibiotics, they love 
you know, their, their allopathic, uh, drugs, they work for them. Mm-hmm. And others, if they get on, you know, even the most minor kind of a, you know, metformin or whatever it is, they have severe reactions. Right. And so it's an individual case. And I think having kind of a tempered, uh, view of it, that it's not absolute, it's case dependent. And the Vedic right. tradition is always, you know, aspirin, is aspirin good or bad for you? Well, it depends. Who, mm-hmm. who is the person we're talking about? Mm-hmm. Well, I find it fascinating. So if someone were to, say, pull up their chart or say have someone who knows what a chart looks like and what these uh-huh. things mean, read, have their chart read, where would you be able, what house, what signs would you see sensitivities in, in general? And they'll, they'll have to do their own homework on yeah. this one. There are parts of the zodiac in the, in the horoscope, in the Vedic zodiac, especially called Sarpa Drekanas. And a Drekana is a decanate. It's a 10 degree portion of the zodiac that's associated with poison, with snakes. Sarpa means snakes, okay. where the word serpent comes from, mm-hmm. um, in Sanskrit. And so the serpent parts of the horoscope, which are, you know, maybe, uh, I'd say, uh, a fourth of the chart or so, um, if you have planets there, then they'll indicate sensitivity, especially if it's a malefic planet like Mars or Saturn, uh, so forth. It can what indicate. What if it's Venus? If it's Venus, then it means that you will be especially sent, uh, sensitive to, um, uh, love, uh, situations, potentially venereal diseases, potentially. Things that come through love. Through love. Yes. yes. Exactly. STDs. STDs, stuff like that. So yeah. you'll be poisoned through those things. But if it's Mars, Saturn, the south node or the north node of the moon, it can be more, um, potentially more dangerous. And oh, that's fascinating. particularly if you're in a, in a period of life that's ruled by those planets, then you have to be especially careful. Um, and granted, it's not most of the population doesn't have any kind of, doesn't have that severe of a, uh, a, it, I'm taking a sample from the charts that I've read. Most of the clients that I've read don't have severe issues there, but a few do. And those are the people that I, I would, I would caution. And they, I think intuitively also know that, Hey, this is, I got to do a lot of research. Yeah. Yeah. I can't do this without really knowing what I'm doing because other drugs have affected them poorly, but you have to get a Vedic chart because those are look different. How would that look in western astrology? In western astrology uh which also uses the decanates and 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 the uh the the divisions of the sign, I would look at the nodes of the moon, I would look at aspects between the nodes in your ascendant, uh some of the outer planets like Sedna. Mm-hmm. Uh Sedna has to do with drowning and you know part of the covid symptoms are you're drowning. You know, mm-hmm. if, if you were to get it, uh, you know, the lungs are like you can't breathe. It, yeah. Well, it's targeted at the lungs, yeah. Uh, if Sedna is in, an, uh, so there are ways mm-hmm. to look at it in, in the Western horoscope as well. But most of all, listen and trust your body. If you've had reactions to allopathic and chemical things in the past, if you have a delicate nerve, you know, this is an individual choice. I respect people's right to their own choice. I don't necessarily respect I respect people's right to their opinion. I don't necessarily respect the opinion itself, but yeah. definitely I respect your right to have it. Right. Uh, on, on whatever side you are. And, right. and this is, this is my opinion. Well, it's so deeply personal because we have been undereducated and underinformed about it. Yeah. Um, we have not been educated at all. The, one of the things I found really interesting is I went through the whole COVID experience personally. Yeah. What I found interesting at the end of it all is how little information we'd been given about any of it. Mm. I mean, we, my husband and I, um, could have easily infected other people because we didn't even know we had it because there are certain mm. subtle symptoms you would think, oh, maybe I have a little allergy. 
a lot of people thought they had allergies. Mm. So without education, we're really all left to our own devices, and that makes us jumpy and nervous, and no one knows who's right or wrong yet, you know, on this. Yeah. Well, I think that's the responsible thing. You bring up the word education yes. and, and a, a tempered and sort of even-minded approach to, hey, here's what we know yeah. and you know, make your decision. Yeah. Now, let's look, we do this, you and I do other interviews on my site too where we go into these astrological cycles about what to look for. Yeah. Let's do that now regarding the whole COVID era that's inside of an outsider Dharma era. Yeah. Yeah. And you had said that April of 2021, things will start loosening up. Life mm-hmm. starts. Well, that that did happen. Yeah. Life started returning to normal, so to speak. It's going to go back a little bit. Well, let's, that's what I want to talk about. What's the next cycle in the fall and then into 2022? Um, yeah. So we're following in the Vedic chart. We're following the movement of the planet Jupiter, and this is going to sound crazy to someone who's not really trained in astrology what jupiter what does jupiter have to do with covid or this um but just follow along um you know maybe with an open mind hopefully because the show's called open mind exactly yeah required Uh, so as jupiter was in the sidereal sign of of capricorn all of this uh the stuff happened with covid then it changed into aquarius which gave has given us relief it's about to go back and, oh, it's going retrograde? And, yeah. For in how long? Fall. Um, it's oh. going to be there for a few months. So uh, starting, I think, September or so of uh, 2021, um, mm-hmm. we'll be back in that position. So these lockdowns, Capricorn's a sign of confinement. Yes. And uh, whereas Aquarius is all about, I want to be free, you know. Boy, have we we've seen that quite literally yeah. reflected in society around the world. So we're going to go back a little bit. Uh, there's going to be probably will be some more lockdowns on, on a more limited basis because it won't be there too long, um, but at least two, three months. And so by 2022? Should start to get relief, uh, but really not until the spring of 2022, or I think. Uh, this thing, the re- residue and the residual effect is going to stay with us for a long time, you know, fortunately and unfortunately in some ways. Say what, tell us what you mean by that. Um, well, as we were saying a little bit off camera, viruses in many ways, that, you know, from the biological perspective, drive our evolution forward. Yes. We've coexisted with viruses for a very long time. You know, I, like I mentioned about, you know, the markets falling. You either become, you either freak out or you become very spiritual. Right. Same thing with this. You either freak out and, and, you know, have a negative reaction to it or you use it to, to make your faith stronger, to, to bring you deeper into uh, self-knowledge and to, um, to try to be even, even-minded, even within while the hurricane is going, to try to be exactly. the eye of the hurricane, right? Even while everything is spinning and breaking down. Right. Yeah. And I mean, just on a personal level, I shared with you off camera, I had this inexplicable kind of euphoric experience when, when I was done, everything I was breathing fine out of the woods and recovered basically. Uh, I, I felt like, Something good had just happened. Mm. It like there was an I don't I couldn't even explain it because it was just a feeling a feeling an upgrade of sorts. Yeah. yeah. And then it was flashing, and you and I were talking about viruses. Do, my, and my husband Zeus many times has said um, viruses have always brought him to a higher level of some part of his consciousness, and we're not looking at it in this way. 
I mean, society is not looking at it in this way. So maybe this is an invitation for people to start looking at what these potentials are, our evolutionary path, because we're in a big one. And we'll talk about that in the outsider. When yeah. we talk about the outsider phase, yeah. we're in a big potential for evolutionary leap. So having this thing on the planet gave us an opportunity to, as you say, see ourselves and contend and grow up. Yeah, even physiologically, viruses have helped us evolve. Uh, many uh, biological functions are are a product of, of viruses. The human placenta is a product of that and, and other biological uh, things we take for granted. Yeah. So they're with us. Yeah. yeah. We just need to look at it at a higher level. And, and you know, the question with this one that a lot of people say, well, they're with us, but they weren't man-made or, they, you know. And, and exactly. I, and and that's, yeah, that's true. That's, abs- that's a valid point to look at. It's problematic. It doesn't behave like an influenza yeah. or a cold. It's different. You get totally different weird symptoms. Yeah. So it is different, but it doesn't mean the body can't adapt somehow and jump yeah. beyond that or incorporate it on some level. On an immune system now, if we go into a lot of fear and such, um, which I think an outsider period does cause fear. It's it's the it's, it's the different. easy it's the easiest uh, 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 reaction. It's, let's it's talk. It's a natural it. reaction, actually. Yeah. So let's talk about we're in this outsider phase. Give the years again for those who don't remember this. Yeah. And how this whole COVID thing fit in in our natural reaction and our and our opportunity to grow and learn. Yeah. Well, 2016, uh, end of 2015, but basically 2016, we began, we, the United States as a country, but really the world, I think, because the U.S. tends to lead and kind of the world adopts a lot of what happens mm-hmm. here. Uh, we entered a massive outsider period that isn't over until 2033. So we have 12 years left in this. So what happens is you begin to question um, the the powers that be. People are questioning mainstream media. People are questioning mainstream government. People are questioning mainstream economics and creating viable alternatives. But in the process of questioning, there's anxiety, fear. You know, you start to throw away, okay, well, the government's not working. Well, is all of the government not working? I mean, the trash people are still coming, right? You know, so you can't throw all of it away, but you have to question. Mainstream media is not well. So, so anyway, the questioning is part of it. The anxiety is part of it. What, what I predict, and this is a long-term prediction, so I'm going to make it here for the first time, is that by 2033, 12 years from now, we will have come full circle and start to have more appreciation for what we call mainstream media, for journalists who have studied six years in college and got their master's and have, you know, who read every day and who are on the front lines yes. gathering information that they might be a little better at this than a somebody in their mother's basement. Yeah. <laughs> right? We're not there yet. We're in the phase oh, yeah. still of questioning and rejecting mainstream politics, media, you know, finance and so forth. But we're going to come back around to this point after we've been fed, you know, a lot of misinformation mm-hmm. by people, you know, in their basement, you know, blogging or whatever. And we're going to say, okay, basta. That's mm-hmm. enough of this. Yeah. Let's get the experts back on the, on the train and see. Yeah. And there's a difference between somebody who is, even as a kid, you know, holding a microphone and wanting to be a journalist and, and you know, trying to f- figure out what's happening and, and traveling to the front lines and getting real stories from people versus someone, again, who is not a real journalist and who's just kind of making stuff up, even, at the worst case. Um, so I predict by 2033, we'll have come full circle. We'll appreciate our 
leaders a little bit more, our mainstream media a little bit more, and so forth. But until then, it's going to be rocky, rough going. Well, Simon, the only way that would happen is if our leaders and if our media also checked themselves and went through their own personal evolution so that they were trustworthy again. And it's happening. It's happening. So that's going to continue. That general big trend is going to continue for a while. The way to, I think, the way to handle it, because see, an outsider period, outsiders have the wound of abandonment, Mm -hmm. meaning... My government has let me down. Like my father let me know. With with a person, it's usually the same sex parent. Usually, not always. So if you're an outsider, and like if I'm an outsider as a man, it's usually my dad. I feel abandoned me in some way. If I'm a woman, it's my mom that I feel distant from. The wound of abandonment is is a blessing in a disguise. So there are a few ways you can deal with it. The the worst way is to go. You abandoned me. I'm blaming you for all right. my problems. Right. Right. Um. And it's okay. We can indulge in a little bit of blame. It feels good. It's like having ice cream cream at midnight and just watching, you know, rom-coms. Little tiny violin for a short time. (laughs) Yes. Then the next morning you wake up and and you get back into it. So the wound of abandonment, uh, there are a number of ways to treat it. One of them is when you're abandoned, you have to stand alone. And is even in your posture, the way you stand, you notice people have this wound lean a lot. They're... They're not straight, mm-hmm. you know, that like the camera guys know. <laughs> Don't do that. Don't they do can't that. see you. You're disappearing from the screen. Right? But that's an yeah. outsider thing. It's, yeah. okay, I'm not playing by your rules. So be, learn to actually stand. Work on your posture. Work on, you know, the, the core muscles that, that keep you straight. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing is, and I'm talking, I'm starting with the physical is get, get a massage. The skin is the outsider organ. It's, it's what separates us from the outside world. It's where not me becomes, you know, me. Um, so get a massage, moisturize your skin, make sure, and it's not for vanity. Uh It's for health, for staying grounded as an outsider. So those are two physical things on the, uh, not so physical part, become someone who is dependable. Don't abandon your pets. Mm-hmm. Don't abandon, like, you know, some outside, oh, I, I got to move to an apartment, so I got to give my dog away. No. Mm-mm. No, fight for it. Yeah. Fight. Uh, try to stay true to your word. Mm-hmm. If you say something, be dependable. Mm-hmm. I know it's hard. It's mm-hmm. very hard. Oh, well, my car's not working. Well, find another way. Find another way. Mm-hmm. And that heals the wound uh, of abandonment. Um, there are a number of other things, uh, but the main thing is taking responsibility for everything in your life, even things that horrible things that may have happened to you, like mm-hmm. abuse, things mm-hmm. like that, uh, poverty that you were born into, whatever it is. There, on some level, you asked for it, mm-hmm. like uh, on a karmic level, on a soul level. I'm not saying you know anyone asked for abuse or anything like that when they came here, but on some level, it's part of the plan for you. And open up to the divine and say, Lord, how was this part of the plan? I'm feeling so abandoned right now. Please help me. That's actually healthy. And then let the answers mm-hmm. come. So this is, in effect, whether you're an outsider or not, and I am, and that's your second trait, too, Yeah. Um, personally, um, this actually applies to everyone because the entire era is is correct. So we're all having, us from our moorings. Yeah, we we're all have the abandonment yeah. wound right now. 
I can't go to work anymore because of COVID. I feel abandoned, mm -hmm. you know, um, <clears throat> or I don't have a job anymore or, right. or I don't have a relationship anymore because of COVID, whatever the case is. Um, so we are all functionally outsiders right now. Yes. And how we handle this, the, the great thing about an outsider period is you have tremendous freedom, mm -hmm. freedom of information, freedom of freedom to act. Now I can, I have more things I can do today than I, than options I had, say, if I had a job mm -hmm. in mind to find. Mm -hmm. I can go to the movies, I can ride my bike, I can exercise, I can blog, whatever. So embrace the, the positive and take responsibility and say, okay, um, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to take the high road, not the low road. And so, so by 2022, we start moving beyond this phase, but we're still outsiders. So there's still more stuff yeah. to learn and react to, so, respond to. Yes. The great thing about outsider periods is there's accelerated evolution in, um, uh, uh, in medicine, in, uh, in computers, mm -hmm. the things that, mm -hmm. things that are leading edge. Of Quantum computing is now becoming a reality. In the next 12 years, we will see things that None of us have even imagined. Mm -hmm. I mean, even, you know, from the very simple point of view of vaccines, no one imagined you can make a vaccine in six months or a year. Mm -hmm. We're seeing that you for can't. good or bad, whatever mm -hmm. it is. Things are accelerating, uh, similarly in the other sciences. So, uh, I warned about hacking at three, four years, even 2016, when we first went into, uh, um, oh, increased hacking. Oh my oh, God. It's going to only increase. That's only going to increase. Oh. 2023 to 2026, it's going to become, it's going to be, I mean, even bigger than So even now. on a personal level, we have to get no. used to the fact we need to kind of protect our online presence and identity yeah. and have, create strong passwords, you know, simple things we can do. Yeah. These guys can get around a lot of it, but on a simple level, the ones that aren't as bright, we just have to be careful. Be careful and understand the outsider's element is space. Mm -hmm. And what will happen is everyone's going to start getting, the virus wants to get into your space. Mm -hmm. Other people want to get into your space mm -hmm. and yell at you or, or whatever is to, to create a, create a sacred space mm -hmm. for yourself. Declutter your house. Mm -hmm. You know, um, people who, who have the wound of abandonment, outsiders, we all do like to get cozy. We collect things, more pillows, more books, more this, cause it, 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 feels good in the short term, long term, those things constrict our space. Mm -hmm. Declutter the house, but create a sacred space uh, through meditation, through through sacred sound, um, and uh, do that also in, with your cyber identity. Um, mm -hmm. We're in a period now where it's not yet at its height. After 2023, I think we're going to see a massive upflow of... Uh, digital invasiveness people invading your digital space so yeah that's a good thing to know because we're so dependent now our our commercial lives are so dependent on yeah. being online so it might be we have to go retro do local business carry a little cash yeah yeah be a little more analog now yeah i mean that's really important useful information for people to have i haven't heard that anywhere else and I thank you for that. We, we're going in directions we weren't planning. I kind of tossed the script out. But there is one thing on this this nice mm -hmm. little suggestion for a conversation that I did want to get to. Is there anything else you want to wrap up about this upcoming period, our space, preserving our own identity, protecting our identity and our sovereignty? Uh, again, the important thing is that there's a lot of 
uh, freedom and a lot of options that come. Uh, one of the f- good things is that we're going to have a lot of revelations. Mm-hmm. Um, more knowledge that the public, we as out, we, we as outsiders will have about how our government runs, how, you know, about spiritual realities, about things like aliens. I mean, 20 years ago is the news that's coming out about, you know, Navy pilots looking mm-hmm. at it. And so if that would be the news cycle for six months. Barely made a blip. It's like, okay, aliens, okay, and what's next? And six o'clock, we'll talk about something else. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Well, this is the time of revelations. I'm wondering if yeah. it even, if it was even, you know, portended in biblical times that there would be a period of revelations because if there were ever time, this certainly seems to be it. And it's interesting that in the mid, you know, right around 2015, 2016, when we entered this period, you had, um, you know, WikiLeaks, you've got all of these, of this stuff, this dump of information coming, coming into the world. And at first the reaction was, we have to stamp it down. But as 2016 onwards happened, you can't. Because no. we're in an outsider period, you can't contain the wind, you can't contain space. Space is all pervasive and uh, governments and authorities and so forth that want to hold on to knowledge are going to, they're going to fail. So, you know, if I'm advising people and, you know, higher ups, I'm going to say, listen, release the information, but put your own spin on it. Right. And that's how you can at least guide it in the direction you want to guide, but you can't hold it in. You can't hold it in. And as the consumer of all this information one thing that we're really tasked with doing, which we have not had to be until now in any serious mass way, a collective way, is uh, the lesson of discernment. Discernment is everything. Viveka. Viveka? Viveka. In Sanskrit, the word is viveka. Nitya, nitya vastu viveka. To, un- to know what the difference between what is ultimately real and what is not real. And that is the biggest challenge facing the planet right now. And in the old days, before this outsider period, we relied on our experts, on our journalists, on our politicians, on our priests and priestesses and so forth to tell us this is real, this is not real. As we enter the outsider period, we've realized, hey, these people aren't perfect and some of them are actually lying to us. Mm-hmm. Oh, hell no. We're throwing mm-hmm. them all out. Mm-hmm. So we're in that now. We will come back, as I said earlier, to the point of respecting and honoring the experts. We're not there yet. Yeah. There has to be a, a full... Kind of clean well, they're side. not trustworthy yet. So there we yeah. go. I mean, they haven't earned my trust. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, now we go into the kind of fun <laughs> stuff around disclosure. 2021, 20 years after the big disclosure project at the National Press Club in Washington, D.C. And as you say, New York Times is the vehicle that they decided to break this through. Just a drip of it, a mm. drip feed to the public. It's been around forever. So let's look at it from the historical perspective of the Vedas because they do mention people and flying machines and nuclear devastation. All these things are there. Let's talk about that in the period we're in now. Yeah. Um, Well, in the Vedic, my inroads into this is always the Vedic tradition and the astrological tradition. And I, I was always agnostic about aliens. I don't know. I don't know. But some clients said, well, do a chart on it. Okay, we'll do a chart on it. So we looked at the chart, and I've done two charts so far. The first uh, clearly showed this is a real phenomenon. This is not a, it's not someone's well, it's imagination. Well, in the Vedic texts, right? Yes, in, in, in some ways. So in, in the Vedic texts, they talk about, um, the difference being is that in the Vedic texts, 
uh, otherworldly beings are sort of like what the Elohim are in the Bible. They are same thing. They are yeah. beings that you have to do a certain amount of penance and personal purification mm-hmm. to be able to have access to. Mm-hmm. So in the Vedic tradition, it talks about these heroes who go through penance and then they, the gods come down. Now the word for gods in the Vedic tradition is deva, where our word divine comes from. But the word deva means a bright being. It comes from the root div, which means to shine. Mm-hmm. So a, a deva is a divine being that, first of all, shines. A god or a deva is also, deva means to play. So they are playful beings that sort of play about with us because they can. Kind of like the Greek myths where the gods, you know, Athena and Zeus and all, they're like, oh, let's see what we'll do with these mortals, right? And the third meaning um, is to gamble. So in playing, and then that kind of fits together with to play, that they are, they can be naughty sometimes too. But they're not always these divine things. But the devas in the Vedic tradition are not G-O-D. They're not the supreme. Mm-hmm. They are, so... So let me ask you, would you say that like elemental beings like mountain spirits or river spirits are aliens? They're alien to us, to but us. it doesn't mean they're aliens as we classically right. understand third dimensional beings from off planet cultures. Uh, it, it, or say ghosts or, or right. spirits. Right. They, 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 so the way the Vedas categorize is all of these otherworldly beings have their own uh, individual uh, uh, realms. Mm-hmm that you can access in different ways. Some of them you access through a certain type of practice, and then you can see this type of deity. Um, and the way I liken it is, let's say you go to the bank, and you know the teller, and you're good friends with the teller. And the teller's probably likely going to give you, oh, here's a free check, or here, I'll take off this transaction fee for you. Right? They have a limited amount of things they can do, but they can help you. If you know the branch manager... That's even better. You get a preferred checking account. You get upgrades, right? You, We're going up a realm. We're going up a realm. But what if you know the CEO of Wells Fargo or whatever the bank is? Now you have access to more benefits. So, And then there's even higher from there. So similarly, in the spiritual realms, these you could say there are lower entities. Lower meaning they're not below us, but they're like the, the, the teller. They have mm-hmm. a limited uh, ways of helping us. Then there are ones above them and above them. And ultimately, there is the divine. The divine, which is singular, plural, it encompasses everything. And I think the the essence of most spiritual traditions is that, yes, you can access all of the, the other deities, and they're very helpful. These energies, oh, goddess of the river, you know, help me. And you connect with her when you go hiking and you have a ma- magical experience. Um, and that's great. But... Ultimately, your connection to your source is what it's all about. Knowing the CEO, right, Mm -hmm. or the president, or whatever the, Mm -hmm. you know, in this analogy, will open up all the doors for you. And in the Bhagavad Gita, which is one of the seminal texts of the uh, Vedic tradition, Krishna is talking. By the way, Krishna and and Krista and Krishna are are etymologically similar. And the word Christ or Christos is a title. It's not Yeshua was his name. Christos was his title. Christos which means the Messiah, the anointed one. They are etymologically similar. They indicate an anointed person. Bringer of light. 
and information. Which is where the word deva comes yeah. from, an illuminated being. Mm-hmm. So we have human beings who are born on earth who have illumination because they are connected to the divine. So Krishna, in this case, is teaching his, uh, his friend. He's saying, listen, all of the things that you worship, I am behind them. I meaning that my essence as God, as the divine, I am behind them. Or in Christ's case, my father, right? My father speaks through me. I and my father are one. Um, so I think the teaching, yes, there are beings. Yes, they come to visit. Um, are they the same as what is talked about in the Vedic tradition? Um, yes and no. A lot of what's talked about in the Vedic tradition are spiritual experiences. But in some cases, they do talk about a ship comes down mm-hmm. with the sound of thunder, mm-hmm. light that's blinding. Mm-hmm. I got up on the ship, and now I could see the little trees below me. And we went to places so far away where there's deserts. And they talk about this. Yes. So clearly, they they were flying somewhere. So there's that experience as well. But I think the conclusion is that you, to earn that, you had to do great penance. You had to purify yourself to a certain degree to be able to access that experience. And so ultimately it comes back down to us. To Always comes back to us. Yeah. But I mean, if you look at the, the reflections in the Old Testament, for example, um, similarly, well, in uh, Chris Hardy, I don't know if you know Chris Hardy's work. She, a French woman who is the author of a, mm-hmm. uh, several books, but one is called Wars of the Anunnaki Gods, deconstructing the stuff that Sitchin deconstructed mm. even further and looking at these beings that came and essentially set up shop as our, our gods, our terrestrial mm-hmm. gods. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, you, there was punishment if you didn't behave correctly. Mm-hmm. I don't resonate with that message mm-hmm. at all. <laughs> you know, so the whole notion that others have come and set up shop um, and demanded our fealty because they were perhaps more technologically advanced. Maybe they were more advanced telepathically in other mm-hmm. ways and commanded that had a commanding presence. I look at that now, and there is some kind of interesting thing going on, which I teased a bit in our open here, that as we don't trust the religious institutions anymore, we don't trust any institutions anymore in mass, we're falling away from all yeah. of them. Yeah. That something has to come in and fill that void. Yeah. And so I would like to know from your perspective, after you looked at this chart on aliens, what would be indicated for humanity to say, oh, maybe those guys can save us? Again, always abrogating responsibility if yeah. we're not responsible. Those guys also live and die. So yeah. they're also subject to the same laws that we're subject to. Um, they, they may live a little longer. Mm-hmm. They may, you know, do it a little bit differently. So they're knowing those guys and, and having them save you is like, uh, you know, asking the teller for help. Yes, but what about our temptation to once again look beyond ourselves to for saving instead of really embracing with what I call, you know, you're calling the big connection yeah. beyond the CEO. Well, your, your higher self, your soul, your connection with all and the yeah. creator. We are here as little... Um, We'll, we'll, they call it in Star Trek bags of mostly ugly bags of mostly water. In that one ep- episode of old Star Trek, the the crystalline being says ugly bags of mostly water. Right, that's how it sees us. Yeah. We are these these entities. So there, we're limited, yeah. right, in in what we can do physically and so forth. So it's natural to look beyond us. Yeah. 
also because we know inside of us that we shouldn't be limited. There's something about us that knows and remembers. We yeah. have in, intimations of immortality, as Wordsworth used to say mm-hmm. in a beautiful poem. Beautiful. That we remember, part of us remembers what it feels like to have that freedom of being one with all, omnipotent, om, uh, omniscient, and so forth. So it's natural to look beyond ourselves. Um, what our spiritual traditions have tried to teach us is that ultimately... That the teller, journey is, the, the bank teller is yes, is limited in how they can help us, mm-hmm. and it's by going within that you can a- access your inner CEO. Mm-hmm. Now, the cool thing about the Vedic tradition that I appreciate as an astrologer is <clears throat> they talk about phenomena that happened nine, ten, twelve thousand years ago. Mm-hmm. Like there, there's a part of, of one of the astrological texts that says when Saturn or Mars passed through this tiny little part of the zodiac uh, by the star Aldebaran. It's it's called the carriage or the, uh, of Rohini. It's a little triangle. The massive flooding will happen unlike anything you've ever seen that completely destroys the world. Well, from an astronomical standpoint, that has not happened until the last melting of the glade. It got stuck. Uh, it's buffering. Uh-huh. I might have to go back a little bit here, folks. Yeah, but he's uh, he's inaccurate about what he's saying. Yeah, would you like me to let it go or finish? Well, see what happens if you start from wherever you thought you might be able to. <clears throat> Maybe I gotta let this one go. Go forward a little bit. Um, what our spiritual traditions have tried to teach us is that ultimately that journey is. The, the bank teller is. Yes, is limited in how they can help us. Mm-hmm. And it's by going within that you can a- access your inner CEO. Mm-hmm. Now, the cool thing about the Vedic tradition that I appreciate as an astrologer is <clears throat> they talk about phenomena that happened 9, 10, 12,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. Like there, there's a part of, of one of the astrological texts that says when Saturn or Mars Pass through this tiny little part of the zodiac uh, by the star Aldebaran. It's it's called the carriage or the, uh, of Rohini. It's a little triangle. The massive flooding will happen, unlike anything you've ever seen, that completely destroys the world. Well, from an astronomical standpoint, that has not happened until the last melting of the glaciers in uh, 9500 BC, and then again around. Uh, 10 to 11,000 BC. Mm-hmm. So that's 12,000 years ago. And that's ago. talked about as the Younger Dryas period and such, yes. And so we have archaeological evidence that there was mm-hmm. great flooding then. Yeah. And they talk about it as if they had observed it. So the, the Vedic record goes back. That's the part that gets me is that some somebody drew a correlation between, hey, this planet's going here and there's great flooding. Mm-hmm. And they wrote it down. Mm-hmm. And we know astronomically that that hasn't happened since back then. So the Vedic tradition 
goes way back. And that, that's why I appreciate what they have to say about uh, astrology for one, but also humankind's connection to their that's source. Fine. And it always defaults back to, yes, you can access the teller and the branch manager, but isn't it best to really know the CEO? I couldn't agree more. I think that's, that's where all discernment on all levels comes from, in my opinion. Yeah. Is being able to access that part and, and that connection with the all, all information, all creativity. Um, and that said, you mentioned this a bit ago, this whole notion of these bright, shiny beings that have come historically. Mm-hmm. And they're mentioned in Vedas, they're mentioned elsewhere, they're mentioned in indigenous tribes. Mm-hmm. Tribes, uh, Freddie Silva's books call them the shining ones, mm-hmm. always light. Mm-hmm. Some of them call them, the uh, in certain eras, the followers of Horus, always about light. And I, I think while I've just said... I think we need to be careful about just giving all our power over to yet yeah. another version of uh, what we perceive as shining one. What we perceive as shining ones, there are actually shining ones mm-hmm. who are here now, who are helping us develop discernment, to stay rational, to stay out of fear. These people do exist on this planet that are trying to help humanity move to that next level. So to keep an eye out and not ignore it. And usually they're pretty interesting. I've met a few of them. They're Mm -hmm. pretty unpretentious, pretty amazing people. You do, I think, a beautiful job of establishing that road of uh, non-fearful reactivity and calm around the notion that life is cyclical. All these things will come to pass, but you have to be responsible amidst it. So I don't know if you're a shining one, but you certainly are valuable at this time. You know what I mean? And there are others that are like this. You know, my, my teachers, and I've had the, the very good fortune of meeting truly illuminated beings <laughs> in this life. And um, when you're in their presence, in the presence of a real guru or a real saint, um, there is, there's an aura. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they used to say that when, when the Buddha was coming to a certain village within a 20-mile radius, even the farmers, they, couldn't, they didn't even know he was coming. They would all of a sudden drop the plow and just kind of sit and think about life. Like you could feel yeah. that radiance. Yeah. And unless you've been around a saint, it's hard to describe it. But once you have been in that presence, which is why uh, saints and, 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 you know, very, like you said, illuminated beings are so important to our evolution. And they're here, and now, they're here now in human form. Absolutely. When you sit in their presence, it really changes everything. Yeah. Little by little, it starts to chip away at your, your darkness because we're all mirrors and we've got dust and crust and, and, and all, you know, but underneath it, we're pure mirrors. We, we, we uh, reflect the divine light mm-hmm. and what being around teachers and doing our own inner work, it slowly polishes that mirror so you can reflect better and better. And you can't undo that. Once you've been around a saintly person and you've received that kind of initiation, you can't forget it, you, you know, it's like when you've uh, toasted the sesame seed, it, you can't put it in the pot again and have it sprout. Yeah, yeah. It's not going to sprout. You're done. Yeah. So you've got to follow that path. And uh, I think it's important. It's important for people to again have our senses open on all levels. You know, our true, our mind, not our brain, but our mind truly open to knowing when we are starting to see these people or these these beings that can help us develop ourselves further and I don't mean in a trite sense I don't mean going to a workshop there's just something that's coming out of you in response to it 
One great thing about India's culture is the respect for the guru. <coughs> Now, the guru can be, if I'm trying to learn how to sing something, for example, there could be an eight-year-old boy mm-hmm. who is not my guru in other areas. But in this area, I, I bow yes. and touch his feet because he's the authority. Um, is a deep respect for people with knowledge or understanding greater than ours. And one thing about America is, which is cool about us, but it's also uncool, is that we we don't have that. We kind of diss people, mm-hmm. right? We we don't have that abiding respect for the principle of wisdom. Right. Oh, I don't like the way that guy dresses, so I'm not going to listen to him. Well, well so I don't respect for the kind of the sacredness of life in general. Sacredness, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is also cool because we are, you know. Inventive. Yes, it has a, it has its good side too, but. Industrious. Um, respect for the sacred is something I think everyone can cultivate. And even if it comes from, uh, um, you know, non-standard sources. Yeah. From someone you wouldn't expect. Yeah. And, um. I agree. I mean, when I was in India, I went to Tiruvannamalai, you know, Mount, mm-hmm. uh, Mount Arunachala, and mm-hmm. all, went sat in Ramana's cave and wow. had a very interesting experience. I've mm-hmm. got to tell you, I thought I was, I thought, am I making, am I, you know, Uh, but I walked by his, his, you know, that portrait of him reclining mm-hmm. in the ashram down below the cave. I went by and he smiled at me and then he winked at me. And I thought, is this happening? So yeah. I asked one of the people that they said, oh, my God, you got the, you, you got the he little, played with yeah, you a little uh-huh. bit. Another young Scottish guy in our group said, I'm losing my mind. I walked by this portrait and he smiled at me. I think I'm losing my mind. I said, no, no, sweetie. <laughs> he smiled at me too. Apparently he does this to yeah. certain unsuspecting people. <laughs> passing by. But for me, the most profound experience of that trip was a little woman. Uh, I think her name was Shiva Shakti Amma, mm-hmm. who had a little ashram that was packed. I mean, there wasn't even sitting room left twice a day. For 15 minutes, she would come in. And she was tiny. She would walk in. She'd have a little smile, sit down, and people would sit with her. And the room was, it was palpable. The upliftment, the refinement of the energy in the room. Mm. One time I opened my eyes. My son was there too. He was in another part of the room, and he opened his eyes coincidentally at the same time and looked at her, thinking, what does she do while we have our eyes closed? Mm -hmm. She had these balls of energy shooting out at whoever she was targeting mm-hmm. to help while well, we had our eyes closed and we both saw her doing that. And then she turned around and did it to us. Mm-hmm. And it was like, boom, it was like, thank you. Wow. And it was so powerful with not a single word ever spoken. Just yeah. being in that presence was beautiful. Not asking for your fealty, not asking for anything. Yeah. It's just, uh, it's transmission. That's, and that's the Tantra tradition of, 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 or it's also the Vedanta tradition of transmission. But once you've felt that and you've been in that, you you know. Uh, another way is when uh, you go to one of these leaf readers and they look, you know, they look at your leaf that was written three, four hundred years ago, and they say, you know, your your mother's name is Renee. Yeah. How the hell? What did kind you of leaf that? reader are you talking about? Not the grounds in your coffee cup. Not, not the grounds in your coffee. These are called nadi, N-A-D-I leaves. Now, you know, about a hundred years ago. The tradition was more or less intact, and you could go to a Nadi leaf reader. It was an ordeal because it usually is little villages, muddy mm-hmm. places. You have to, you know. Anyway, by the time you got there and you have translators and so forth, and they have to look for your leaf, you spend a week or two there. Finally, they find your leaf, and your whole life is written in that leaf. Wow. 
be like, wait a I've minute, somebody knows that's something here. Fascinating. This is before Google, before Facebook, so they're not Googling you and they're telling <laughs> your mother and father's name. You know, this is where you have two divorces, you have one brother, you're this, right? Is that correct? And you're like, uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. And then they go off and tell you about, you know, the past life that got you here, what, what you should do and so forth. Now, these days, there are a lot of, there's a lot of social engineering going on and people have used this sacred tradition and kind of made it their own. So there are a lot of charlatans as well. Everywhere. And so they'll be like, your mother's name starts with P, right? And you're like, no. No, R, R, starts with R. And you're like, yeah, it's R. And then, right? So they arrive at it through a process of deduction. You have to be careful with that. But that doesn't invalidate the original tradition that really does exist. So once you have access to that, you realize, okay, there is, there are people who have access to spiritual uh, energy, as you experience, and spiritual knowledge that is not, you know, arrived at through the normal means. So there is something out there. And uh, let me open myself to it as much as I can. Hang around people who know things. And just by virtue of hanging around them, called it's called satsanga in Sanskrit, meaning hanging out with the wise, my own vibration gets mm-hmm. heightened. This is a good time for that. It's a good action plan. Yeah. Because we're all tied up in our homes watching whatever news source and we watch. And algorithms are programming and targeting and it's us. Our own, we're just hanging out Feedback with our own loops. brain, right? Yeah. So hang around good people uh, and, you know, together we lift ourselves up. That's, I think, maybe one of the best solutions for the outsider period is know that you do fit in somewhere. You're not alone in your, you know, in your views and in, in your stance. Because when you feel alone, <clears throat> you start to resent people. How can they speak that way? How can these people be this way? No, there are others like me. And, you know, the wound of abandonment gets mollified. You, you know, you don't feel so abandoned when you have a group, a satsang. Thank you, Simon. My pleasure. Enlightening on many levels. Thank you so much. And we'll do this again, of course. To read about Dharma Types and Simon's online courses, you can go to spirittype.com. You might also enjoy one of my several other interviews with Simon here in the Gaia Archives if you're new to Simon's work. Until next time, thank you for joining us here on Open Minds. (laughs) No, we're not waiting forever. No. No, this is now. Now means now. Well, it's a lot of good insight, though. Yeah. And we're going to do something here called Astral Theology and Origins of the Zodiac. And like what Matthias was talking about, the different signs of the zodiac, the constellations, all these beings came to help orchestrate humanity. Okay, so this is... uh, Johnny Enoch. Yes, as astrotheology and astrology evolved into astronomy. What are the shared perspectives between ancient civilizations and the Zodiac? Esoteric researcher Johnny Enoch proposes that the spirituality and the modern science need to unite in order to give humanity a clear picture of our origins and our connections to the stars. 
many aspects of human civilizations throughout millennia have been influenced by the, the constellations from the days of the week to legendary religious scripts. Different cultures worldwide share correlations tying into the ages of the Zodiac. Here we go. This is 28 minutes. by that beautiful sea of sparkling lights or made a wish upon a falling star. Our ancestors knew the sky was the realm of the almighty gods and heavenly potentates. The powerful movement of celestial bodies across the heavens personified in the solar pageantry became the fabric of our lives. This fascination with heavenly motion taught us how to tell time and it was the root of the creation of the symbols for the Arabic numbers used to this day in mathematics. In fact, the word algebra comes from the Arabic word algebra, which most of the brightest stars have Arabic names. As with Arabic numerals, almost every major religion and all of our myths and legends are based on astrotheology. This all seems to be under the jurisdiction of the heavens and stars. It's easy to understand how celestial mechanics affect our lives on Earth through electromagnetic energy and gravity. Consider what the moon cycles do, for instance, with the tides of the oceans. Since people can... Not sure what happened. Since people can... <laughs> Since people can, yes, we can. Oh my, no commercials yet. The electrons are. Want to back it up just a little bit and try that again? Okay. Mechanics okay. affect our lives on Earth through electromagnetic energy and gravity. Consider what the moon cycles do, for instance, with the tides of the oceans. Since people consist of 76% water, it is no surprise those affected by lunar cycles of the moon are called lunatics. If you check crime statistics on a full moon, it will reveal an increase in reports of irrational behavior. Also, one complete cycle of the moon around the Earth takes roughly 29 days. This is nearly the same period of time as the menses or menstrual cycle of women. In esoteric science, it is taught new endeavors should always begin on a new moon, which is the two-week period for when the moon grows from blackness to the silvery shining orb known as the full moon. This is a positive time of energy known as the waxing moon period. On the other hand, during a waning moon period, one should avoid making major decisions or starting new projects 
as this period being the time of a full moon to a new moon, it is also a time of decreasing energy. The waning moon period is a time for reflection and tending to the proverbial seeds of new endeavors planted during the waxing moon period. The waning moon period is also a time for cleaning up before starting new endeavors. The last three days of a waning moon period, just before the new moon, is also a time of extremely low energy. When we study the origins of Greek mythology, we return to the account found in the Theogony of Hesiod. This 4,000-year-old classical Greek text was lovingly preserved by Bullfinch and is from the 7th and 8th centuries BCE. This story was written long before Greece became a great empire. The Theogony of Hesiod introduces us to Greek gods like Zeus, Hera, Apollo, and Ares. The incredible part of this story is we learn of the legend of Hesiod, a simple goat herder who couldn't read or write, and he had an encounter with three, some say nine, otherworldly, angelic, nymph-like beings known as the Muses. The main three were named the Good, the Beautiful, and the True, which we get from the Socratic Triad. Not only did these muses glow when they approached you, they floated off the ground and they appeared and reappeared at will. After startling poor old Hesiod, they told him to record all they said and aided him in the writing of his encounters with them. The muses even taught Hesiod about different gods or extraterrestrials inhabiting the heavens, telling him there were innumerable Earth-like planets and all of them had their own gods, but Zeus was the ruler of Earth. They told him the astronomical coordinates of heaven where Zeus dwelt. Zeus, of course, was also known as Jupiter, the ruler of Cassiopeia. The muses also talked about how long it would take for Hephaestus' anvil to fall from the heavens to Earth, and if he were to drop it off his porch, exactly where it would land. This story has fascinating clues in it about the origins of humanity and the personification of astronomical observations and our religious traditions. Today we like to say the seven wonders of the world are the Taj Mahal in India, Colosseum in Rome, Chichen Itza in Mexico, Machu Picchu in Peru, Christ the Redeemer in Brazil, Petra in Jordan, and the Great Wall of China. These are meaningless compared to the seven wonders of the ancient world, which held great significance to the masters of antiquity and were mapped out to the seven planetary bodies visible to the naked eye, which, of course, they were the sun, moon, Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn. These also correspond to the Bible's seven seals of Revelation and the seven churches of Asia, of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the Colossus of Rhodes was the sun, the Temple of Artemis or Diana of Ephesus near Kushidasi in Turkey was the moon. The Temple of Artemis was one of the most beautiful of the seven ancient wonders and had a replica of the universe found within. The Hanging Gardens of Babylon was Venus. The Mausoleum at Halicarnassus in Turkey was Mars. The Statue of Zeus at Olympia was Jupiter. The lighthouse of Pharos and Alexandria was Saturn. Finally, the Great Pyramid of Giza was Mercury. And it is the only one of the seven ancient wonders that is still standing today. 
To understand the significance of these great monuments, you must remember Gaia, or Mother Earth, is a living being with a breathable atmosphere in her lungs, and her rivers and oceans are her bloodstream. Gaia's chakras spread out along our various ley lines and vortices of the Earth. Therefore, it is no surprise that there are places of great energy mapped to the heavens, such as the Giza Plateau, which mimics the Milky Way galaxy, having three pyramids aligned to the three stars forming the belt in the constellation of Orion the Hunter. To the ancients, this association with our planetary bodies held great importance in our daily lives and our religious practices. You find that in Judaism with the menorah or the branches of the candelabrium is there are three candles on each side with the one in the middle being the sun which is lit last so that it does not cast a shadow. In magical traditions, they uphold a teaching that certain practices must be done during the planetary hours in a day or the days of the week associated with their movements. I'll use the French counterparts of the English names for the days of the week to show their planetary association with the gods. First of all, let's start with Monday being the lunar day, which is lundi in French. Tuesday is Mars day or Maldi. Wednesday is Mercury day or Mercredi. Thursday or Thursday, the day of Jupiter, is Judi in French. Friday, which is named after Frigga, the Norse version of the goddess Venus, is Vendredi in French. Saturday or Saturn day is Samedi. And finally, Sunday, or the day of the sun, is Dimanche. And while our major religions might serve different holy days, such as how Judaism honors the Sabbath, which is the day of Saturn, modern Christianity, like the Mithraism practiced in Rome, has a sun god or a son of God and goes to church on Sunday. Islam has traditionally been thought of as a religion that excludes feminine symbolism, but actually their holy day is Friday or the day for the goddess Venus. The color green is not only traditionally sacred and important to Venus, but it was also important to the prophet, which should come of no surprise to anyone that we find the color green on many mosques and on the flags of Islamic countries like Pakistan. Also, if you look at the crescent and the scimitar that has been associated with Islam, it was also used on the flag of the Ottoman Empire. Many incorrectly assume that it is the moon, but actually it is Venus, which appears like a crescent in the night sky. The smaller star beside it is the first star to appear alongside it. In occult traditions, the macrocosmic association of the planetary energies is also found in the human body and mapped out into the palmistry of your hand. This is also the case when performing certain magic spells that require your hands to be positioned in a certain way. How we look at this is that your thumb area is Venus, Jupiter is your pointer finger, Saturn is your middle finger, Apollo is the ring finger, and Mercury is your pinky finger. This is why, if you point at someone, it is a powerful gesture of sending a commanding Jupiter-like energy. Or when you give someone the middle finger, for an instance, you're actually banishing them away with saturnal energy. 
But when we look up at the night sky, there's a lot more going on with our celestial mechanics than just the movement of planetary bodies, as we can see around 88 constellations, which are now easier than ever to observe with sky mapping apps on our mobile phones and different online sky charts. The science for looking at the movements and positions of celestial objects is called astrology, which comes from the Greek words astro, meaning the stars, and the logi part comes from logos, meaning knowledge or science. Today, this has evolved into astronomy, which again, we derive from the Greek astro for the stars and nomi, meaning measurements or arrangements of the celestial bodies. Our fascination with the heavens goes back to ancient Egypt, the Persian Magi who called themselves the stargazers, the Phoenicians, the Chaldeans, the Hindus and the Chinese. All of these groups had their own zodiacs that they would use to calculate and observe the movements of the heavens. The Native Americans in North and South America had their own understanding of the heavenly bodies. The 12 constellations, which come from a Latin word, constellatio, meaning a set of stars, are just the groups of stars found in the circular path of our sun that it moves along throughout the year. This is where the ancient zodiac of the Greeks came from, which is derived from zodiacus, meaning a circle of animals or the little animals. The association of the zodiac with 12 creatures was not only due to their appearance in the sky, but also a symbolic personification of how intense the sun was as it passed through its various houses in our elliptical orbit. Some have imagined that this knowledge came from shepherds a few thousand years ago who were minding their flocks in the field, looking up at the stars at night. But this is highly unlikely. It's much like how alchemy is one of the most ancient of sciences on the planet and comes from our prehistoric civilizations like Atlantis. Both sciences are probably millions of years old. Astrology has been traditionally thought to go hand in hand with alchemy, better known as astro-alchemy, and many esotericists believe once we combine these two sets of knowledge, they can help restore us to our original state before the cataclysms. <laughs> the Greeks split up the zodiac into 12 sections, with each having 30 degrees in length and 16 degrees in width. These are what we call houses, and the sun makes an annual journey through each of these where we can find the various creatures bound by rectangles in their star groups or constellations. I've always been a big believer that we need to treat our religions like a science, which we know they have many incredible truths in them to be discovered for those with eyes to see. We find this is true of not only the ancient Egyptians who adorned their buildings with glorious reliefs of solar pageantry, like we find with Newt, the sky goddess, which of course is the Milky Way. We also find this was true of the ancient Persians, who encoded their religions with the solar mysteries, as we learn about Mithra, or even more anciently, Zorvan, the lion-headed god being the sun in Leo. When we divide up the 12 signs of the zodiac with the movements of the sun in the northern hemisphere, the first six signs of the zodiac are considered to be benevolent and positive signs because that's the time of the year when the sun is moving into the summer months and it is warm in those months. The signs in the second half of the year are negative because that was when the sun was traveling through the southern hemisphere 
which made it colder and darker in the winter months for the Greeks, the Egyptians, and the Persians. When we look at the back of Hathor's temple in Dendara, Egypt, we find one of the oldest circular zodiacs in the world. And it probably came from Ptolemy, who was the best friend and general of Alexander the Great. This place was connected to Greco-Roman times. Today, we can only find a copy of this zodiac on their roof as the original was moved to the Louvre in Paris, as today, the Egyptians aren't very happy about that. But here we find a circular formation of the constellations, similar to the Greek ones, with the hieroglyphics or letters in their ascending order. Another interesting system that involves 12 signs of the zodiac is the Chinese zodiac, which moves in the 24 cardinal directions associated with the lunar calendar. This is also associated with the elements of fire, earth, metal, and water. And because of this, the year is divided up into a yin, which is the end of an odd number that is represented with the feminine nature of passiveness or darkness. And then there are the yang years, which are masculine, positive, and productive years, according to their system. The significance of the constellations are as follows. We start out with Aries, which was once the first constellation of the zodiac, but now the second. It is known by the two bright stars that are four degrees apart and has the two horns of the ram. In the Hebrew zodiac, it is assigned to Simeon, or sometimes Gad, one of the 12 tribes of Israel. Then we move on to Taurus, the bull. As this is the constellation in Greek mythology that's associated with Zeus in the Pleiades, and it is near the constellation of Orion. Even in the Old Testament, we learn from the story about the Egyptian Job, who, by the way, scholars believe was the fourth dynasty king of Egypt, Khufu, and was someone who suffered faithfully with many trials and tribulations in his life. But there is a reference to Job and Orion when it says in the Bible, Canst thou bind the sweet influences of the Pleiades or loose the bands of Orion? Taurus the bull is always portrayed as charging towards Orion with his horns facing down. His face is composed of the five bright stars, which form a V, known as Hades, and the brightest of all these is Aldebaran, which was used by ancient navigators. In the Hebrew zodiac, Taurus is assigned to Joseph. That brings us to Gemini, or the twins, which are composed of two bright stars called Castor and Pollux. These are about four and a half degrees apart. In Greek mythology, they are said to be the twin sons that Jupiter had with Leda. And on the Hebrew zodiac, they are assigned to Benjamin. Then we arrive at Cancer, or the crab. This constellation is composed of two stars, and in some eastern systems, there are two figures of like animals or donkeys. The Hebrews assigned it to Issachar. After that, we have Leo the Lion King, which is called the Soul House of the Sun, as it marks the arrival of the summer solstice in the northern hemisphere when the sun is at its hottest. The lion's mane is also symbolic of the coronas of the sun or the sun rays. Leo is composed of stars, but its body forms a sickle when we look at two of its brightest stars, which are Regulus and Dinobola. One star and the head of the lion, and the other is at the tail of the lion. 
Leo is very important to the mysteries for many reasons. According to Masonic lore, it is the sacred position of King Solomon's temple, and it has a connection to the Sphinx on the Giza Plateau. In the Hebrew Zodiac, we can associate this with the Lion of Judah. From there, we reach Virgo the Virgin. In the Egyptian Zodiac, this is the beautiful mother goddess known as Isis. In her left hand, she's holding ripe wheat that is marked by a bright star called Spica. In the Hebrew Zodiac, Virgo is associated with Nephtali, which was a tree bearing good branches. Then we move to Libra, which since ancient times has been represented by a woman. There's no human figure for Libra in the Arabian Zodiacs, however, as it is prohibited in the Quran to make a human representation of the divine. This is also the case for our Zodiac, as according to the author of Stellar Theology and Masonic Astrology, Robert Hewitt Brown, he tells us that we probably received our Zodiac from the Arab astronomers. The Hebrew association with Libra is Asher. That brings us to Scorpio which is composed of bright stars that resembles a kite with the tail of a scorpion. The Hebrew zodiac association to Scorpio is the tribe of Dan. Then we move into Sagittarius. He is the great archer, sometimes depicted as a centaur that is half horse and half man. At the center, he's holding a bow and shooting an arrow. This constellation is easily identified with his inverted dipper as one of the largest in the southern area of the sky formed by several bright stars. Sagittarius also appears in the Egyptian and Indian zodiacs. Then we move on to Capricorn, which is the goat, and it is connected to the winter solstice, being composed of 51 small stars. In the Asiatic systems, it was known as the southern gate of the sun. After that, we find ourselves in Aquarius which is sometimes portrayed as a man or a woman holding a water pitcher, bringing the waters of spring. When you look at the water that's pouring out from the urn that Aquarius is holding, which by the way are sometimes called the waters of eternal life, this is the path of the sun or the solar messiah. In the Hebrew zodiac, Aquarius is represented by the tribe of Reuben. And finally, Pisces is represented by the two fish, in the Hebrew Zodiac, this is found with the fishers of Simeon. In these teachings, we discover that our sun makes a round trip around the Zodiac and returns to where it started every year. This is called the vernal equinox. But each time it does, it comes up just a little bit short of completing a full journey in that period of time. So it crosses the equator just behind the sign of where it started. And because of that, when the sign moves 30 degrees, it loses one degree every 72 years. The number 72 is very important to the mysteries and is mentioned all throughout our ancient religions with references to the 72 names of God in the Kabbalah, or the 72 angels of the tarot in the Shemhaferash, the 72 steps on Jacob's ladder, 72 languages at the Tower of Babel, the 72 disciples of Confucius, and the list goes on and on. One of the most important observations of the ancient peoples with this process is something known as the procession of the equinoxes, a gravity-induced, slow and continuous change in the orientation of the Earth's axial rotation. Plato called this the Great Year. 
Not only do we know the Earth moves through space with a wobble, but a full cycle of the gradual shifting of the Earth's axial rotation can last approximately 25,772 years. That's approximately 26,000 years. Each age is determined by how the sun stays in a certain age or constellation for about 2,160 years. Therefore, it was personified with various characteristics, as you'll find within the concept of the solar messiah. We get a great example of this if we go back to the Moses story in the Old Testament. Here we learn about Moses coming down the mountain with the Ten Commandments. He sees the Israelites have fashioned an idol in the shape of a golden calf from the spoils of Egypt, and he becomes furious with anger and orders them to destroy it. The destruction of the golden calf is symbolic of the completion or the ending of the Taurian age. And of course, we know that Taurus is the great bull, which we also found was relevant to the Hindu age or what we call the Hindu reign, which is why cows are sacred in India. This is also where Oxford University comes from, as the apis bull was also sacred to the Egyptians. When this age was ended, the Persian Zoroastrian solar god Mithra ripped the head off of a bull, just like Moses destroying the golden calf. After he destroys the calf, we arrive into Aries, with the Moses story transitioning to the ram's horn or the shofar horn. During the age of Taurus, the solar messiah was Dionysus or Bacchus. It was called the Good Shepherd. That brings us to our current age of Pisces where Jesus is the son of God, or a sun god that multiplied two fish and encountered two fishermen. Jesus is referred to as being a fisher of men. Also, when Christians observed Good Friday, they were told that they can only eat fish and not other types of meat. We also find this symbolism on one of the oldest Christian temples in the world, on the floor mosaic of Megiddo, Israel. I've also found these fish mosaics in other places, such as in the ancient city of Ephesus in Turkey. Jesus tells us in the Bible that he will be with us until the end of the eon, which we know, of course, is just the end of the age. If we look at Luke 22.10 in the King James Bible, the disciples say to him, Master, Master, where will you be at the last Passover? And Jesus answers them, saying, Meet me at the house which of course is an astrological term, with the man with the water pitcher. So who is the man with the water pitcher, you might ask? Of course, it's Aquarius, bringing the waters of spring. The story of each solar messiah is seated here by the mystery schools and plays a different role according to the age we are in. Since Jesus is leaving this age, we are moving into the age of Aquarius. So we might ask ourselves, what might the characteristics of the new solar messiah be? Let's just think for a moment, hypothetically speaking, what would one of these world saviors look like if they came back today with the characteristics of being the Aquarian messiah? Well, if we look at the traditional descriptions of Aquarius, we would say that maybe they were androgynous or a type of ET from the stars that is born around the winter solstice from artificial insemination. Being the water bearer, maybe they could help us fix the world's water supplies and clean up our oceans. 
Maybe they will be personified as having 12 scientists around them instead of disciples. And if they are persecuted and die, the modern version of this story would be that they were resurrected after three days and we injected them full of peptides, electrical nerve stimulation, and laser therapy directed at the brain to bring them back to life. But these ages have been encoded all around us for those with eyes to see. If you go to the Hoover Dam in Nevada, you will see that there's all sorts of esoteric symbolism there with the two angels at the back, and there is a full map of the procession of the equinoxes or the cycles of ages. Another example we get of this in their fascinating book called The Mysteries of the Great Cross of Endai, where they revealed an encoded message hidden in a cross found in southern France that displayed astrological and alchemical connections to our great cycles and changes on Earth that will happen with our sun and weather patterns. They also tied this to the work of the 20th century alchemist Fulcanelli, who revealed these messages were also encoded into the cathedrals around Europe, including Notre Dame in Paris. Paracelsius once told us, the body comes from the elements, the soul from the stars, and the spirit from God. All that the intellect can conceive of comes from the stars or the spirits of the stars rather than the material constellations. Therefore, it is not hard to see how almost every major religion in the world is based on astrotheology. Astrotheology can be used as an ancient roadmap to find ourselves home. It is clear that the initiates of the mystery schools, knowing the Atlantean or prehistoric secrets of astroalchemy, left behind various signs and clues for us in plain sight about the mystery of the ages. I'm Johnny Enoch. And thanks for watching Mystery Teachings. Oh my. You sure mm. do you want to play this other one, Rama? Mm. Are you sure? Yeah. We got plenty of time. Okay. Let me find you. <laughs> okay. Um this is one face to face encounters with the greys. Okay. Many people claim to have seen, heard, or had experiences with ETs. Yet how many have had actual direct contact? With so many stories of close encounters, including ETs over the decades, it's important to differentiate myth mythos from the facts. German tactical advisor Tim shares his insider knowledge explaining his face-to-face -face work and direct communications with the Greys. That's always a very contentious group. <laughs> Discussing the profound reactions humans experience during direct contact with extraterrestrials, Tim also offers details on the physical, mental, and technological attributes of the Greys. Okay, let's just open ourselves and see what, mm -hmm. what gives with this. This rendition. Here we go. Um, this is 29 minutes. Yes.
come. It's the sound up for that guy. Cosmic Disclosure, we're at an undisclosed location with Tim. Mm. Tim is a tactical advisor in the covert governance in Germany who analyzes and suggests various strategies in relation to extraterrestrial groups in contact with Earth. Tim, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Tim, not many people claim to have worked with the Greys and have an ongoing relationship like you do. Can you describe for us your first encounter with the extraterrestrials known as the Greys? So, some meetings were with only one individual gray, some were with like up to three of them. Some other meetings took place, place differently, but the first one was me sitting there and waiting what's happening and freaking out in the moment when a being slowly approaches you, which is scary. <laughs> say the least. The energy in the room seems to change and I think that's also what a lot of people experience when they have those encounters with grace that they naturally feel threatened or naturally feel scared or a deep, deep sense of horror, horror runs over the body. Imagine a fresh hot summer day and you go into an ice cold pool i mean at some point you enjoy the the cold pool but the moment you get into the you're thrown into the cold water it's it's, it's a shocking moment so that's always has always been the case um but the first time it was just me sitting there and then this being approached me very slowly very neutral and, you know, accordingly to some kind of protocol. Yeah. And then I have this, this kind of tablet device. Before we talk about the tablet, tell me exactly what you were seeing. Could you physically describe the gray? A lot of body features are pretty different, but the eyes stick in your mind a lot. Are they frontal eyes or located to the side, tear-shaped or almond-shaped? So they are almond-shaped, pretty darkish. I don't think that there's a pupil. I never... Uh-oh. Something is on there. What is that? Oh. Did any anatomy on something? So I didn't say am, you know, but it's a grayish, whitish color of being. The skin is, it reminds me kind of of the skin of dolphins. So it's actually a fiber body, which is not, it's not that fleshy maybe as the meat of a dolphin. 
and they also see. You're going to pass. Yeah. Okay. Well, I want to just do some music tonight. Yeah. We've got a a new set of Celtic women, and I'm sure it's the traditional beautiful songs. But let's do this. Um, we've got plenty of uh, information under our belt with the... Uh, characters in the play of the Grays, everybody. Yeah. But here we go. Let's just see what's going on. What an iconic song, Wild Mountain Time, and such a grounded and resonant production. And that amazing setting by Pine Island at Galway, just perfect. I am sure my... Okay, just hang in there, everybody. Got a little bit more to go here. All we can say is give peace a chance. What a beautiful presentation, everyone. I think being Irish ourselves, we were such tourists on the tour. I mean, everywhere we traveled, we were in full tourist mode. (laughs) We were so thrilled to get to experience these places. But also, as a Celtic woman, it always blows my mind that we can travel to big cities, small towns, all across America, and, and somebody will come up and tell you that they discovered your music, they fell in love with the show because of PBX, and it really goes into the hearts and the homes of everyone all across the country, um, and, and building that family audience has allowed us to have different generations of, of people grow up with Celtic Woman because PBS is such an integral part of their lives, and indeed it's viewers all across the country who have, have welcomed us for such a long time and continue to show such loyal support to, to what Celtic Woman is. Absolutely, and as the newest member in, all I can say is PBS has given me the opportunity of a lifetime, and I just cannot wait for what's to come. Well, Thank you from all of us for the gift of this program and your ongoing years and years of music from past to the present, the brand new voices you're bringing us. Thank you, girls. Thank, Thank you so much. Okay, everybody. This is what I want to read. <clears throat> the Pleiadian Eclipse Passage of Purification Segment and Healing, Hathor and Resurrection, Isis. We are now in the middle of the Pleiadian Eclipse Passage, November 19th through the 4th of December, 2021. Pleiades, as we know, was one of the gatekeepers of the lunar eclipse on the 19th, Medusa B being the other, and reached its highest point in the midnight sky on November 21st, which in ancient times was considered a portal of death. Communication with the ancestors and Salwain. Pleiades is one of the gateways of incarnation on the earth realm, and the significance of Pleiades can be gauged from the fact that many Greek and Inca temples 
were aligned with the rising or setting of the Pleiades. This Pleiadian passage hence may be considered as a back to the cradle, womb of creation, with specific emphasis on releasing and healing generational, ancestral, past life trauma and cords, karmic or otherwise. We have just completed a massive ending of some cycles and chances are these endings were the means to be released of ancestral generational past lives trauma held within our DNA as many of us are gateways for the release of patterns, distortions, diseases that have been carried down the ages via our ancestral lines, our past lives. Hence is a significant time for the chain breakers. Now, with the endings out of the way, the next nine days are for purification, healing, integration, and regeneration, spearheaded, spearheaded by Hathor and Sekhmet, healing and integration by Hathor, purification by Sekhmet, who were shown to me as the two serpents of the Caduceus and the goddess Isis as the central column of the Caduceus, Resurrection, Regeneration. Pay special attention to the root chakra, where cords and trauma of past lives, generational karma and trauma are stored, and the heart chakra, abandonment wounds, particularly as we know ourselves to be the gateway of release for distortions, along our genetic lineage, chain breaker. This is a period of rest, of renewal, and also great initiation, so that we may be ready for the new gateways that are to be thrown open with the solar eclipse come December 4th. One-on-one channeling sessions to resume post-December 4th. Okay, well, this is a very powerful little insight. And then uh, just uh, read one more thing here. We're going to pass the talking stick to our sister Rainbird. But uh, just from our Kate Hacha friend here from tonight. I feel fear, hurt, and misunderstanding when losing family and friends. Yet I believe, trust, and share that love will win in the end. Worth reiterating here after posting the Paylight Report is just how healthy it is to feel our feelings, whether they are fear, hurt, or confusion. Our feelings tell us who we are in this moment as opposed to our egoic mental constructions and imaginations portraying who we think we are or want to be ideally. It is good to start 
with the telling ourselves or suppressing ourselves that we are something we are really not. Uh-huh. It's good to start with, excuse me, current reality so as to make progress toward the goal rather than deluding ourselves by telling ourselves or suppressing ourselves that we're something we're really not. The suggestion then is simply to not get stuck in these feelings, rather to realize that they are only a part of our reality, our totality, knowing that we can feel afraid and then balance it with a feeling of love. We can feel a hurt and follow it up with an image of feeling a memory of power. We can feel our pain and then balance that with an image of feeling a memory or future plan of joy. On and on. Let that, let that teeter, totter, go up and down, teeter totter, I see, go up and down without stopping too long. May you have fun on the playground this week. Anybody in Northern California wants to get together for some astrology and yoga next mm-hmm. Saturday, December 11th. Okay, that's just a call out in Northern California. Okay, I am going to pass this talking stick with fairies and feathers and angels and rainbows and crystals and hobbits and elves and dwarves and manahoonies and Peshat kitties running around here like wild Indians. All coming to you, Sister Rainbird, right now. I'll take it for all the cats get here. <laughs> oh my goodness well what a wonderful day it was and thank you for all that music at the end I thought Cheryl's going to fall asleep and then you played music and that was like oh yeah, that's nice <laughs> yeah so and and uh, I got I got on the call this evening after the conference call at Eleven, eleven. So I did. I got to do that twice today. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. yeah. So we're gonna just say at eleven, eleven a.m. and eleven, eleven p.m. Just take a little minute and go pray Nasara now. Yeah. Well, I like getting the eleven, eleven. I see it often. So I now, now I just have it. I I know what to do with it. <laughs> As it was above, as it is above, so below. Have it on earth now. Nisera now. Nisera now. Nisera now. Nisera now. Now, now. I I see it. Okay, let's go with that image. And I give lots of gratitude for all of you, all of us, and a beautiful Thanksgiving kind. Let's stay with the gratitude. And I pass this talking stick over to you, Mama. Here it comes. Okay. This is Alan Watt, the Cosmos. 
Some people will use a symbolism of the relationship of God to the universe, wherein God is a brilliant light, only somehow veiled, hiding underneath all these forms that you see as you look around you. So far, so good. But the truth is funnier than that. It is that you are looking right at the brilliant light now, that the experience you are having, which you call ordinary everyday consciousness, pretending you're not it, that experience is exactly the same thing as it. There's no difference at all. And when you find that out, you laugh yourself silly. <laughs> That's the great discovery. In other words, when you really start to see things, and you look at an old paper cup and you go into the nature of what it is to see what vision is or what smell is or what touch is you realize that that vision of the paper cup is the brilliant light of the cosmos nothing could be brighter ten thousand suns couldn't be brighter only they're hidden in the sense that all the points of the infinite light are so tiny when you see them in the cup. They don't blow your eyes out. But it is actually, see, the source of all light is in the eye. If there were no eyes in this world, the sun would not be light. You evoke light out of the universe. In the same way, you, by virtue of having a soft skin, evoke hardness out of wood. Wood is only hard in relation to a soft skin. It's your eardrum that evokes noise out of the air. You, by being this organism, call into being the whole universe of light and color and hardness and heaviness and everything. You see? Uh, but in, in the mythology that we've sold ourselves on during the end of the 19th century, when people discovered how big the universe was, and that we live on a little planet in a solar system on the edge of a galaxy, which is a minor galaxy, everybody thought, ah, oh, we're really unimportant after all. God isn't there and doesn't love us, and nature doesn't give a damn. And uh, we put ourselves down, see? But actually, it's this little funny microbe tiny thing crawling on this little planet that's way out somewhere who has the ingenuity by the nature of this magnificent organic structure to evoke the whole universe out of what would otherwise be mere quanta. There's jazz going on. But you see, this little, little ingenious organism is not merely some stranger in this. This little organism on this little planet is what the whole show is growing there and so realizing its own presence. Well, now here's the problem. If this is the state of affairs, which is so, and if 
the, the consciousness state you are in at this moment is the same thing as what we might call the divine state. If you do anything to make it different, it shows you don't understand that it's so. So the moment you start practicing yoga, or praying, or meditating, or indulging in some sort of spiritual cultivation, you are getting in your own way. The Buddha said, we suffer because we desire. If you can give up desire, you won't suffer. But he didn't say that as the last word. He said that as the opening step of a dialogue. Because if you, if you say that to someone, they're going to come back after a while and say, yes, but I'm now desiring not to desire. <laughs> and so the Buddha will answer, well, at last you're beginning to understand the point. Because you can't give up desire. Why would you try to do that? It's already desire. So in the same way, you say, oh, you ought to be unselfish or to give up your ego. Let go, relax. Why do you want to do that? Just because it's another way of beating the game, isn't it? But the moment you see you hypothesize that you are different from the universe, you want to get one up on it. But if you try to get one up on the universe and you're in competition with it, it means you don't understand you are it. You think there's a real difference between self and other. But self, what you call yourself and what you call other, are mutually necessary to each other, like back and front. They're really one. But just as a magnet polarizes itself in north and south, but it's all one magnet, so experience polarizes itself as self and other. But it's all one. So if you try to make the North Pole get the mastery of it, or the South Pole get the mastery of the North Pole, you show you don't know what's going on. Okay, real quick, everybody, before the song at the end. Let's get together with Cheryl Croce on Sunday evening and Monday evening. Um, mountain time is about 10 minutes of 7 each night. And we work together with meditation, affirmation, um, oration, music, <laughs> sound, color, vibration. Uh, 425-436-6260. Again, that's 425-436-6260. And the PIN code is 946-7441-POUND. Again, the PIN is 946-7441-POUND. And welcome as you're just coming for the first time or have been coming forever. It's uh, a good time to do this kind of work uh, to move through this amazing Pleiadian. The first landing party mission was from the Pleiades to Earth on the backside of Kauai uh, in the Hawaiian Islands uh, in the Kalalau Valley. It's a very powerful place. And so let's keep that in mind. Here comes the music. Rama, what do you have for us? 
Om Namah Shivaya. Om Shiva Shakti. Namaste. Sat Nam. Sat Nam Ti. Ahomitakuyasan. Thirteen thank yous. Honey in the heart. No evil and live long and prosper. We are in a most amazing time to be alive. Thank you for walking this journey with me. Everyone. So mote it be. Namaste. Mahalo nui loa and aloha.